Rest in peace, Alan Thick. That was the Growing Pains opening theme. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am your host, Todd Dandruff. Would tell us this is being broadcast live and recorded live on January tenth, twenty twenty. Time right now, nine twenty p.m. And we have a very special free roll. I talked about it last week, but I have to tell you right now, you got a, you got a little time. You got ten minutes left to get in there. It's $500. Now, don't ask me to validate your account or anything. You have to do that in advance. I've given you enough warning about that. But if you have a currently verified account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, we have a $500 free roll this week, courtesy of Eric Benzamokin. We've talked about this for a few weeks now, and this is something very nice he did for the site as a beginning-of-the-year free roll. It was going to be 300 Then he wanted to do a 200 end of the year free roll. I said, you know what? Screw it. Let's take that 200 move it to the beginning of the year, make it a $500 free roll for this week. Last week, because of our funny schedule, I decided to delay it a week. And the official date for it, January 10th, 2020, which is right now, it started at 9.05, but you can still get in until 9.30 p.m. Pacific time with a full stack, provided that your account has been verified on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you have to do in advance. If you didn't do it in advance, then get one in advance and save your password. I get so many password reset requests, but put it somewhere. You don't have to worry if anyone breaks in or hacks it because it's only useful once a week to play the free roll. And if it's not you actually playing it, then I won't award the money. And if someone gets into your account somehow, then just make another one and tell me to kill the first one. But I doubt that'll happen anyway. So here is the prize information for this very big free roll where several places down is actually equivalent to what's often first place. This is a very, very good free roll. And the best thing about this free roll, I say this many times, is we don't have a big field. Usually a $500 free roll on a site is going to have like 5,000 entrants, and your chance of winning is almost nothing. But here you have a very good chance of winning because we get fewer than 100 people, because most people listen to this show in the archives, not live, which means they can't play the free roll. So if you're listening live, get there right now. First place is 200 bucks, Cash money. I'm going to send you 200 bucks in a lot of different ways. I can send it to you by Zelle, Cash App, Bank Transfer, Bitcoin, or if you could think of another method, a payment service that's been used online for about 20 years, I can send it to you that way too. $200 first place. 125 for second. That's not shabby either. Nor is the $70 third place prize. $50, which is often our first prize. Sometimes our whole prize pool is the fourth place prize. $35, which often is our first place prize, is the fifth place prize this week. And finally, a healthy $20 you will get for finishing sixth. And to be honest, usually on the Poker Fraud Alert free roll, 
if you finish in sixth place or anywhere near sixth place, you get awarded with zero point zero. So this is a very nice free roll. Last I looked, there were 51 people. There will be more than that by the time registration closes at 9.30 Pacific time, but not that many more. And think about the money at stake. Think about your equity in this. Your equity in this is going to be somewhere between 5 and $10 if you're an average player, just for showing up. I mean, that's not huge money, your equity, but how often do you sit in a free roll where your equity is well over $5, sometimes approaching 10 That's crazy. You won't find any free roll anywhere like this that's open to the general public. Now, this one's almost open to the general public. You have to meet the requirements, our, our very lax requirements. They're really very lax. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, exactly as it sounds, and read the rules and requirements. As I said, for this week, it's too late if you do not meet those requirements, but there will be others in the future. There won't be another $500 free roll for a while, I will tell you that, but we have a free roll just about every week. Sometimes around a $50 prize pool, sometimes 100 something, sometimes 200 something. Once in a while, 500. You never know. Thank you. Thank you, Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us if you have any legal questions or you might want to hire him. Very good attorney, very knowledgeable attorney. If you don't believe me, go listen to the segments he's appeared on the show. Of course, I can say he's a good attorney because he's my friend, but you can go listen to his segments on the show and judge for yourself if it sounds like the guy knows what he's talking about. I think you'll be impressed. Everybody loves his segments when he comes on. So here is the uh, little intro I'll give. Then we will get on to what is a surprisingly healthy agenda this week. I was worried when I completed the show on Monday morning that four and a half days later on Friday night, which is right now, I was not going to have much to talk about. I was concerned about that. How much, how much is going to happen in four and a half days? Then I noticed right after the show was over, there was a daily fantasy sports scandal that became pretty big. It became mainstream news on the front page of CNN and other major sites. Then I noticed a number of Mike Possel stories were developing in those four days. Then I noticed that a Sacramento area card room, not Stones, unfortunately, got shut down. Then I noticed that the World Series released a new schedule. Then I noticed that uh, Seals with Clubs is having a controversy at the moment. Then I noticed that Luke Schwartz and Phil Galfond are going at it. Then I noticed that uh, a guy got chased all the way to the Nevada border after killing his mother. Then I noticed that sports betting might be legal in California soon. And I was like, wow, that's a lot in four days. That's the agenda, by the way. That is the agenda, except there's one other thing. In fact, I'm not even. I'm, that's, it, that's that's the agenda. That's 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 all I'm telling you right now. It's gonna be a super short agenda tonight. Maybe I'll just do it that way every week. Just go. Then I noticed. Then I noticed, and get the whole thing done in like two minutes. I know a lot of you will love that. A lot of you hate when I drag on the agenda. But I'm also very very shortly. First thing we're gonna do is I'm gonna try to call back a weird wrong number I got. And. We will find out what the story is. It has to do with a sperm donor, which I'll tell you about in a second. First, let me tell you about the rest of the intro information before we get our show on the way. If you want to listen live to the show, there's various options. You can go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. If it does not play automatically, then click on the appropriate link according to the type of device you have. It'll say if you have this device, click here. If you have this device, click here. And it should start. 
So just follow the instructions. You can also use the call to listen line, which is a phone number you just call with any phone. Doesn't have to be a smartphone. Doesn't have to be a cell phone. It can be any phone in the world. Call 605-313-0736 to listen to the show. Never buffers, never slows down, never freezes, just plays and plays and plays. And when we're not live, it'll play reruns that it selects on its own. 605-313-0736 is the call to listen line or the alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095. Another way you can listen to the show is through the TuneIn app. If you get the TuneIn app, there are two entries for Poker Fraud Alert Radio. One of them you can listen to the live show. The other one is to listen to the archives. So you can figure out which is which and listen to the show that way live. To listen in the archives, you can do so with many different platforms and apps. You can just... Go to the Radio Archives Forum on Poker Fraud Alert and just download or play the MP3. In fact, any device pretty much can just play it automatically without a player. Just click on it, it'll start. You can go to uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. These all have our episodes in the archives. It's uh, Bullhorn, another one. And Amazon Alexa, you can say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And it will play you the last episode we did. Can't use it to listen live anymore for some reason. But you can say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it'll play the last completed episode. And if you want to hear the one before that, then just say next, and it'll go to the previous episode. It's backwards, but that's how it works. I don't control that. That is Amazon's doing. They, they, they make changes all the time. They're constantly changing the interface to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, but... I don't pay any money for it, which is the right price for me. You know why. So I can't complain too much. So those are ways you can listen to the show. If there's a way that I am not providing that you would like, let me know. How can you let me know? Well, one way is to text me. 775-372-8355 is our main number and also our text number. It's 775-FRAUD55 is the way it spells out. But the actual number is 775-372-8355. That's the main number to call into the show. It is also the number to text me. You can text me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I will respond to you. And I may read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. Unless it's obvious. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone, which I have in Mount Charleston. It's a sitting in a cabin near the top of the mountain. It's about 45 minutes away by car. From Las Vegas, about 30 degrees cooler than Vegas is year-round. That number is 702-430-1808. It's a separate line into the show. 702-430-1808. And that's it. You can go in the chat room during the live show to chat with others. I don't pay much attention to it, but I will occasionally read it. And I'm reading it right now. And JSTAT is asking in the chat... Does the lawyer do probate or trusts? I don't know. You can ask him, though. You can Seriously, you can email him. He's a very, very nice, easygoing guy. He won't say, why are you bothering me? I'm so busy. I'm a busy lawyer. How dare you hassle me? He, that, he's totally not that guy. So just email him, eric at eblawfirm.us, and ask him, do you do trusts or probate? That's a fine question. I've never discussed that with him before. I know he does bankruptcies. I don't know about trusts and probate, but he might. So... That was a question in the chat room, and I just answered it. 
uh, disposition said, did someone say something? I heard a distant, vague sound of a drunk, disgruntled UB player. I don't know what that's referring to. There's probably something said earlier in the chat. I'll take a look at it every so often. This show, in case you're new to it, we do it about once a week. Recently, it's been on Friday nights, and we have a free roll every week. And I uh, just do it for about four to eight hours, however long it takes to get through our agenda. I make every effort to get the show done, even if I have to change the day around, like delay it a day or two. But I try to get it down once a week. Once in a while, I miss it due to inability to have a free time in my schedule to do it or due to being sick. But aside from that, we're here every week and we plan to be for the year 2020. You may say, what is we? What is we? Are are you talking about yourself in plural? Like... uh, Gollum in the Lord of the Rings movies? No. I am talking about Trader Ruski, who is usually with me as a co-host, and he's supposed to be here tonight. Let's see if we can get him. Then we're going to make our phone call. I should have made the phone call in advance. What's happening, Jeff? Hi, Trader Ruski. So let me tell you about the phone call I'm going to make, and I'm going to try to make it. It's a bit later than I was hoping to make it, and you'll understand why when I tell you what happened. This is about 7.30 at night a few days ago, and I was actually out of the house, and I got a phone call from a number in the 818 area code, the San Fernando Valley, and I answered it, and I heard, like, music playing and then a hang-up. I go, that's weird, but whatever. Well, about a minute later, my phone rang again, and I answered it, and I heard kind of like a nervous female voice, sounded pretty young too, sounded like early 20s, on the other end, and she asked, who is this? Well, I've gotten those calls in my life before where they ask, who is this? And it's always smart not to say who you are, because that could be used for all kinds of sinister purposes. You should never say who you are if someone says, who is this? The better question is, no, who are you? So that's what I asked. And she sounded really hesitant and really... It was kind of difficult to get her to explain what was going on. But finally she told me, she says, well, I I, I have this paper with your number written down, and I, I'm trying to figure out if it's still what is written here. And I'm like, I, I still don't understand. Can you please tell me what information are you looking to know? She says, I'm really sorry to bother you. I said, no, 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 you're not bothering me. I just would like to know specifically what you're looking for, and then I'll see if I can help you. So she said to me, well, I'm trying to find my sperm donor. That already made my ears perk up. Like, what the hell, a sperm donor? And she said that he disappeared. Didn't explain why or how, but he disappeared. And that she was going through papers he had and found my number written down. And she was trying to see if it's still what he wrote the number was. I said, well, what did he write the number was? And she said... I thought maybe this is some poker player I knew. (laughs) And I didn't know what she meant by a sperm donor, because usually if you go to a place that uh, does sperm donations and does uh, or collects sperm donations and then sells them, usually these places will not furnish any information, any personal information about the person donating it. And this is so the sperm donor doesn't get hassled later in life, though they can be tracked down pretty easily now thanks to these services like 23andme that does these dna uh, profiles but that aside 
they don't give out that personal information. So how does she know who he is and how did she get his paperwork and why did he, quote, disappear? I didn't ask these questions. I also thought to myself she might have meant sperm donor by that just like a, a friend who gave his sperm with the understanding that he wouldn't be responsible for the kid. And then he just vanished on her. I, I don't know. I should have asked more, but I didn't. And I, I thought maybe it was a poker player I knew that had my number down somewhere. So I said, well, what am I listed as? And she said, well, is this the clinic? And I said, nope, this is not the clinic. It's never been a clinic. I have had this number a long time. The person who had it before me, I personally know. So it was not them either. This number, I said to her, has been a residential number or a cell phone number for longer than you've probably been alive, which probably was true from the sound of her voice. So she said, okay, I'm really sorry to bother you. Bye. So after I hung up, I said, what the hell? So she mentioned the clinic. So it probably wasn't like a friend that donated the sperm. But if so, why would she have his information in his papers? It didn't make any sense. Now, yes, there's a chance that this was a prank call, and I'm taking this too seriously. But she didn't just, like, start talking. She didn't just say, hey, uh, is this the clinic? Is this the sperm donation clinic? Like, you'd think it would start off like that. She sounded very nervous, and I actually had to get the information out of her. So if this was a prank call, then she did a very, very good acting job, or maybe she inadvertently did a very good acting job because she was nervous to make the call, but it was weird. There was, like, there wasn't anything really funny about the call. It was a strange call, but it was not funny, and there was no kind of, like, prank element to it other than maybe the fact that sperm was involved so we're going to try to call this number and the premise i'm going to use i'm going to use the dwight thornwood character and he's going to be an employee at a sperm uh clinic and that uh at a fertility clinic i guess i, I don't know where do you even get sperm uh if, if you're a woman who wants uh sperm you want to buy sperm to get pregnant with is it a, is it a fertility center? I don't even know who is it. The... I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I know that. Uh... But wait, Ruff, you're going to prank the girl that's looking for her father? No, it's not her father. It's it's the one who donated the sperm. Right. Well, uh, uh, the baby's father. Well, it's, it's not oh, going to. Oh, got it, got it, got yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah. it's the mom. Oh, well, still, Ruff. Well, I, I look. I, I got us. She called me first. I, I normally wouldn't do this, but uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be too difficult. I'm just going to be, I may even tell her the truth at the end. Oh, that's, uh, that's a joke, but uh, uh, I, I want to find out more. And so what's going to happen, the backstory is going to be that I, the person she called, went to a, to call a, uh, a fertility center that had a phone number similar to mine that I figured maybe she was looking for and gave her number. And now an employee of the center is calling her. And maybe since it's after nine o'clock, and it'll seem weird. Maybe I'll claim that I'm calling after hours to try to help her. So we'll see. She may not answer, and she may not believe this. And it also, the joke could be on me because this could have been a prank in the first place. So okay, let's uh, let's let's do this here. It's a chance I won't reach her. There's that too, but we will try. I have the number here, and yeah, I see the the. Actually, the call was a lot shorter than I thought. It says on my phone the call was only one minute. It kind of felt like about three minutes. It was a long minute there. The first call it says it was five seconds. That sounds about right. But we're going to make this call. And 
then we're, we're going to get to the bottom of this, hopefully. I'm just curious. I, I'm not mad at her in any way. I'm just curious. And you know what? The truth is, if I can help her in any way find this guy, I will make the effort. Hello? Uh, yeah. Hello. Uh, this is Dwight Thornwood. Um, this is a little bit of a strange uh, situation, but I, I want to explain. Uh, I work here at the, at the Reseda Fertility Clinic, and uh, I was given your phone number by a stranger you, you made a call to. Uh, I think it was uh, two nights ago. I'm sorry to call you so late. I hope it don't wake you up. Oh no, it's fine. Um, yeah. So, uh, what happened here is I got I got this call here on Thursday morning, and and a stranger calls me up and says, "You know what? I got this there call from some girl who's trying to look for a clinic, and I noticed that my number's kind of similar, not all that close, but kind of similar to the phone number that you got on there at the clinic. So maybe she's trying to reach you." And I said, "Well, what does she say?" He said, well, I don't know, it's kind of a weird story, and I didn't quite understand it, but uh, here's the girl's number. Maybe you should call her up and try to help. So I said, well, you know, I ain't in the business of uh, of psychological counseling or uh, or genetic counseling, nothing <laughs> like that. But, uh, but as I sat there for the last two days, I've been th- thinking about it, and I go, you know what? I-, I think that I got to make this call here and uh, see what I can do. If there's anything that I could do to help. Well, thank you for calling. Well, That's very nice of you. Yeah, well, so so um, this is what he told me. This don't make no sense to me, all right? He said something about a sperm, something about a sperm donation. And, you know, let me yeah, tell you. Yeah, you want me to just tell you? <laughs> well, yeah, you can tell me in a second. But I just want to say that I did not even mean to get into this line of work. You know, my dad had told me you should be donating your money, not your sperm. So he he'd be rolling uh-huh. over he'd be rolling over in his grave if he saw where I'm working today. But I I figure I, I'm doing a good deed for some people that want to uh, uh, have children right, that cannot yeah. do so. So I, I do not feel bad about this. Now, um, now if you could please tell me the story, what's going on, and maybe maybe I can give you some assistance. Thank you. Um. Yeah. So wait, where do you work? Sorry. Well, I work here at the at the receipt of fertility clinic. Okay. Um. So. I found that number uh, on a piece of paper that was the um, donor questionnaire form that my mom recently gave me when she told me that I, like, was conceived through a sperm donor. Oh, wait a minute. So, I, okay, now, one second here. Now, now hold on one cup and pick a minute here. I was told by this individual who called me that, that you were looking for for the father of, of your uh uh, of of your baby, and he must have misunderstood. He must have thought that uh, this was oh, a baby yeah. daddy you couldn't find, when in reality, this is actually your father you were looking for. Yes. Well, all right. Let, let me tell you something else. Then. So, 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 well, actually, go on. So, 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 you, so somehow your now, how did your mom get get the uh, the piece of paper with his number? I thought that's supposed to be anonymous. Here at our clinic, we don't give out that none of that information. Oh, no, it wasn't the number. I wasn't calling him in hopes that he was my dad. <laughs> I, it was, I was hoping to reach the clinic because that was the number um, under, like, the logo of – it was Zygen in Van Nuys, but it closed. All right. And so I was just, like, one night just calling just to see if the numbers were still active. All right. Well, it's something. Something must have gone wrong there. When we ain't Zygen either. But here, I'm, I'm going to tell you on something here because I, I feel a bit bad about this whole thing. All right. Now I'm, I'm going to I'm going to shock you in a second here. Right. You ready for the big shock? And by, by the way, how, how old are you, how old are you right now? I'm 22. All right. You're 20. Well, at least you ain't a minor. I don't feel too bad about this. But let me let me tell you why I feel a little bit bad. Okay. You ready? You ready for the big shock of your life? Mm-hmm. Well, not your life. It's the big shock of the night. I say. All right. 
You ready? Yeah. The big shock of the night is that I'm not actually from the South, and I actually sound like this. That was a phony accent. So uh, I'm actually the guy you called, and it happened that you called me. Um, you called my number. I'm the one you spoke to two nights ago, and I actually do a, a, a poker, kind of like poker gambling and like comedy show on the Internet, and I thought, this is such a weird call that I've, I've got to call this on my show and find out what the story was. And I thought you were looking like for... I didn't know if you were pranking me. I didn't know if you were like looking for the father of your kid. But but now I feel kind of bad. You're looking for your dad. I'm like, I don't want to prank this girl anymore. Now, But now I actually want to help. Okay, maybe we can get a, get some uh, lemonade made out of these lemons. Okay? Maybe That's we can actually so help. Funny. So Because I'm actually good at like tracking... I'm good at tracking things down. I'm good at tracking people down. Believe it or not, like I, I'm a lot older than you. I'm, I'm in my 40s. But, but like back in the 80s, I was part of the whole... like phone and computer hacking world and i don't do that stuff anymore but like i i'm good at tracking information down so i i i can't guarantee anything there's a good chance i'm going to fail but uh if maybe i can assist you to look something up just because uh i put you on your sh- this show here under false pretenses <laughs> and uh i, I kind of feel bad about it I, I i have a conscience like i could have gone on with the whole character and, and screwed with you but... that's so funny so, I, anyway, um, wait, what, what show is it? Th- this is called Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and uh, it's a, it's a show what? about it's a show about poker. It's a show about gambling. It's actually based out of uh, the, the L.A. area too, so I'm not that far from you. But uh, oh, but we, we we also make prank calls. We like prank casinos all the time and other stuff like that. that like is- we- so funny! So I, like, I, what are the odds? Yeah, that was that's that's what people always say when they happen to reach me. You're, you're not the first weird wrong number <laughs> to reach me. Like, there's like dating back before you were born. Wait, I got that weird. Number, I got that a, number is on. I'd like, like to see that too. Paper. I'd actually really like to see that what? too. If, if you could take a picture of that, um, I'll, yeah, I'll, definitely. I, I, I can contact. I'll, I'll contact you afterwards. You may not remember my number, and don't say it now because I don't want the freaks listening to the show. Yeah, my, yeah. I, I don't want them knowing my information, but. Uh, <laughs> I will uh, – uh, see, someone's trying to call in right now, and I know who it is, and that person's going to say something rude. I'm not going to put them on. I, I already see who it is. <laughs> we have a lot of uh, odd people who listen to this show, uh, as you might guess, in, in, in the poker – do you know anything about poker? Do you know anything about poker or the community or the players? No. Okay. You're probably better no. off not knowing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I've, I've gotten wrong numbers like – my whole life, and I always try to make something funny out of it, even way before I had this show back when I was your age. But uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll try to assist you here. We'll try. We'll try to help out. And I, I do want to see that paper. I'm really curious about that because the phone number I have yeah. has belonged to me for about ten years, and prior to that, it belonged to one of my personal friends for about I don't know twenty years. So I don't understand how that could have possibly been a clinic phone number. And that I actually told you, you know, back on Wednesday night. But anyway, I will try to help you here. What, what is your first name, by the way? Susie. Susie. Okay. Well, nice to meet you. My name's Todd, and uh, <laughs> if, if, if you want, I can try to I can try to help you out. Try to find something here. Maybe we can have a happy ending here. And wait, I, did you think I was prank calling you? I, I my gut feeling was no, but there were some things that just didn't seem like I didn't understand after the call was done. And I thought, well, it could be a prank, but there wasn't like a there wasn't like a joke element to it. There was nothing like, ah, oh, I got you, ah, so funny. Like it, it seemed like <laughs> it seemed like you were kind of hesitant to even like tell me what was going on, which didn't seem very prank call-like. Usually in a prank call, people want to tell you everything they can. So, Yeah, I <laughs> I just thought that you, like, like in my, from my perspective, I thought that you have, like, gotten these calls all the time because your number is on this paper. And I feel like 
I was like, oh, he probably gets this all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe I better confront my friend about this. Maybe he used to run a fertility clinic with be on my back. I don't know. Maybe I don't know everything about him. Yeah. Maybe he's a he secretly was uh, implanting sperm in people. I don't. This is so weird. Okay, I'm going to ask him. I'm, I'm going to ask him about <laughs> this too. Know, this is mean, this is making me curious. Come on, I'm going to I'm going to get to the, I'm going to I'm going to share this with him. I'm going I won't give your information to him, but I'm going to share. If you send me the copy of that little Can paper, you tell me your friend's name. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you all this later. I'll, I'll text you later and, oh, and, and tell you all this. And you can send me a, a little. You can send me a picture of that logo. I, I'm I'm going to figure this out. I w- at least I want to know that part. But I'm going to try to. I'll try to help as much as I can in possibly uh, locating your dad. And uh, and, and because that would be, that would bother me. Like if I was 22 and I didn't know who my dad was. My biological- yeah, my parents literally. I went home for the holidays and they just told me now that. Um, me and my sister were confused with sperm donor. Now, now and, was was there a dad there too that you thought was your natural dad all this time, or there was no dad in your life? Yeah, oh, there and was. He was like the worst dad ever. Oh well, okay. Well, that I guess that's good. See, he's not related to you. You don't have his genes. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no, that's that, that's good. Yeah. Th- now the guy, if, if if he is tracked down, he may or may not want to hear from his like yeah. his kids. Yeah, no, I just want to know my medical history and. <laughs> kind of like i don't know what even i want to know but <laughs> no i don't blame you i'd want to know too I, <laughs> I would want to know too and uh i i know for sure that that's not my case because i um th- there's certain things that i i can see that i'm related to with both parents there so there's like no chance of it and also i look a lot like uh, one of my siblings who i actually saw be born so um, anyway, there's no, uh-huh. ch- there's no chance that's my case. But if it was my case, I would be just like you and trying to find it out. You, you just want to know this. It's just something people want to know. Because, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm sorry in a way that I had to make you this uh, little star of this segment of the show. But uh, maybe something good can come <laughs> yeah, of it. Honored. You're honored. Okay, I well, that's good. That would be really funny if this is the way I found my... <laughs> that, that would be. That would be a great story. Maybe we can go on CNN or something after it. If I, if I, yeah, maybe. If I find this. <laughs> okay. Well, well. Uh, thank you for being a good sport here, and I'll, I'll be in touch. Yeah, okay, cool. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. Okay. I see. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go on with a prank. I, I couldn't. Uh, I had to be honest. Someone saying in chat, uh, she, she that had, was good, Jeff. I think you, that you should you did the right thing. Someone said uh, uh, she has a nice voice, just like the chat lines, Jeff. Don't scare her away, bro. Well, bad guy, that was bad guy saying that. Bad guy, here I'm going to take his call. Bad guy was trying to call in. He's the one who's going to scare her away. I can only imagine what he would have said. There was no way I was going to oh, put him on. Oh, bad guy wanted a banger. He was on the like uh, whatever he, whatever he was going to say. I was afraid to put him on. Bad guy, are you there? I, he was calling in. I just tried to take his call, but I don't know what happened. Bad guy, call back. Something screwed up, I guess. But I, I did. It's good the bad guy's back. It's been a while since we heard from. Him, right? I, I'm, I'm glad the bad guy's back. I just, I couldn't put him on this call. I mean, he, he just has such obscene things that. <laughs> and like, although she did seem like she would have probably been a good sport, right? Been she, fine. It probably wasn't a good first impression. It, it probably wouldn't. Do. It, like it was bad enough that this weird thing happens that a guy with a southern accent drops the accent and says, "No, I'm actually uh, playing a joke on you," and you know, we're, we're making a joke of the fact that you're trying to find your dad. So, uh, like that—that that was shocking enough. I didn't want to add the bad guy to the mix here. Okay, let's see if we got him on here. Bad guy, you there? That's what you. Hey, that's what you get for backing on the prank call, man. Look, I mean, you should have kept going with it. I know, but I felt bad. I, I have a conscience. Every every year that passes, I, I have 
less uh, less zeal to continue with this sort of thing. I know, thing. I know. I heard, I heard it, man. Listen, what the hell is wrong with your phone lines? I called the one number. I tried the two different phones because I don't know what the hell. Sometimes, I mean, the 702 number usually never works. The 775, that's what I'm calling now, right? It's not about that. It's that Skype was – they all route into Skype, and Skype was having a problem, and then now I can't get Trader Ruski either. He's gone. It's it's something on Skype's end. It, it wasn't you. I know you'd like to take credit no, for the No, I didn't mean to the fuck show. the show up, man, if no, I did. It, it wasn't you. It was actually Skype fucking the show up. I just wanted you to answer. I was going to tell her I was her dad, and it would have been disappointing. But okay. I, you know what, though? I, no I, money. I, felt, I, felt, I need amnesty. Well, I felt bad, and also she sounded like she could be a teenager, and I was worried we'd be doing this like, a, like to a 16-year-old. I guess they're 23 when we were in the poker chat. Okay. She said 22, right? You know, my initial belief was like 22, 23. I said that at the beginning before I even called her. Then once we were talking and I heard she's looking for her dad, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what if this is like a teenager? Yeah, I missed the whole thing. I just heard you talking like a country guy, and I said, what the hell is the story here? Who's this chick? I thought you were calling – Then I thought you were calling a sperm clinic. I didn't know what the hell you were doing. No, no, no. She called me accidentally and then – Are you getting on the uh, tennis match tonight or what? I didn't know what what is the, what is the bet on the tennis match. What do you mean? It starts at one fifteen a.m. Eastern time, so you still got fifteen minutes. We're going against Socket to me tonight. Okay, well, we're taking the, Sweet Caroline, well, okay, okay, so, or whatever the fuck her name is. So, for for those that have uh, sat through all the Skype fail, uh, tell them the exact bet so they know if they want to go along with you. And I I have done this before. I've put my Jew money blindly, not knowing anything about it, on these tennis bets that uh, Bad Guy has recommended. And I'm actually up lifetime doing this. So not a big sample okay, size. Well, the bets, the bets it's uh, it's in Australia. It's Brisbane Open or some crap like that. Starts at 1.15 a.m. We're going against Saka Toomey, Osaka. We're going with the check. It's plus 149. You probably can only get 500 down, though, at your offshore books. I thought I was limited. The one book let me get down a little bit more than that, but mo- I asked uh, San, and he even said a bet, o- bet online only let you get five down. Now, I don't know. I just think this girl beats her first set bet too, man. I, it, I think the, I think uh, Saka Tumi loses the night. Okay, I'm so breaking up he, with he's her. Talk, he's talking about uh, against uh, Naomi Osaka. He wants you to bet on uh, Carolina Pliskova. And well, you say it better than I do, brother. And, and so, so, so what's, hope it wins. What, what's the rationale for this bet, though? People can't just blindly fire and not know why you're doing this. The rationale is Saka Timmy's been eating too much, man. She's not going to win this match. She's she's focused to the Australian. Just trust me. I mean, I don't, do I have to give you a reason? Okay. The, the reason is this, man. They're only letting you bet five hundred bucks on it, man. If you take the underdog. Yeah, I see. That's that, my reason. I, I see that it's uh, yeah. I bet online it is circled, so yeah, you can only do five hundred. I do see that. I'm looking at that right now. Okay, I'm going to. Well, do- I, I I I said the bet before it got circled. Okay, well that's fine. So, I, that, I, that's what I, I would have bet that. They any- might lose, but what the fuck? I mean, that's who I like. Well, that's what I bet. Any- I would have bet that anyway. So I, I would have bet five. That doesn't make me confident that I'm going to switch my bet. Hold on. No, I mean I, I wouldn't. Get this have- shit uncircled right now. <laughs> I mean, I would have. Bet- I was going to bet five hundred anyway, not bet on this. I, I don't know anything about this, so I, I'm going to. I'm going to hit bet it. on it. You're going to be up until no, four in the I- freaking morning anyway. Wait, it, I just did it, and it says it can't make the bet for some reason. What is it now? I just, I just tried to do five hundred. Well, I, if it was Bovada, I'd understand, but I don't have any idea. If it's bet online, you should be able to get it in. Yeah, I'm trying to. It's, every, What's going on with Bovada, man? Everything's malfunctioning tonight. Bet online is malfunctioning now. Yeah, bet online is your computer, up. bro. No, no, no. Bet online. That girl hacked your shit. How do you know I didn't set that girl up? I mean, like you gave in on that prank call. I couldn't believe it. You could have had this girl on the. You should have. You should have went for a little bit longer. You know what? The, the problem is that. 
everybody here just smells blood in the in the chat. Like everybody just wants to hear me just just wreck everybody as badly as possible. And then I get a conscience. I can't do it. No, I don't like that. I mean, I wreck. Hey, listen, come on, man. TK the pimp. I never gave up on that. I let the thing fester for a whole week. Oh my god, this is so weird. It just changed something. They just. Oh, Bet online just took off. They're the, listening to us. Bet online killed the money line. You just can't money line it anymore. Let me look at the five dimes. Well, it might be a good thing. Maybe it's going to lose because you said you liked that. Crip liked it. No, I mean, no, no. I didn't say I liked something. You got to no, run. No, I didn't say I liked it. I said I was going to bet five hundred. That's what I would oh. bet anyway. But let me let me. Well, you both like Chicago tonight. What the hell happened? Yeah, it's it's every, it's gone everywhere. It must have been at not oh five. It must have been. It, well, maybe it started. It was supposed to start earlier. It said one fifteen on my one book, oh, but okay, I, I said one fifteen. I missed. I missed. Betting we could it, bet it live. I missed betting it. No, I'm not going to bother. I, I missed betting it by moments. That's fuck it. Yeah, you got a show to do. I got a show. So to how do. you been doing, man? Good or what? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something that happened the other day. On Tuesday night, I was playing on uh, Ignition, and I actually got down. 267 big blinds. I was down 267 big blinds in a single game. That's in, a lot. In, in limit hold'em, which is is not easy to do. In a single game of limit hold'em, I got down 267 big blinds. And for the first time in my life, I actually came back from it. I actually got that money back the same night on the same session, same I table. Think, did, you put, did, did you post that? I tweeted it. Something about that? Or, or, or did I? Yeah, I, I read the tweet, actually. I'm on your... Twitter, actually. Or something. I, I, I did read that, though. You said something about that. I did read it. Yeah, well, so good for I, you, man. That's the first time I've ever done that. Now, I've won more than 267 big blinds in one session, but it, never have I gone down that much and then come back in the same session and finished up or even. Never. Never in my almost 20 years of playing poker have I ever done that at Limit Poker where I was down 267 blinds and came back. But that, that happened. Now, the one thing I will never eclipse, something I'll never outdo was when I won 1,500 blinds over three days on Cake Poker in 2007. That's That was insane. Oh, Cake I, Poker. What happened to Cake Poker? Uh, it became a fail site. <laughs> it was, <laughs> no, it was 5,100 5, limit hold'em, and I won 75K there in three days. It was insane. Wow. And it was uh, mostly Do you remember the, that one site? I, do you remember? The, it was called the Poker Room. It was called just Poker Room. Yes, I remember that. Do you remember? Yeah, you, remember. you don't remember that I site? I do. I remember it. Yeah, I played on there. Yeah, you could like like set up your own game. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. That's the most money I ever won in poker. I had no clue. I just watched uh, poker on the Travel Channel. <laughs> Seriously, remember that? I'm not even kidding you. Anytime I got an ace, I just start fucking going crazy, and I fucking won so much money it was pathetic. <laughs> and then I played Micon, and the rest is history, brother. On you, WSB, you lost the Micon? No, no, no. Listen, yeah, I did lose the mic on when uh, I had Ace King. The flop came, Ace King three had pocket. It was like five in the morning too. Judonk and everybody was around this guy. I told this story before. Everybody was in the chat at WSEX for my. That's how I found. Never. Oh, that's poker. how you found us. Okay, many years ago. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Because I said, "You motherfucker!" I mean, the flop came, Ace King three. It's five in the morning. It was no limit too. I lost like twenty four hundred dollars on the hand. But I mean, what do you want me to do? I flopped Ace King. I didn't know he had threes. And we were playing for a long time, but it happens. I just wish I got the the twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin he sent back in the day. I don't know where the hell what happened to it. 
Well, yeah, back in the day, they were giving away like yeah, like like several. Remember, he was giving that out. Everybody yeah, they were was like, "What the fuck are you talking?" They about? They were giving away like two Bitcoin there, like ten bucks worth <laughs> when it was worth five bucks each. Imagine if he just like did nothing. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have a. Seals, I don't know what happened. To we're it. gonna have a seals with clubs. Micon story. Uh, there's a, there's a new story tonight. So that'll be one of the. I know. I read it already, man. I was did. I was being bad in your poker room. I was calling Trader Ruski even gay. I said, if you're not gay, I'm sorry, bro, but fuck you, faggot. Yeah, see, uh, because I said I'm gonna. Well, hey, I gotta say what I gotta say, man. I'm bringing the old. I'm bringing old school back. Never went poker, bro. See, that was. I knew as soon as I brought that story about the controversy that people are people are gonna try to emulate what happened there over on my site. So then, then I look bad. <laughs> I'm kidding around, man. Get the hell out of here. What the hell? That was. Those were good times. Yeah, no, they were. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they're still good times now, bro. I mean, but. Everybody's getting old. We're getting I know, old. I know everybody's getting older now. It's different. I know. I probably would have gone harder with We're that prank call. We're all taking Xanax and shit now, man. What the hell is going on? I probably would have gone harder with that prank call 10 years ago. I just couldn't do it. Uh, I know. Yeah, you would not. You'd, uh, you'd still be on the phone with her. <laughs> <laughs> you have never answered my call 10 years ago. Yeah. All right, bro. I'll let you go. Maybe I'll call back. I'm going to stay up for a minute and watch this uh, tennis match. Okay, Hopefully well, it wins. Good, good, good luck. I, I almost hope it loses. Because I didn't all right, man. You down, take but... care of yourself, brother. All right. Good luck. Bye. Good luck, everybody. I can't believe I was I was like seconds away from betting it. I make like maybe I don't know who to root for now. Like on one hand I want bad guy to win, but the other hand I kind of want to see it lose, so I I don't feel as bad for not betting it. Well, we'll watch. Okay, let's call Trader Ruski back and get on with the rest of the show here. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. We're okay. we're back. We're back to normal. Okay. See, I, I got I got a PM from somebody else saying she seemed like a good kid. Hope you can help her. See, at least I got some praise for this. I I, I love the chat room. I thought the I thought the chat was gonna say to me, oh, you know, that was so nice of you. That you know, that's good. You didn't take this too far. And instead, I've got these people. Come on, you screwed it up. Why did you do that? Why did you end the call? Why did you end the prank part of it? So like, can't win here. All right, let's go to the rest here. The top story beyond our our prank call. Is about the Daily Fantasy Sports scandal, which, first of all, they did not cooperate with this show. They did not announce this scandal, or the scandal did not come to my attention, I should say, until right after, and I mean minutes after, I turned off the show on Monday morning. And that was very disappointing, because usually these things just work out perfectly, where they happen on the day of the show or the day before the show, and then we're very topical, very timely. Here, it's, it's like a week old now. But fortunately, because the show is only about four and a half days after the last show, we're not that far. So let's go over what happened here. This is a pretty incredible story here, especially given that the people involved were already known, but not in the, in the daily fantasy sports world, which really brought everyone's attention to it. So Daily Fantasy Sports has had a number of scandals over the years. It is legal in a lot of places, but it's still not very well regulated. And the problem is there's really only two companies, and I think they've merged. Have they, have they merged? I think they did, FanDuel and DraftKings. I think they've even merged. I'm forgetting now. There's been so many different I'm not companies. 100% sure. I know I they were talking about it, yeah. I don't they were know. trying to, but yeah. they might still be trying but to. But whatever, there's there's two giants in Daily Fantasy Sports, and everything else is pretty inconsequential. DraftKings and FanDuel. And they pretty much make their own rules, much like Online Poker did. And they answer to nobody. And it was a problem, because when that happens, scandals occur. 
because these companies will always act in their own self-interest. They will not act in the manner to do things that are right. They will do things that will make themselves make the most money or look the best. The only times they will do the right thing is if they get shamed into doing the right thing, which is kind of starting to happen here. But that shouldn't be the mechanism. The mechanism should be that there's some kind of regulations in place to cover situations like these. And this is to protect everybody. And I'm not usually a big fan of government regulation, but it's necessary where gambling is involved. And this is a form of gambling. People say, oh, Daily Fantasy Sports is not gambling. Yes, it is. It's skilled gambling, like poker is, but it is gambling. And there need to be regulations for it, otherwise it becomes a fiasco. And this story is a good example of it. The main Daily Fantasy Sports scandal that everyone talked about was the insider scandal where... DraftKings employees with a lot of information that the general public did not have would then go play on FanDuel using that information and would kick ass. And when I say that information, they'd see the ownership of of different players because what you're doing in Daily Fantasy Sports is you're, quote, owning players, and then based on how, how your players perform, you get points, and whoever gets the most points wins. That's how Daily Fantasy Sports works. So if you have information on a very large site which players are owned a lot and which ones are not owned very often at all, then that gives you a big edge to win if you play on another site because with a very large sample size of players, it's probably going to be roughly the same. If if there is a player who's pretty much ignored that probably shouldn't be ignored on on DraftKings competition, then it'll probably be the same case on FanDuel because there's such a large number of people playing that uh, it's going to be roughly the same statistics on both sides. So this gave, even though they weren't playing on their own sites, they're playing on each other's sites. And, of course, these employees were kicking ass and making all kinds of money. And amazingly, they didn't even see what was wrong with that for a while until the public really shamed them. So that was a good example of where regulation was needed. Now, this scandal is not quite as bad because it wasn't done by insiders. It was done by people who were not working for a daily fantasy sports site. But it kind of showed about how cheating is rampant in these competitions. And it makes the average person wonder if they have a chance at all, if they play by the rules, even if they're good players. So there's a woman named Jade Roper, who is now named Jade Tolbert, because she got married. And she was on the TV show The Bachelor. She was a contestant there. And she is married to a man named Tanner Tolbert, who appeared on The Bachelorette. So they didn't date each other on the show because these were two different shows, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, but they got to know each other at some like reunion episode or something like that where they get a bunch of the contestants together from the different shows. I don't watch it, so I don't know, but that's, that's how it happened, that they got to know each other, and they found love that way. Instead of finding it through the show, they, they found it kind of uh, through a show where a bunch of people from previous shows got together. So they're married. Jade Tolbert, formerly Jade Roper, and Tanner Tolbert are married. And they, they look like a fairly young couple. I don't know their ages. They kind of look like their 20s somewhere, maybe mid to late 20s. They both entered the Millionaire Maker contest on DraftKings. And each of them entered the maximum 150 lineups. That's the rule in that contest is you can enter up to 150 times. And with each entry, you make your 
line up a bit different. Other, otherwise, you're, you're wasting your entries. You, you make 150 unique entries, and you're hoping that one of these 150 entries is going to be the big winner and beat everybody else. And if you do beat everybody else, then you get a million bucks. So Jade Roper entered 150 times, and Tanner – or Jade Tolbert, Jade Roper, whatever – and Tanner Tolbert entered 150 times. Okay, fine. There's no rule against both of them entering. Even though they're a married couple, they can both individually enter 150 times. As you might guess, though, there can be a problem when two people who are married enter the maximum number of times. Because that could actually be 300 entries for one person, where the second person is just being used as a warm body to get another 150 entries, thus giving themselves an edge. Now, why does this give them an edge? Because they do have to pay for each entry. It's not like they're getting it for free. So what's the problem here? Well, the problem here is that they get extra chances to put together unique lineups that can manage to win. Because the way you win these daily fantasy sports contests is by finding players that are diamonds in the rough, players that are not expected to perform that well, who perform unexpectedly well. And if you have a number of them on your team, then you win. That's really how it works. If you pick the big stars, you pick the big stars also because they're important as well to make points. But you're not going to win because the big stars that you pick uh, perform really well and you get a lot of points because tons of other people will have picked those big stars too. What sets you apart from the crowd are the players that you pick that are not expected to perform really well. So that's – so the more entries you have, the more – possibilities you have to set lineups that will end up meeting that criteria and you'll win and they limit it to 150 for that reason so if somebody enters 300 unique entries versus 150 they do have an edge even if they're paying for all 300 entries so that's called multi-accounting similar to poker multi-accounting which is a, a different problem But still, multi-accounting in poker is considered unethical, such as playing two different accounts in the same tournament. It's even it's even considered unethical if you never end up playing with yourself. Or uh, multi-accounting even uh, on a poker site where you use names on the poker site and where you're pretending to be a second player and people don't know your play style because you've switched to a second account. That's also multi-accounting, and if it's not allowed for everyone, which it usually isn't, then that's also unethical. We've talked about that many times before. So this is multi-accounting on Daily Fantasy Sports, and I just, just explained to you what's unfair about that. So the winner of the contest was Jade, not Tanner. And that immediately made people wonder. Now, the first thing that happened was someone recognized the picture that uh, she had on the Daily Fantasy Sports site. They recognized the picture and said, hey, that's the girl from The Bachelor. So I can't believe this, but I think that the winner here is the girl from The Bachelor. And she admitted, yes, that's me. So at first it's like, oh, wow, a girl from The Bachelor won the Millionaire Maker on on, uh, DraftKings. Now, as you know, in poker, it's very, very male-heavy. For example, the main event at the World Series of Poker gets like 97% men. Some other events, not quite as much, but it's it's very, very male-dominated in poker rooms. And if you walk into a poker room, you're going to see it's it's really, really heavily skewed male. Daily Fantasy Sports is worse. 
as male as poker is, daily fantasy sports is even more male. There's there just are not very many females who do it. It just doesn't appeal to women for whatever reason. There's a few women who play, but it's not common. So to see not only a female win the Millionaire Maker, which I'm not even sure has happened up to this point, but a semi-famous female, at least famous in the reality show world, that kind of raised some eyebrows. Like, wow, I had no idea that uh, this chick who appeared on The Bachelor was a Daily Fantasy sports stud. <laughs> who knew? So people already were starting to wonder. And it may seem sexist. Oh, they're suspecting the girl doesn't really know Daily Fantasy sports, so it's got to be cheating. But to be honest, uh, that does make it more likely. We've seen this in poker before where a girl who's not a known player wins a big tournament and then it turns out her boyfriend or her brother or something is, is actually the real person behind the account. We've seen that before in poker. And there are some excellent female poker players out there. So I'm not talking about those players. I'm talking about just when an unknown girl shows up and wins an online tournament. Uh, it is reasonable to suspect that it could be multi-accounting because poker so heavily skews mail and because there is a multi-accounting problem in poker. So same thing in daily fantasy sports because there are so few females in it and because she never had talked about being into daily fantasy sports at any point in any of the interviews or anything like that. It wasn't even known that she was a daily fantasy sports player. It's not impossible that she, she was or that she recently got into it, but people were really suspicious. Well, they got even more suspicious when they realized that her husband also played with 150 entries. So, okay. Is it possible that these were really all of her husband's entries and it was just 150 were submitted under her name? But then it was looked at who they picked. And there was a problem. That the quarterbacks that were picked were pretty much different for the ones she picked for her 150 entries and the ones he picked for his 150 entries. And that really made it look like that they were in cahoots to make sure their lineups were as different from one another as possible. That gave gave them the greatest chance to win. Because the more they had overlapping lineups, the less valuable their entries would be. Because, well, I'll give you an example. Let's look at quarterback Drew Brees. If they had Drew Brees on a lot of their entries on both ends, on his and hers, then if Drew Brees has a bad game then that ruins all those entries. So the, the way to do this is to spread everything out thin. And the way you can spread everything out thin is he takes certain quarterbacks, she takes certain quarterbacks, and they spread it that way. So someone broke this down. It was found that Tanner, 39.33% of his entries had Drew Brees. Jade Roper, zero. 32.67% of Tanner's entries had Russell Wilson. Jade, zero. 26.67% of Tanner's entries had Carson Wentz. Jade had 2.67%. They both barely had Tom Brady, both exactly 0.67%. They both barely had Kirk Cousins, 0.67% and 1.33%. What happened there is uh, they just decided they were not going to go for Brady or Cousins. Uh, they didn't think that those two were going to do well that day or that week. Josh Allen, it was the reverse. Jade had 31.33% of lineups with Josh Allen and 
Tanner had zero. Deshaun Watson, 32% for Jade, zero for Tanner. Ryan Tannehill, 32% for Jade, zero for Tanner. Then Taysom Hill, they both had zero. Marcus Mariota, they both had zero. Well, this is about statistically impossible that if they independently worked on their lineups that it would have broken down this way. That there were four quarterbacks that they either didn't have at all or barely had, both of them. Then there were three quarterbacks that Taylor had and Jade either didn't have at all or, or barely had. And there were there were three quarterbacks that Jade had and Taylor and Tanner didn't have at all. So that's obvious what happened. You'd have to be a moron to believe that they did not, at the very least, discuss their lineups and make sure that they don't have this overlap, which is against the rules. So whether these were all Tanner's entries, and he just put 150 under her name, or whether they discussed this together to collude to pretty much to split the entries so they don't uh, have any entries in common, or many entries in common where they, uh, they have the maximum chance to win, this is against the rules. So that already was suspicious, but it goes beyond that. A guy named Chris Randone, who is one of Tanner's friends, I think he was also someone who was associated with uh, The Bachelorette. But Chris Randone tweeted, Oh my God, congrats to my boy Tanner for winning the fucking Millie Maker. Let's fucking go! Well, one little problem. Tanner didn't win the Millie Maker. That was won by Jade. (laughs) Oops. He congratulated the wrong person. Now, this Chris Randone, who's who's become a good friend of Tanner's, how would he not know that it was Jade winning and not Tanner? Why would he say Tanner won it if Jade won it? So someone brought this up. Said, care to explain why you deleted this tweet? Oh, he also deleted the tweet when people brought an issue to this. He said, uh, care to explain why you deleted this tweet where you congratulated the wrong person? You said you were on the phone with them, but forgot that Jade was the winner? This doesn't sound suspicious at all. And then Chris Randone said back, Travis, I deleted it because I wanted Jade to get the proper recognition for the community. So do what you want with that. There's nothing to hide here. <laughs> so his, his friend screwed up big time. So between that and people recognizing Jade there, what's so stupid is if they wanted to get away with this, they could have just hid who they were. They didn't have to have a picture up of themselves to where it was obvious to people who were fans of The Bachelorette or The Bachelor that it was these people they had seen on TV. In fact, they didn't even have to know it was a girl. I'm not sure if they publicized the names of the winners or not. They, they may not. I don't think they do. I think they just, you just, they just do it by screen name. So they could have made a screen name that kind of sounds male but is really registered to Jade, and this would have never been caught. Because I don't think that DraftKings would have policed this on their own and looked bad. Because first the news comes out that a reality show star wins their millionaire maker, a female reality show star, which makes them look great, makes it kind of look like anyone can win. Like, hey, this this chick on the on The Bachelor, who by no means seems like a sports prodigy, can win the millionaire maker, then hey, anyone can, right? And then it turns out they were cheating. So this has been getting worse and worse, and everyone has pretty much come to the conclusion that, yes, this had to be 
uh, collusion and multi-accounting, and this is not good. It's a big scandal. What is DraftKings saying about it? Well, they're they're saying they're looking into it. They're not happy about this. They don't like this type of publicity. There's the constant narrative that people don't really have a chance in daily fantasy sports because people have gotten so good at it that the average fantasy sports player who just wants to show up there and, and take a shot one day has no chance against these people with these powerful analysis tools and these uh, scripts and programs that can instantly substitute uh, a massive number of players in all of their lineups when somebody gets injured. Like there's a, there's a lot of preparation one must go through to really be competitive at this. And if you just try to go there and, and fire a lineup he thinks going to win, you have almost no chance. And that's been a criticism for years that they portray in the commercials that just anyone can do it and anyone has a chance when in reality they really don't. And this was against the rules. It was specifically against the rules to do this. And there really is a rule on there against this uh, this type of lineup sharing or collusion or multi-accounting, whatever you want to call it. So they really made a mistake. They could have gotten away with it. Now, they can pull the records to audit it. They could have caught this on their own, but I don't think they would have been looking for this. I don't think they want to catch this. They don't want the bad publicity here. That's just my opinion, but uh, I think it's because people notice that DraftKings has to address this. And there's a further development since then. An attorney has been hired by Jay Tolbert to try to get paid because it's starting to look like that the only thing DraftKings can do at this point to save face is to not pay her. So she has hired a prominent sports attorney. Alan Milstein. I wonder what religion he is. An attorney named Alan Milstein. I think he might be Muslim. Anyway, Alan Milstein has litigated on behalf of Alan Iverson, Carmelo Anthony, Maurice Colorette, and others. And he has been hired by Jay Talbert. And according to an article on Card Player analyzing this, this is one of the few good articles I've seen on Card Player recently. Most of the Card Player articles are kind of garbage, but this is one of the few good articles. It was analyzing the situation, and it was saying that this is unlikely to go to trial. By the way, Card Player also mentioned that of the 300 lineups submitted between them, 298 of them were completely unique. <laughs> what they're saying here is that even though Jade Tolbert has this legal counsel, that there's a few reasons this is not going to go to trial, most likely. Number one, all players have to agree prior to playing that any dispute will be settled by binding arbitration. So that's the first thing, that they can hide behind that and say, nope, you have to do binding arbitration. Second, in their terms and conditions, they also reserve the right to force any player to submit an affidavit that attests that they have complied with the terms of service. So they can try to force Jade to do this, and if she says that she complied with the terms of service when she really didn't, she'd be committing perjury, and she may be uncomfortable with submitting such an affidavit, which she agreed through their terms to submit once she enters. So they can do that. But on the other side, on the other end, 
a trial would uh, also cause a problem for DraftKings because they're actually trying to go public later in 2020, according to this Card Player article. And if they're involved in litigation, then this could force DraftKings to have to share private records and executives to have to answer questions in court. And then government officials who are already a little, a little skeptical and questioning of the whole daily fantasy sports industry in the first place could find out new information that gets revealed in these trials that would make them uneasy about uh, the company going public. They could throw a wrench in the whole thing. So it looks like DraftKings is not going to want to go to trial. First of all, they can force them into binding arbitration. And, and, and second, uh, even if the, uh, the plaintiff attempts to get around that and take this to trial, DraftKings is going to really try not to get it to trial because of this reason. They want to go public. They don't want this matter interfering. So it's assumed there's going to be some settlement, maybe even a confidential settlement, and that'll be that. That's right now what is believed was going to happen, that this may not even get arbitrated. It may actually just be settled. Maybe they should, uh, should have uh, Eric Benzamokin arbitrate. He'd be good for this. That I know he does. We have that in our commercial. He does arbitration and mediation. But this may not even get arbitrated. There may just be a settlement, and we may never find out exactly what they settle. They may just eventually announce that the two parties have come to settle, nobody admits wrongdoing, and maybe they'll make it clearer to everybody in the future about the rules and maybe have people accept some additional terms before playing in the future. This is just my guess, that they will forfeit their prizes if there's any form of collusion or lineup sharing or multi-accounting. But this is pretty bad, and it just highlights again that there need to be some rules here. I'm not saying daily fantasy sports is bad. It just it needs to be regulated. There need to be some rules in place with consequences for cheating. And there need to be consequences also for daily fantasy sports sites that act unethically as well, which we've seen various times over the years. It's not always just players cheating or acting unethically. Sometimes the companies have been acting unethically, such as the big scandal a few years ago involving the shared lineups. Not the shared lineups. The, the lineups that were set with information that came from being an insider. This is the problem. They regulate themselves, and there are no rules. And when you have no rules involving any form of gambling, it goes very bad. It always does. We have a poster on the forum, a frequent poster of the forum. Also listens to the show. goes by Sanilmar. He's from Massachusetts. And he's very anti-regulation. He's a believer that the free market should just dictate how these sites survive and operate and how well they do. And that the free market will take care of the problems. And he makes fun of me for supporting some form of regulation here. And every time there is a problem with regulation, then he points to it and says, ah, ah, see, regulation didn't solve your problems. But look, we have a perfect example in poker of what happens when there's no regulation. Ultimate bet. We have another perfect example. Full tilt. I think those terrible examples, full tilt stealing all the money, you be directly cheating players by looking at their whole cards and then stealing all the money afterwards, 
these are about as bad as they could be. You can't get scandals much worse than that. Think about it. Think about it. Could, could any poker scandal be worse than what happened at UB and Full Tilt? No. We, we got the very, very worst. So whatever problems regulation may have, it's preferable to the alternative of no regulation. When there's no regulation, companies misbehave and players get screwed. And there's little to no recourse. So that's why there must be regulation. And Daily Fantasy Sports is no exception. And you know what? If there were criminal penalties for doing something like this, then people like Tanner and Jade Talbert would not be doing it, probably. I don't think Tanner Talbert would be submitting 300 lineups knowing that he could go to jail if he was caught doing it. So there should be penalties that players will suffer if they cheat, including possible jail time, depending upon what they did. In this case, I don't think jail time would be appropriate, but I think confiscating the winnings would. There has to be some sort of consequence. If you do it and get away with it, even when caught, then there is no disincentive to do it, or not to do it. You, uh, you have to believe there is a consequence that will be unpleasant enough to dissuade you from cheating. Otherwise, why not cheat? Other than having moral objections to cheating, if you don't mind cheating to get ahead, you should. I hate to say this on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, but if you can cheat and there will be no consequences from getting caught, from a self-interest standpoint, it's correct to cheat. I wouldn't do it, but I can see why some people would if there's no consequence. There needs to be a consequence. Now, they can take away the money here, according to the terms of service, but she's retained this lawyer, and as I said, it's probably going to get settled at a court. She'll get something. She won't get the million bucks, but she'll get something. She really doesn't deserve anything. They knowingly broke the rules. Now, had they entered fewer than 150 combined entries, let's say they did 75 and 75, or 75 and 70, whatever, something that just didn't add up to more than 150, then it wouldn't matter. Then it would not matter because it's the same thing as one person entering all 150. It doesn't matter what name is technically behind it. It doesn't give them an edge. It's not like poker where you're playing against the opponent and trying to figure them out. In daily fantasy sports, it doesn't matter who submits the lineups. It just matters what the lineups are. It's the fact that they were able to eclipse the 150 limit and do 300, do double of it, and do all these unique entries, which gave them a much better chance to win. That's the big problem. That's what gave them the edge that nobody else had, unless there were other multi-accounters. Then maybe others did have it, but just didn't win. But this is exposing yet another problem, and I have a feeling this would have never been caught if the winner was not someone who was already known from something outside of Daily Fantasy Sports. So who knows how many other winners were also multi-accounting. And it just reminds people, it just reminds them that there's a lot of things about Daily Fantasy Sports you don't know, and who knows how many of these winners are really playing by the rules. And it sucks. You may say, well, you can say the same thing about poker. There's cheaters in poker. There's multi-accounters in poker. Yes, but... Some of these ways you can cheat in daily fantasy sports actually give you a bigger edge. What they did here gives them a bigger edge in that contest than multi-accounting would in a poker tournament. It does. 
The only way multi-accounting would give a bigger edge in a poker tournament is if you end up at the same table with yourself and dump chips to yourself. That's the only way that could be a, a bigger edge. Uh, otherwise, while it's an edge to multi-account in a tournament, this is even a bigger edge. So it's bad. What can I say? So we will see if there's any fallout from this. I wonder if even DraftKings going public, if this will affect it at all. DraftKings not happy this has happened. This is the last type of publicity that they wanted. You hear any publicity is good publicity. This was not. This was bad publicity, especially in a year where they are hoping to go public. All right, let's do some Postle talk. We have three Postle stories this week. I get questions every week. What's going on with Mike Postle? Well, I'm going to give you an answer. We have three different Postle stories. The first one involves Mike Postle currently refusing service of the civil lawsuit filed against him by lawyer Mac Verstandig. And I had wondered about this. I had wondered if Mike had been served when Mac had announced the lawsuit, because it seemed like Mac announced the lawsuit on the day he filed it. And sometimes attorneys won't do this because they want to surprise the person that they are serving. Now, I assume, I know Mac's not a dumb guy, I assume he thought that this is high-profile enough that he might as well just announce it and they'll catch up with Postle at some point, and it's just kind of a, it may be a little bit more of a pain in the ass, but he didn't want to wait any longer. But whatever it was, I, I had assumed maybe he was already served, but no, he was not. And we found this out because Postle has been avoiding service. Here's what's been going on here. This is according to an article by Haley Hintz on VegasSlotsOnline.com, which is where she seems to be writing nowadays. She seems to have mostly moved from FlushDraw. She still occasionally writes on FlushDraw.net, but now she's writing more on VegasSlotsOnline.com. The reason she does this, by the way, is she's a free re- freelance writer, so whoever pays her for her work, for her articles, which are very good, then that's where she writes. That's like some affiliate site for online casinos but she writes news they have a news section so she writes news for them so here's what happened with my postle and the service this article was from january 8th so just two days ago apparently he had not been served the summons yet and uh mac verstandick filed an affidavit of service declaring Summons return ex- returned executed, and a sworn supplement describing those circumstances where they had attempted to serve him and they were unable to do so. So what happened was they got a process server to serve Postle in late December. And the server was just unable to get Postle to come to the door and was unable to find Postle outside his house to serve him. For those of you that don't know, to serve someone, you have to either physically hand them the papers, physically see them and have them see you, and you like throw the papers at them. That's also fine, believe it or not. Uh, also, if the, serve, the, the person who's doing the, the serving can swear that the person saw them and was told that the papers are being served and that the person acknowledges this, such as like a little window in the door. Someone looks through the window and you say, hey, I'm here to serve you papers, and the person runs off. Uh, you can claim they're served. I believe that's the current law in California. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's, it's something like that. 
Well, on December 19th, 22nd, 24th, 29th, and 30th, the server just couldn't find Postle. I don't know if he was home, but he probably was and probably was just avoiding service because Mac had publicized that they're suing Postle. So Postle obviously knows not to answer the door if somebody is uh, coming that he's not expecting. So after five attempts, Mac Verstandig decided, okay, this is going to go on forever. Postle is never going to answer the door, and he's probably careful when he leaves the house that there's not a process server waiting for him. So screw it. <laughs> so Mac went down to Mike Postle's house. This is what Mac Verstandig wrote. On Friday, January 3rd, 2020, at 9.21 p.m. local time, so it wasn't even during the day, it was <laughs> after 9 o'clock at night, I approached the residence and put the street address of where Postle lives in Antelope, California, where I understand Michael L. Postle to reside. While at the house, I interchangeably knocked on the door and rang the doorbell announcing my presence for a period of approximately eight minutes. <laughs> he was banging on Postle's door for eight minutes straight. That's a pretty long time to bang on someone's door. I don't feel bad for Postle, by the way, because he's a cheater and a scumbag, and he's avoiding service. But that's funny. I hope it was at like five in the morning or something. It was at nine twenty-one p.m. But uh, he's sitting here, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, knock 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 knock, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, and Postle's like, "Will this guy ever go away? It's been eight freaking minutes." I know. That weasel's probably, like, hiding behind the couch. Well, listen. He, what? he thought he'd go away quickly, and well, then he could have, like, stayed there for... Well, there's more to the time. story. You, you, you're, you're pretty close to correct. Verstandig went on to write, While at the house, I... Oh, I read about the, about the eight minutes. Uh, yeah, I, I... I knocked on the door and rang the doorbell, announcing my presence for a period of approximately eight minutes, during which time I observed the lights to be on in the house. I observed a Lincoln MKX with California license plate, blah, 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 to be parked in the house's driveway, and I heard noises emanate from inside the house. Aha. So Mac is like, oh, well, Postle is home. He heard noises. He saw what appeared to be Postle's car in the driveway. He's like, okay, this fucker's home. I'm just going to wait him out. So after those eight minutes, Mac pretended that he left, and uh, he got in his car. And he left his lights and engine off and just watched the house. Now, Postle could have been watching him and saw that he never drove away, but, but then again, maybe he wasn't. Maybe Postle didn't want to peep his head anywhere and be seen. So he wanted Postle to eventually kind of look out the window and see that there's no one standing out there. So then Mac wrote, I saw a male meeting the description of the defendant whose description I know from viewing a myriad of photographs, inside the house, standing atop of the stairwell. At this juncture, I returned to the door of the house, commenced to knock on the door and ring the doorbell interchangeably once again so as to announce my presence. I witnessed movements through a window curtain and noises drawing nearer to the door upon which I was knocking. <laughs> so he, saw, he saw a curtain move. He heard noises. He had seen Postle at the top of the staircase through the window. Then he said he placed the summons and complaint in the above-referenced action between the security door and the front door of the house, calling out for the defendant. 
Upon returning to his car, Mike Postle said, I again witnessed movement inside the house through windows affording a view of the upstairs portion of the house. So basically, he's submitting this to the court, saying that Postle just was never around to be served, just always seemed to be avoiding it throughout uh, five attempts in December, and that Verstandig himself, who who normally can't serve it, normally the attorney can't uh, perform service, but the attorney went down to observe the situation and said that he saw Apostle hiding and refusing to answer the door and refusing to accept the summons. And he's, he's basically trying to get the court to just declare him served. That he, he left the summons there, kept announcing who he is, and that this, this should be sufficient because otherwise they're never going to serve him. And the judge decides this, that because this, this is how they eventually get someone served if they are avoiding service. This is how people can't get out of being uh, served with a lawsuit if they just never answered the door. Now, it's up to the judge. That's why they have to dress like the pizza delivery guy and stuff. Yeah, well, it, it is up to the judge. Like Sometimes they say, well, we can't find the, the plaintiff to serve him, and the judge says, or the defendant to serve him, and they say, well, tough luck. You know, go find him. But when they can show that he was actually avoiding service and they can swear in court that this type of stuff happened, sometimes the judge will rule that he served, and that's that, and it goes forward. Also, remember that Postle had an attorney. Remember that ridiculous attorney who said that Postle, uh, he said something like, uh, well, uh, I'm a bad poker player, and I always lose, so if I always lose, couldn't that mean that someone like Mike Postle, who's a good player, always wins? That was, that was his rationale as to why Postle was innocent. So this attorney's name, uh, William Portanova, is involved, and all attorneys are considered officers of the court, and they're not supposed to pull these shenanigans. So if you know somebody has an attorney representing them, you can actually serve them through their attorney. And the attorney is actually supposed to accept service. So once somebody has an attorney, typically that's it, game over with avoiding service, because attorneys are supposed to uh, accept service, even if their client doesn't want them to. Because, as I said, they're like officers of the court. Well, that didn't happen here because Mac Verstandig attempted to get this done through William Portanova, who was one who claimed he was Apostle's attorney. But uh, he said he initially spoke to Portanova about accepting service on Apostle's behalf. And then Portanova said he's going to confer with his client and get back to him. And... Then, shortly after that, Portanova called back uh, Verstandig and said, Actually, I'm a criminal attorney, and I'm actually not representing him on any civil matter, so I'm actually not his attorney as far as this is concerned. This is a civil suit. So, uh, sorry, I can't accept service. (laughs) So, uh, Verstandig wasn't satisfied with that answer. But then when he tried to call Portanova again, he just wasn't getting called back. Portanova wasn't taking his calls and was not calling him back, according to Verstandig. So he gave up on that. And in the filing, it said that uh, Portanova's failure to respond after speaking with the defendant, the professional 
The, the professional process server's five unsuccessful temp, attempts, the defendant's failure to respond to a litigation hold letter he was sent to me prior to the suit being filed, the severity of the allegations lodged against the defendant herein, the nature of one or more ongoing criminal investigations into the defendant's behavior implicated herein, and the totality of the circumstances. These are the reasons that he felt that uh, the judge should just declare him served. So the presiding judge in the case, Morrison C. England, is going to assess this entire situation and figure out if uh, he'll just declare him served and move forward. And once that happens, then Mike Postle will have to retain an attorney, whether it's this uh, Portanova or someone else, and then file a response. And then the case will start to move. Now, these are all slow, by the way. Don't expect that next week I'll be telling you major developments in this case, but at least this is something. This is part of the reason it's been slow, is because they haven't been able to serve Postle. Justin Caradis, who also was named in the suit, if you remember, we mentioned on a previous show that he responded and basically was uh, waving service, that he was saying, uh, you can consider me served, you don't have to physically serve me, and one advantage to doing this is if you lose, you don't have to pay for the cost of service. So he actually uh, responded with a uh, waiver of the service of summons on November 15th. So he, no problem with serving Justin Caradus. He already waived that. Just a matter of possible. And then there's a matter of stones, but uh, a business is very easy to serve. The, biz- the, the stones uh, card room can't just get up and walk away. It's there and it's open, so... By definition, they can be served. So the only one that they can't serve here is Possel. And soon that may be over. But what's not over is our update as far as the Mike Possel situation. We have two other Mike Possel matters. A poker fraud alert exclusive where I did a little investigation into something that was being referenced both on 2 Plus 2 and on Twitter, mostly by Veronica, the original whistleblower who we had on this show, but nobody fully understood it. And I decided that I'm going to help. I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to clarify for everybody, which I did. So Veronica was complaining that she was very frustrated. You could tell like Veronica is just not over this, which I don't blame her. Like this is very traumatizing, this whole thing for her. She's the one who called it out. And a lot of people, myself included, consider her to be a hero in this situation, but she went through a lot of crap. She trusted Possel. She trusted Justin Caradis. She uh, trusted Stones. She was a commentator there. She personally got cheated. She was uh, talked down to like she didn't know what she was talking about when she really did know what she was talking about, and only when she brought it forward did uh, she finally get some recognition. But when she brought it forward, at first they were uh, casting doubt and making it look like she was stupid in the responses from Stones, and then people attacked her who were friends of Apostles. So she went through a lot of crap, and we've we've talked about that many times. And not surprisingly, she's not over that yet, and she's part of this lawsuit, but she's really, really hoping that the guilty parties suffer some consequence. And she's been frustrated watching this sham of an investigation which they claim they'd be doing. Remember I mentioned last week that an attorney who was doing this, quote, independent investigation, 
clearly wasn't independent because he had represented Stones in the past, and now he was actually representing them in the civil matter. And Eric Benzamokin actually texted me after hearing that last week and said, yeah, they, they called off the investigation for sure because that would interfere with the civil lawsuit going on. And that's kind of what I figured, too, that there's no way that this investigation could complete without hurting them in the civil lawsuit. Because if the investigation is favorable to them, then it's conducted by their own attorney, and it would make them just look bad and no one would take it seriously. And if the investigation uncovered anything wrong that they did, that could be used against them in the civil case. So there's no chance they're going to continue investigating now that the civil case has been filed uh, that's either on hold or terminated forever, probably the latter. That's why we haven't heard anything about it. But this has been bothering Veronica, and she was even believing that, hey, maybe everyone's just accepting the fact that they're investigating themselves again. Maybe everybody has no problem with the fact that Apostle is creating sock puppet accounts and sock puppet blogs to defend himself under phony names, she said on 2 Plus 2 and on Twitter. So the second thing really made me scratch my head and say, well, what's going on here? What does she mean that Apostle is making fake blogs on behalf of himself under phony names? And defending himself under phony names in comments. Like, how is this possible? How have I not heard about this? Not how is it possible, but how is it possible no one's heard about this happening? Because that was the first I'd heard about it. Well, it turned out the phony account thing she was talking about was a few months ago. I just found out about this from what Veronica was saying. But apparently there was an account on Twitter named Christina Postle that actually had a picture of Mike and a young girl. So it was supposedly Mike's daughter, but it really wasn't, or it was Mike on his daughter's account. It clearly was. And every time there's a video of Postle posted, Christina Postle was commenting, defending Mike. And it was clearly Mike just doing it uh, as his daughter. Very weird. When no one was buying it, then the account deleted itself and the comments disappeared too. I never even heard about this, but that was back in October. Let's get more present. What is this about this blog that she was talking about that was written, quote, anonymously, she said, that was defending Postle that she believed was Mike himself? Someone on 2 Plus 2 suggested that it might have been a reputation management service, that Postle probably bought one of these services to get your Google results better, where they write a lot of positive articles about you and kind of force off the bad things from the front page. There's companies that specialize in this. But when I googled Postle's name, I didn't see any of that. I saw just article after article that told the truth about his cheating. So I said if he did hire a reputation firm, they're not doing a very good job. But I also kind of just didn't believe that was happening, but I had to see this blog for myself. Well, finally I found the blog that Veronica was talking about. And that was rounderlife.com. You know, like the movie Rounders? This is rounderlife.com. Dot com, not rounders life, rounderlife.com. Trader Ruski, have you heard of the big poker blog rounderlife.com? I have not heard of it. I had never heard of it either. It sounds like something maybe you should have heard of, but I've never heard of it. I've heard of Rounders Radio, that was a once thriving internet radio station about poker in the 2000s. I even appeared as a guest on one of their shows one time which now just broadcasts other people's shows, including mine, without my permission, mind you, but I let them do it anyway because I don't feel like asking them to stop. 
because at least we get some exposure. But rounderlife.com, if you go to it, it's a fairly professional-looking site. It looks like a site that could be big with a whole lot of different poker news stories. And uh, it, it looks like a site that could be something that actually is big and has a lot of traffic. And maybe I just am not aware of it. So I thought to myself, okay, Trader Risky, you see my screen here? Am I sharing the screen with you? Um, let me get it. You can look at I it. I, I have it up here. Too. Okay. Yeah, I can see it now. See it? Doesn't that look like a decent site? Absolutely. Yeah. So I was like, wow, I may, maybe this is a, a legitimate news site I've never knew about. But I also knew there's a lot of affiliate sites out there that kind of pose as news sites. Or they do actually cover news like that's what Haley works for is sites like that she doesn't own any of these but she writes news for affiliate sites that want to have a news section so people have a reason to go there and then find the affiliate stuff so I thought this is probably one of those which it turned out it is but there remained the question does this have any kind of traffic or is it a complete fail site well I consulted Alexa not the Alexa you're thinking of not Amazon Alexa but a different Alexa that predated Amazon Alexa. Alexa.com. If you go to Alexa.com slash site info, you can type in any site and get approximate stats for traffic. I say approximate because they don't have access to the actual stats of the traffic coming to each site, but they have like a little uh, add-on that people can add to their browser. I, I don't know what good it does them, but... Whoever has those add-ons onto their browser, it tracks what sites they go to, and then they create stats from that, and it kind of just creates an average similar to like how political polling works. Except unlike political polling, which is very scientific, this isn't scientific at all. So if you have a site that's more likely to be visited by people who won't install that crap on their browser, kind of like Poker Fraud Alert, I think most of my members and even just visitors who aren't members aren't going to install that type of crap on their browser. I know I wouldn't then you're going to be underrepresented traffic-wise. And if you're at the type of site with more naive users who would install that type of crap, then you're going to have a better rating than you deserve. But at the same time, it does kind of give you a rough idea of what kind of traffic a site has. And if you see a site either just not show up on there at all, or a site that has very, very little traffic to where it's like the sixth millionth most popular site in the world, then you know it's a fail site. And if the site shows up pretty high, let's say it shows up as the 3,000th most popular site in the world, then you know it's doing pretty well as far as traffic is concerned. You may wonder, how does Poker Fraud Alert show up on there? Well, we do show up. We are the 283rd... 674,000th most popular site on the internet. And you may say, oh, that sounds terrible. Well, not as bad as you think, because um, a lot of sites that you would think are bigger than ours are showing up with like 1 millionth, 2 millionth. So 283,000, that's not a great Alexa ranking, but it, it's all, it, it does mean the site has some traffic. When I say some, I mean like some... Real traffic, not just the same 30 people over and over, because uh, it wouldn't show up this way if it was just the same 30 people over and over. So I'm like 283,000th in Alexa rankings at the moment, and this goes up and down all the time. Like we go up during the World Series of Poker, as you might guess, and then we go down again. But what about rounderlife.com? 
are they more or less active as far as traffic than Poker Fraud Alert? Well, RounderLife.com, despite its professional appearance, is the 6,669,696th most popular site on the web. (laughs) Which, honestly, I can tell you this honestly, is the very worst ranking I've ever seen of any site that they rank. I've seen worse in that they just don't know a site exists. But if they are aware of a site's existence, I've never seen it ranked that low. Which means basically nobody goes to rounderlife.com. Now, this would make you suspect that perhaps this was just put up. Maybe it was just put up and it was made to look professional. They made, Maybe they put some effort, spent a little money into putting up all these sham articles really just to present one on there that's defending Puzzle. Maybe that's the whole point. Well, no. I went to look in rounderlife.com, and I'll, I'll get to what they were writing about Puzzle in a second. They were established in 2008, and it was established by the same guy who currently owns it. So it's not even like someone grabbed the domain of a defunct site. The site was established 11 years ago by a gentleman named Everett, not Everett, but Everett, E-V-E-R-T, Caldwell, exactly as you'd expect that to be spelled, Everett Caldwell from Panama City Beach, Florida. I looked up Everett Caldwell. He is a poker player. He does not appear to be a professional poker player, unless he's like a cash player that does this professionally. But I, I, from what I can see, he appears to be like a recreational poker player. He does play in some circuit events in Florida and other places near Florida. He has like 7000 something dollars worth of cash's lifetime, according to Hendon Mob. There are some pictures of him. He's 56 years old. He looks 56 years old. And he's the owner of rounderlife.com and has been since 2008. You may say, well, in 11 years, how could this have no traffic? Well, number one, it appears not to have been marketed well. Number two, it hasn't been up the entire time. It kind of goes up and down. He continues to own it the whole time, but it's been going up and down. So I found a version of it in 2011 that looked kind of similar to today, except it was 2011 stories. I found a version in August 2018, which is two months before the puzzle scandal broke, or about a month and a half, I guess, and it looks similar to today, of course, with no Apostle content. But in October 2016, they had a weird message up there where they were in some kind of trademark dispute, and it just settled it, which I'll get to in a second. And then in 2017, the site just didn't exist at all and had a placeholder page. So it's kind of been up and down, but the one consistent thing is whether it had content or not, it never had any traffic. So for whatever reason, Everett Caldwell was never able to market it well or get people over there. And I definitely had never heard of it. He also attempted to start a Rounder magazine, but that seemingly never got off the ground. He does own roundermagazine.com, but if you go to it, it just forwards forwards to rounderlife.com. So the article in question, the one that bothered Veronica and she thought was written by Postle or someone on his behalf, is up there and was posted on January 10th, today. It was probably written about 24 hours ago because it was posted uh, 1.45 a.m. Central Time. So it really was about 24 hours ago. Uh, 11.45 p.m. Pacific Time, January 9th. And this is what it says. And by the way, it does not credit any writer. This really disturbed Veronica because she thought this is like an anonymous article that Postle wrote about himself. But 
He did not. I'm pretty sure he did not. I'm pretty sure that this was written by Everett Caldwell. It says, new numbers cast doubt on Postlegate. Hmm. Breaking news, it says in red. It's been over three months since news of an alleged cheating scandal in a poker live stream at Stone's Gambling Hall in Citrus Heights, California, rocked the poker world. Mike Postle, a 16-year poker pro, is accused of having access to other players' whole cards or receiving an unfair advantage on the Stone's live poker show and allegedly profiting in excess of $300,000 over approximately a year and a half. Veronica Brill, a player and regular commentator in the game, was the first to voice her concerns that Postle might be cheating. Now, let's stop here. This is true, but notice he identifies Postle as a, quote, 16-year poker pro. You can already see there's a bias here. He's already trying to make you think of Postle as a guy who's been a pro, seemingly winning for 16 years. So at least it's more believable that he'd be kicking ass like this. He he doesn't explicitly say that, but that's why he puts a 16-year poker pro. He goes on to write, On the final stream, which he co-hosted on September 21st, 2019, everything came to a tipping point after Postle folded a big hand to poker vlogger Marley Cordero that didn't make sense to Veronica. On September 28th, about a week after the stream, Brill posted some of the hands she deemed suspicious on YouTube, then took to Twitter to publicly voice her cheating allegations. Am I sure this player is cheating? No. Do I think there's a greater than 0% chance that he is? Yes, he quoted. The story gained momentum when poker vlogger Joey Ingram weighed in on the popular forum 2 Plus 2, which now has over 1.3 million views on its related Mike Postle cheating allegations thread. He then began a, a series of live stream investigations, and he put that in quotes, on his YouTube channel Joey Ingram 1. The story drew mainstream media attention after Scott Van Pelt highlighted it on his One Big Thing segment on SportsCenter. And then he quoted what Scott Van Pelt said. A few days later... Ryan Russillo from The Ringer interviewed Joey Ingram, considered the utmost authority on the scandal and head of unofficial investigation credited with solving the case, referring to Joey Ingram. Russillo initially contacted Bob Volgaris, director of quantitative research and development for the Dallas Mavericks, who had been tweeting on his own opinions about the case. And then he quoted uh, Haralabob saying some things about Postle that basically he's a cheater. What I'm witnessing is either a time-traveling wizard, a cheat, or the greatest poker player of all time. Those tweets have since been removed, as was another from Volgaris on October 9th. Volgaris suggested Rocio get in touch with Ingram. So you, you see he's already laying the groundwork here to sow some seeds of doubt in your mind. That Volgaris was accusing him of all these things, but now he's deleted his tweets. Mm, why, why would he do that? Which I don't know. I don't know why... Haralabob removed it, but I don't think he's changed his mind. In his interview with Ingram, Rosillo admitted, after admitting he knows little about poker, repeated the narrative pushed by Ingram that Postle won, quote, 62 of 69 events for a total of 250K. He wouldn't play anywhere else. He would always get up and leave immediately. This guy's walking around shit-talking people. The consensus among the poker community and the aforementioned mainstream media, and he put in quotes mainstream media, is that he cheated. This conclusion was derived in part from, quote, expert, again in quotes, uh, Analysis of hands that he played, but based primarily on his absurd, and he put it again in quotes, win rate. Despite reportedly winning over $20,000 in one session alone, we've been told the stakes were too low to win the 250000 to 300000 amount in the, at, the rate he, at, at the rate he allegedly won, as explained here. Poker pros Scott Seaver and Daniel Negrani were two of the first high-profile pros to speak out publicly, publicly saying, seemingly without a scintilla of doubt, he was cheating. So you can see, this is all to he's all presenting like that a mob convicted Postle in the court of public opinion 
without even giving a thought that maybe he's innocent. That's what this guy is trying to say here. That's why he's putting things in quotes. That's why he's kind of casting doubt upon uh, what Ingram was doing, what people who brought attention to Ingram were doing, and what Scott Seaver and Negreanu were doing. It's supposed to be that one person heard from someone else, heard from someone else, heard from someone else that Possible was cheating and just accepted it as truth when maybe it wasn't. That's what this guy's trying to say here. He went on to write, up to this point, there's been very little public support for Possible. It's not clear if this is due to the fact that there's such overwhelming consensus that he cheated and everyone's in total agreement, or if it's from the fear of being publicly ridiculed if you dare raise any doubt. Hmm. Living poker legend Mike Matisau. Notice he doesn't say that about Seaver or Negranu. Definitely Negranu deserves that title more than Matisau does. I'm not saying that Matisau doesn't deserve recognition for his poker accomplishments, but Negranu is more accomplished in poker, let's face it. Uh, so he, he just mentions Scott Seaver and Negranu just normally, and then living poker legend Mike Matisau, uh, who has conducted the only direct interview with Postle, opted to wait for all the facts to come out before giving his opinion. The reaction for not falling in line has been anything but understanding from the gro- growing social justice mob. He's calling them a social justice mob, which isn't true. This isn't social justice. Social justice would be if somebody's being accused of wrongdoing because the alleged victim is black or gay or transsexual, that is where you could say it's a social justice mob, where someone's taking someone's side based upon their identity as part of some known victim group. But the people involved here are white. (laughs) The people involved here are white and straight, as far as I know. Veronica is white and straight. Mike Postle is white and straight. The other prominent people cheated were white and straight. So this is not social justice at all. Social justice has nothing to do with it. In fact, this is one of the few situations where people who normally were at odds with one another on Twitter and people who had all kinds of different political and social views agreed with one another. This was one of the few times where the poker community was in unity. I commented on that. In fact, that was one of my most liked Twitter posts in a long time, where I commented that this is a beautiful thing. This is the, one of the few times I've ever seen everyone in poker in agreement. But here he's calling it a social justice mob. We've been presented with numerous charts and graphs showing how Postle profited hundreds of thousands of dollars in roughly 300 hours of play. One graph circulated through social media displays how online cheater pot rippers win rate pales in comparison with Postle's. These, quote, indisputable numbers, we are told, prove Postle's guilt. Where did these numbers come from? Who put them together? And can they be trusted as factual enough to destroy someone's reputation? Hmm, destroying someone's reputation. You're trying, he's trying to make you feel bad for Postle here. That maybe he didn't get a fair shake. The first instance we uncovered appears to be when John S., under the username JS84, made a post on 2 plus 2 on October 2nd, which included a link to a chart that he and his friend Russ McGinley created, tallying the data of the streams in which Postle played. John S. lists the bottom line on the report as plus $253,300 in 277 hours of play, winning in 62 out of 69 sessions. The same day, Joey Ingram posted the chart on Twitter. A few days later, on October 7th, in an October 7th Crush Live poker interview, by the way, that's uh, Bart Hansen's site, John S. and McGinley explained the methodology they used to track Postle's win rate. Bart Hansen hailed the two as a couple local heroes. 
In a response to a question posed by Hansen as to how are they able to compile the numbers in such a short period of time, he says that some streams took less than 15 minutes because Postle had a chip lead and couldn't add on, so he was able to, quote, skip ahead. In the interview, he also reveals after their chart was made public, someone else found three more sessions in which Postle profited an additional 25000 From those additional winnings, he concluded that Postle profited, quote, just under 1000 per hour. Okay, I, I already have an issue here because Postle's win rate was so insanely high that even if there were some small errors here, it doesn't matter. It was still way too high, to be real. Even if you cut Postle's winnings in half, which is not true. He definitely won at least half of what was purported that he won. He won far more than half of what was said he won. So who cares if he won 85% of what was reported, or 95%, or 97%, or 103%. It's all the same thing for the purposes of this exercise. It was still an outrageous win rate to where there's no chance it occurred. It would be like, let's say I claimed to have guessed a coin flip 800 times in a row. And you said, no, that's not possible. You, could, you couldn't correctly guess a coin flip 800 times in a row. It's just statistically impossible. And then you find, well, someone finds, wait a minute, Todd didn't actually said he did it 800 times in a row. He actually said that he did it uh, 550 times in a row. So this person saying 800 is way off. You can't trust them. Well, would that matter? 550 times in a row would also be impossible. So it wouldn't matter if it's 550 or 800. It's, it's such an outrageous claim that even something less, even half of it, would be something that just couldn't happen. So it's the same thing here. The exact numbers don't matter. So he goes on to, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but he goes on to have that same sort of skepticism. He wrote, Ingram then inexplicably tries to point out that Postle's win rate is, quote, still completely absurd, despite just proving he has no idea what his win rate actually is, since true profit numbers are required for an accurate calculation. It's the same crap. With each side projecting different, quote, bottom lines, who can we believe? Rather than rely on the narrative, and since the alleged crime happened in public view for anyone who wishes to spend the time to review, Rounder Life Media decided to conduct its own independent investigation into random streams to see how the numbers match up. At the time of this publication, Rounder has over over 40 streams in various stages of review and over 250 man-hours on the case. Wow. In our initial report, we've tallied the results from 14 random streams, all of which were included in the class action lawsuit filed by Mac Verstandig, We've matched our findings against the John S. and Gumstein charts using whichever of those charts listed a lower profit number for Postle. What we've uncovered thus far is that the alleged profit numbers from these charts are not just off, they're not even close. What's being missed are the errors in starting and ending stacks, cash on the table, and add-ons and rebuys, and out-of-pocket chip add-ons, as well as graphical errors which lead to major bottom-line profit discrepancies. So he writes, the total amount of profit listed by Gumstein and or John S. in the 14 streams reviewed was 65392 The total amount of profit listed by Rounder in the same 14 streams was 36883 for a discrepancy of $28,509. Oh, no. 
Oh, no, what a terrible, terrible discrepancy. What a terrible, terrible service this is to Mike Postle, who might be innocent. All right. Again, even he is saying that Postle won more than half of what was claimed in those 14 reviewed streams. Postle's win rate was so insane that half would still prove it. But he goes on blah, 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 blah about how you can't trust this data. But he does not release anything backing up his claims. See, just because he found that Postle won the 60% or so in those 14 streams compared to what was claimed he won, that doesn't mean he's right. Maybe his study was incorrect. Maybe his methodology was wrong. He does not give us data or information to back up what he is saying. He wrote at the very end, over the next few weeks, we will be releasing detailed data on the streams we've examined. We'll also have exclusive interviews and present vital information on other topics related to the case that you won't hear anywhere else. So what's going on here? What is this? Is this Mike Postle's friend? Is it his uncle? Is it his long-lost dad? Could it possibly be that this is the sperm donor to Mike Postle's mother that Mike Postle just discovered? (laughs) Who is it? Who is this Everett Caldwell? We know he plays some poker, but he's not a known player by any stretch of the imagination. Who is Everett Caldwell? And why is he writing this? Why is he so pro-Postle? Why does he seem to be wanting to prove that Postle might be innocent? Why? Remember, the title of this blog is New Numbers Cast Doubt on Postlegate. Everett also doesn't take credit for this. This is not written by any particular person. It just says, story last updated January 10th at 1.45 a.m. Central. That's it. He does not say written by Everett Caldwell, but it probably was written by Everett Caldwell because he's the owner of the site, and I don't believe he has a budget for this site where he's hiring writers and researchers to go through all these hours and hours to prove Postle innocent. But why? Why would he do this? And there's been a lot of sinister suspicions about this blog. Now, I'm the only one who dug in and uncovered whose this was. But still, okay, it's Everett Caldwell, but who is that? We don't really know him, so what is his motivation? Trader Risky, do you wish to take a shot at guessing what Everett Caldwell's motivation might be? I must be a friend or something. I, I, that's the only thing I can think of. Well, let me tell you my theory here. I think that Everett Caldwell is just taking a contrarian view to finally get people to look at his blog and his affiliate uh, deals that have been ignored by the poker world for 11 years. He could never get traffic to the site. That's something that's been consistent the whole way, is he could not get anyone over to rounderlife.com, nor could he find a way to even get the word out about rounderlife.com. Because what does he do if he tries to go over to 2 plus 2 and say, hey, I've got a new blog, rounderlife.com, what's going to happen? They're going to delete the post and ban it. If he goes to Poker Front Alert and tries to say that, I'm probably going to delete the post and ban him. If he if he's a good poster here, I'll probably let him put it at the bottom of his signature, but you know, I'm not going to let people just spam advertisements, nor will any other form owner. So given that he's not a known person in poker, it's hard for him to get off the ground. And yeah, there's ways to do it, but whatever reason, he, just, he hasn't been successful at getting his uh, blog 
to be viewed. So if it's going to be another article agreeing that Mike Postle is such a cheater, who's going to want to read that? We came to this conclusion months ago. But what if you take the opposite point of view? What if someone finds this? I don't I don't know how Veronica found it, by the way. I should ask her. But somehow she found it, and then someone else posted what she was referring to. Well, and if what you say is true, Druff, I'm sure he would have been letting everybody know about it and pushing it out through Veronica's social feeds and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, he may have sent it to her in some way. I don't know how she found it, but somehow she found it, and she she was not posting it. Like, she was complaining about it, and people were like, what blog is it? And she wasn't answering. Then finally someone else said, okay, it's this one. She must have told this person privately or something. But I don't think that this person knows Postle. I don't think Postle is hiring him. I don't think he's Postle's friend. He lives across the country from Postle. He's, like, as old as Postle's father probably is. These two seem to have nothing in common and no common threads linking them. Maybe they're friends from online poker from years ago. Who knows? I, I could be wrong. But I have a feeling because this is an affiliate site that could never get any traction. And I want to show you how Everett Caldwell has really stuck with the dream all these years with RounderLife.com. I mean, yeah, people tried to start all these different poker fail businesses up since the poker boom started. And this is no exception. He started this in 08 and, and most have failed. Most never got off the ground. But most of them are nowhere to be seen in 2020. But this one is. And listen to what he went through in 2016. Mr. Caldwell actually was the victim of a BS lawsuit, it appears. On October 3rd, I think, 2016, rounderlife.com had the following message up on there. And I found this all through the archive.org website where you can look at old versions of websites that they save. It's very useful. October 3rd, 2016, the entire content on rounderlife.com said this. Rounder Magazine and its related assets, including the web domains rounderlife.com and roundermagazine.com, as well as any and all rights to Rounder-related trademarks, including the R logo, have been returned to and are the sole property of its founder, Everett Caldwell. There are no further disputes between Mr. Caldwell and Compass Entertainment Group, LLC, or any other persons named in the trademark lawsuit related to Rounder, which has been terminated. A new Rounder website is under construction. For inf- additional information, please contact Everett Caldwell at ecaldwell at rounderlife.com. Okay. So there was some kind of trademark lawsuit against Everett Caldwell. I mean, how bad does this guy run? Nobody goes to his site except for someone who wants to sue him. So who is Compass Entertainment Group LLC? And why would they, why would they be suing him over a blog nobody's even reading? Well, I don't know why, but I do know what Compass Entertainment Group LLC was. They owned the rights and a trademark to the name Rounder Poker Club. What they were going to do with it, I don't know, but they owned a trademark to Rounder Poker Club. I found this on a trademark tracking website. They also produced the content for the, uh, or at least some content for the 2000s USPC poker tournament series. And uh, Alan Kessler actually posted a question on 2 plus 2 in 2009 asking, who is this Com- Compass Entertainment Group LLC and why are they producing this content, uh, this televised content for the, the Spike TV channel that, uh, uh was going to be televised in the USPC. Like, who is this company? And nobody really knew. 
Their website at the time, compassentertainment.com, is currently down and it's replaced by a GoDaddy placeholder page, which doesn't speak very well for the success long-term of Compass Entertainment Group, LLC. Presumably, when they found rounderlife.com, they felt it was too similar to their trademark of Rounder Poker Club and commenced probably a demand to give up rounderlife.com and then commence a trademark lawsuit against them, which is crazy because rounderlife.com never got going. I mean, it was there, but nobody was going to it. Maybe they didn't realize that. It's really weird. So Everett Caldwell really fought tooth and nail. I don't know if he incurred legal fees. I don't know what the hell, but there was supposedly a lawsuit. I don't know. But eventually he got past it and put up in October 2016 that it's over and that all the rights to use it, including their logo, have been returned to them. So it looks like eventually Rounder Poker Club and uh, Compass Entertainment, they, they backed down, which makes sense. I think that was a bogus lawsuit. Because the term rounder, they didn't invent. The movie Rounders was from 1998, which predates both of these entities. And the term rounder has a meaning in poker. It would be like if I invented a business called, uh, uh, you know, flop, uh, what, what, uh, floplife.com and I write about poker. And someone who's running the flop poker club goes, uh, 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 we own the trademark to flop. I go, no, you really don't. (laughs) Flop is a basic term in poker. Like, that's pretty much what it was like. So I don't know why they went after him. I I could understand maybe if they thought that there was money to be had here or that he was really succeeding. Also, they didn't have a well-known brand. Rounder Poker Club, nobody knows what the hell that is. I don't think it ever existed other than in trademark. So what were they even claiming? It looks like a BS trademark lawsuit. Maybe they're just hoping to collect money. I don't know. But it looks like they finally abandoned it, and then they probably abandoned the company eventually too. But Everett Caldwell has been through a lot for someone who's running a fail blog that nobody cares about. And I'm, I'm stating this, by the way, based upon, number one, my lack of knowledge of rounderlife.com in all my years in the poker industry. And also the Alexa site ra- rankings, which are so bad it's hard to believe that that had any kind of traffic. Because even my site, which is not a huge site by any means, is way, way, way above rounderlife.com in Alexa rankings. And most of my viewers to my site would not install that extension to the browser, which would allow Alexa to track them. So I'm probably underrepresented on Alexa. And he probably would be too, but look at the tremendous difference. So really, just I bet you won't find one person prior to this article who was aware of rounderlife.com. It's very weird, the whole thing. Very weird. But I think this is probably his attempt to get relevant after all this time. Now, maybe he really believes it. Maybe he really believes it. And says, ah, I have a good idea. I think they're unfairly screwing Mike Postle. I think they're jumping to conclusions that he's a cheater with statistics which aren't good. But rather than just think this privately, I am going to write an article that's going to get everyone over to my site to learn the truth that Mike Postle is being possibly wrongly assumed to be 100% guilty. And since I have the contrarian viewpoint, it's much more likely people will read my article than another article saying the same thing that everyone else has been saying. And that's what I think is going on here. I don't think Mike Postle wrote this. I don't think Mike Postle had Everett Caldwell write this. 
I don't think this is a reputation uh, correction thing. I think this is a totally independent guy trying to exploit the Mike Possel situation to get views to his affiliate site and blog. That is my conclusion. I cannot say for certain, but it all makes sense to me. It all adds up, and I would be surprised if I was wrong here. Maybe later I'll find out this is Mike Possel's uncle, but I don't think so. So it's not quite as bad as it appears to be. Nothing to see here is really the end result. So in case you see others talking about this blog and Possel is now having sock puppets come out there defending him, that's what this really is, it appears. And it's the first of its kind, by the way. I, I've seen people defending Possel who were friends of his. And I've seen Possel making phony accounts to defend himself on YouTube. But I have not seen independent people using the situation to get attention to themselves when they don't really know Possel or don't really care much about him. And that's what I think is happening here. Even if the guy really believes it. He may, re- he may really believe what he's writing. But he's also aware of the fact that he's writing this and it will get attention. And hey, it's actually working because, look, I'm giving it attention here on my show. <laughs> so I, I can criticize this and say, ah, oh, he's trying to get attention. He's trying to get clicks. And I'm like, hey, go to rounderlife.com, which you've never gone to and never would go to. Now you're going to go to it because I mentioned it. And by the way, you can go, he's not going to make any money from you going to it. So that's fine. You can go to it. It's not going to help him. Just don't click on his affiliate stuff. That's what I think is happening there. Now, third story about Puzzle has to do more directly with Veronica. Veronica has recently started doing a YouTube show. She did one tonight, in fact. And if, if she did it a little bit later, she would have been going at the same time as us. She had a call-in number. She actually said on her show that there are two call-in numbers, but you can also click on such-and-such such link of whatever service she was using, and you could get a local phone number to call in. <laughs> That would be great 20 years ago. Today, not so much. Uh, Trader Ruski, have you ever, in 2019, attempted to figure out what is a local call to you within the U.S. when you've had to call something? I have not given it a thought. Neither did I. And that's hard to believe, <laughs> given... Well, it's not hard to believe, but it, I would have had a hard time believing this many years ago when that was a very, very big thought on my mind. Because around Los Angeles, it could be very expensive to call someone that's like 30 miles away. In fact, sometimes calling within L.A. 30 miles away was more expensive than calling New York. It shouldn't have been, but it, but it was. And it was very troublesome to me because sometimes I'd be like dating a girl who lives 30 miles away, and I'd be spending a fortune to talk to her on the phone. More than Again, more than I would if I were calling out of state. It's just the what's called local long-distance rates back then were just unreasonably expensive because it was a monopoly that was set. The prices were set by your local phone company. There was no competition between long distance companies. I don't want to get into that whole thing, but I used to obsess over what was local and what wasn't. And cell phones basically did away with that. Well, it was a combination of cell phones and, and all the voice over IP options for making calls. It's just the whole thing of charging for long distance domestically went away in the U S it's still possible to have happen. If you have a plan, like a home phone plan with no long distance, then yes, you can end up still paying pretty high rates to call anything that's not local. And by local, I usually mean like more than 10 miles away. But that's a very antiquated concept. In fact, if you do have a home phone, make sure you have one of these 
unlimited long distance plans unless you like never use the phone to call out. Because really, in 2020, it should not be a thought even for a second in your mind that you need a local number. It should be that if there's a number in the U.S., you just dial it without worry. Occasionally, the old me thinks about it for a second. Like, I'll see two numbers next to each other. I'll see, like, an 800 toll-free number and a regular phone number that's out of state. And I'll almost, like, make sure to call the toll-free number first in fear it's going to cost me money. I go, wait a minute. I don't have to do that. I just, I'm just going to call the local number. Screw the 800 number. A reason I like the local number better is because it cannot see my phone number. Or it probably can't. Whereas the 800 number can. Even if you block your caller ID, 800 numbers can see through it. Why? Because this, this goes way back. This is not just a recent thing. 800 numbers have something called ANI, which is stands for Auto Numeric Identification. And that has been able to see your number long before caller ID even existed. That goes back to like the 80s. And caller ID is a completely different thing. So if you call a regular phone number, it usually will not see through your caller ID block. It can if they have a certain type of voice over IP system in place, but usually it won't. But 800 numbers can and have been able to do this for over 30 years. So that's a reason. There's no way to block your number for being seen by an 800 number. No way. Unless you call through like a third-party service that's not actually completing the call through your phone. That's a little tip for you, by the way. But, yeah, a local number is kind of funny. But let's get, I'm going on a damn tangent here. Let me get back to the whole thing that was happening with Veronica. So she has been doing these video shows on YouTube. Veronica does these video shows because... When you're a pretty girl, you do video shows because people are going to want to watch you. When you're a dude who's almost 50 years old, you don't do video shows because nobody wants to watch you. You guys don't want to see me. You guys know what I look like. You're not going to want to stare at me for six hours. I know it. You'd rather just, just better to listen to me. But, you know, the pretty girl does it. They're going to want to watch her. So she's doing a video show, which is fine. But I did not know this video show existed until very recently. But but someone found, I won't take credit for finding, but someone found some interesting stuff she said on December 9th, a month ago, on her video show. On this show, she was there, and physically sitting next to her was a woman named Alicia. Alicia was in the Postle Games. You may remember her as the drunk black woman who actually did beat Postle in a few pots because she was so drunk she kind of didn't know what she was doing. But uh, she was friends with Veronica. She got to know Veronica through these Stones games. Then they had a falling out because Alicia really liked Postle and really liked Justin and didn't believe Veronica. So they had a falling out. And then as it became obvious what was really going on, Alicia came back to Veronica and said, look, I'm sorry about that. I misjudged it. I'm really sorry for doubting you. And they made up. So they're friends again. Happy ending. But Veronica and Alicia... We're doing this video blog together. Video show, I don't know if it's like blog or show, whatever it is. And it was about an hour long. Actually, it's uh, 43 minutes long, this one, December 9th. And they talked a lot about the puzzle situation. And I'm not going to play you anywhere near the 43 minutes. I'm going to play you a clip for a few minutes where Veronica 
reve- reveals a few things about Justin Caritas, the tournament and stream director at Stones, that you may not have known. Justin's involvement. Because I know this was a shock to me. Because I 100% trusted Justin. Justin has always um, given himself off to be 100% above board, 100% trustworthy, 100% about his word. Now, that's Alicia. Now, if you're listening to this on headphones, you may be noticing a weird phenomenon. When Veronica talks, she was the first one to talk there. It comes in your left ear, and when Alicia talks, it comes in your right ear. And it's because of the headphone setup they're using. Remember, they're sitting there in person, where it must be on some kind of splitter, to where, to where it's it's stereo, but Alicia gets the right side and Veronica gets the left side. It's really odd, even looking at my graphic equalizer on the screen, where I'm seeing one side go way up and the other side's like way down. And it's really strange, one going in one ear, one going in the other. It, it's just, it's it's a really weird thing. I think it's coming through on our show too. By what I see as broadcasting, but just just letting you know, it's not on our end. It's doing that. Do you know that he left his last job because of cheating allegations? That he thought a player was cheating. He went to the general manager about it. They didn't believe him, so he told me he left that job. That's what that was the story that he gave me. How are you just dropping all this on me? Right you didn't now? know that. Never. I know I nothing. You knew that. Okay. So I know nothing, John Snow. That was that was like why he left his last position. No. No, I didn't. Know uh, that about I think him. I think he worked at Starlight or like. Um, no, Justin came from uh, Limelight. He worked at Limelight for a hot moment, but he came from what's the uh, casino that got shut down because they didn't have enough money held back. <laughs> right there off of Highway <gasps> they Sixteen, couldn't, they, they couldn't, couldn't pay the jackpot. Yes, they couldn't pay the yes. bad beat. That's what happened. They didn't have money. They didn't have enough money on hand to pay the bad oh, beat. They it's got shut. Drive me nuts. Down. Yes, yes. I That's mean, where Justin If came you from. have a bad beat jackpot where your employees are pulling out of it or management is, whoo, you had people, get shut down. Had people winning and not being able to be paid out. It's just hard to fathom who Justin presented himself to be. And who I accepted Justin to be. And I guess that's a little bit of, you know, my own ego. Let me stop this for a second. So the first thing they're saying there is that uh, Justin left that position at that casino, according to him, because he saw cheating, tried to report it, and they wouldn't do anything about it. And he was so outraged that he left. Now, this is his story, of course, making himself look great. But then she also notes that the same casino got shut down because they couldn't even pay their own bad beat jackpot. They didn't have the money on hand to pay it, and they got shut down. This was after Justin was there, presumably. I don't know what this really says about him. I mean, he, just because he worked for a bad place doesn't mean he's bad. I, I do think he's bad, but I don't say that makes him seem bad. But it's an interesting history. And according to Alicia, he also worked for the Limelight, which is another small poker room in the Sacramento area for, quote, a hot minute. So he has jumped around jobs. He worked a short time at the Limelight. He worked for this uh, shady casino that got shut down there. And then he went over to Stones, where he developed a good reputation. Listen to Veronica and Alicia talking about how he really made 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 them trust him and how they feel foolish now for it. Was I just so gullible? No. 
I wouldn't say that you were gullible. I believe that we were all in the same boat. I think back at Justin, I would have never considered that he was a part of this. Yeah. Up until like until five you days after, right. after I posted. Yeah. And now looking back, it all makes sense. It was like a narcissist's dream. And I say this all the time, but it was like this narcissist. What, narcissists have a big blind spot in that they have such a big ego. They think they're pulling the wool over everyone's eyes that they have they no believe empathy. their own shit. Right. And they have no <laughs> empathy for other people's perception. Yeah. And yeah. he had that problem where he believed that, okay, I'm going to bring Mike in the booth and everything's going to be all better now. And uh, all of this will be explained away. Obviously, didn't he not give you the information you need? And it was like, well, no, he's terrible at explaining his hands. It doesn't make sense that he's crushing the games. He should be in Ivy's room making millions a year, but yet he's crushing one three and that's it. And so it didn't make sense, but Justin didn't understand that. I think that was like... Justin lacks a fundamental understanding of poker, which, although I'm a terrible poker player, I think I understand that you need to have certain essentials in the game to be good at it. I I think the term that I used earlier with you is something I've used in explaining it to other people. I believe we were just so perfectly groomed. You know, when somebody... I'm, it's hard It's hard on me to hear that. It's so hard explain because you to have people to, what you mean by that. Uh, well, when you take uh, somebody who <clears throat> is hoping to take advantage of another person... Do you think that they had enough foresight to do this as I'm a long-term project to groom I'm us? I'm not going to say that. grooming they. takes long-term... Oh, sister. If it... Oh, sister. <laughs> anyway, grooming is typically used as a term in reference to an adult who manipulates a child for later molestation. That's usually when you hear the term grooming. It it doesn't just have to be used for that, so they can use it this way. But that's typically when you'll hear about grooming. For example, an adult who starts uh, doing a lot of favors for a kid and really nice to him and getting him gifts and, uh, and just acting really interested in his life and trying to help him out as much as possible... That would be the adult grooming the child, and that's usually the process where child molestation happens. Usually an adult doesn't just start touching the kid inappropriately. The adult will seem like the nicest guy, the most helpful guy, someone who would never hurt the child or do anything inappropriate, just a great, great guy, beyond great. And then when everyone trusts him, when the kids trust him, the parents trust him, and everybody lets their guard down, that's when they start doing what they were really planning to do in the first place. And, of course, when they're doing all these really nice things for the kid and taking such interest, it's not that they were so nice and then suddenly became child molesters. They were doing it the whole time with the goal in mind of eventually molesting the kid. So Alicia was referring to this with Justin, that uh, even though this wasn't of a sexual nature, that he was grooming them, that he was going to rip them off at some point or do something sinister. And that's why he was so overly nice and came off as such a great guy is that he knew eventually he's going to do something that's screwed up to them. Even if he wasn't planning with Possel the whole time that this was what they were going to eventually do. That's what Veronica is asking. Like, do you really think that the whole way that they were planning this? And she says, no, no, no. Well, then you could really be grooming. Oh, sister, you don't even know. So let's hear what Alicia has to say about that. 
if it is, if, if that is who you are, if that's how you're built, it's not even a thinking I'm grooming you. It's just simply let me get these people ready to accept what I'm about to shove down their throat. And it, did he not shove this down our throat? You know what's funny is that Justin is an ex-pastor. Yes, did you that, know that I do know. This is such a church thing. Yes, it is. It is such the, if you're talking Ooh, about girl, grooming, you, you are about you, you gonna but you set on fire. And set, <laughs> <laughs> are we gonna go down? It is. Now? It is. Why do you think those people drank that Kool Aid and they all died? Because <sighs> Kool Aid is good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying it is such a like. It's such a like. Give all yourself completely. Believe what the pastor's telling you. It's kind of like that. He's like, this is the word I am spreading. Right. How are you not believing what I'm saying? Right. Everything I say is true. Right. And none of us should have critical thinking and analyzing the situation. So, so if you're going to continue that thought process, the person who is doing the grooming believes very little of the person they're being they're grooming, right? Or believes that they're just so gullible that. Their word is so strong that their belief is so strong. Right. So me coming to Justin saying, I, I think like something's going on with Mike. He might be cheating. And he's like, you don't just don't understand. Yeah. You You just just don't don't understand. understand. Let me explain it to you. Yeah. And let me get my toothpick out so Mm -hmm. I can (laughs) pick it. He did like the toothpick. He did. People, people who don't know him don't know this. And I'm like, this is a thing that it he is. did. Did he do it in front of you too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so gross. I hate it. I hate people flossing and picking their teeth in front of me. Hygiene's important, but not in front of someone while you're telling them they're wrong he, and he, no one's cheating. It was his thing. It was his thing. Definitely. And, and again, that's just him believing so highly in himself that these rules of norms don't apply to me. Anybody could have told right. him a million a, and one times, you know. It's a narcissist kind of, thing. It really, you love that word. It's fucking the best word I have for this situation for Justin. I don't even think Postle was that much of a narcissist. I think he's a fumbling, lightly idiot. Which is why I said they didn't groom. I don't think that Postle I think there was, was some friction between the two of them. Before we get into the friction between them, they do raise a good point. That often when people are scamming or ripping someone off or even ones that are known to engage in these grooming behaviors where they just come off as so nice and so friendly and so helpful, where they tend to struggle is when they are called into question on a public stage where they're really – their feet are held to the fire. They're, they're good at giving quick, immediate excuses, but when their feet are really held to the fire, they – aren't good at handling it because they're not used to handling that. They're not used to handling like a mass skepticism of them. And they don't even think that far ahead because they're so proud of themselves and believe themselves to be above those that they're tricking that they think this is not going to happen. No one's going to figure it out. So they don't even think that far ahead of what am I going to say if we get caught? And then they, the responses they give are laughably bad ones that will never held up to scrutiny. And it's one thing to tell one person something is an excuse. It's another thing with a number of people questioning you or even one person's questioning you in a detailed fashion. Then you can't just give some BS general sounding answer and expect them to go away. And that's what some narcissistic type scammers will do because they're just so used to people believing them and so used to fooling people and so confident in their own abilities to pull the wool over other people's eyes that they do not think about how do I answer to detailed accusations. And then that's when they start saying ridiculous things, as Justin did 
when he was questioned about this, when they claimed about their own investigation and that uh, they have a secure platform. There's a lot of stupid platitudes that w- would never convince the public here. And and the same crap they told that he told Veronica. Oh, he just knows. He just has a good feel for the game. He just has a feeling like it's that doesn't hold up, especially to a mass audience. To be honest with I, you, I, I can, like when I you can see get the cards change, when you see the cards change, and he's folding this like second nut that's yeah. impossible to fold. Yeah. Justin, I think, was like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't fold that. Right. And then he changes the cards for him. I guarantee you that after the game, they sat together and Justin's like, you can't play like that. You can't play like you can see the cards. You have to lose sometimes. But Mike, I think, was this, like, dumbass who started getting his ego, letting get letting uh, his ego get the best of him. And well, he's like, well, let me fold the, like, oh, if my quads are being beat, I'm going to fold them. If everybody was saying God mode to you, wouldn't your ego be a little out here? I mean, I think, it, like, we can see the progression of his ego. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Even, like, playing with him uh, in person, like, his humility before all of this happened compared to towards the end. Because you and I, people don't know, like... Although, like, I don't know if you hung up with Apostle on our, uh, outside of the, our game, but we did go for dinner uh, before the games. We hung out after sometimes. We'd go mm-hmm. bowling. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have, like, pizza after. All of us would hang out. And, like, I think we went out of our way to try to keep a connection because that, right. we had a lot the of fun The game was not fun with just a bunch of, like, GTO bots. We wanted to have, like, a fun game where we all knew each other. We all knew we had money. Yeah. Not, I mean, I'm not saying we we're all rich, but like we all could play and we enjoyed playing. We didn't want to bring people in who like couldn't play right. or who were too nitty. Right. Yeah. We were looking for a certain atmosphere. I mean, that's the way I think a lot of private games are. Yeah. So you want to know that the person who's coming into the game is not going to be stressed to the level that they're not. Right. We don't want them, their mortgage on the table. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think we, we did a lot to become fr- as friendly with Mike as we possibly could. I talked to you last Christmas about it, and I was talking to Bart Hansen back and forth. Okay. Um, I was talking to a few people, Azan. Azan and I had many, probably the most conversations about it of anyone. Mm-hmm. Azan didn't like the way Justin handled a lot of um, issues within the poker room. Like okay. He really thought that Justin was not... Uh, cognizant of what poker players really needed in the room. And so he really was not a fan of Justin to begin with. And then he thought, for sure, Mike's cheating. But he also didn't know how. None of us knew how. Like Mike, uh, Matt Holtzclaw and I would talk about, uh, the potential of, like, of Mike cheating. But we didn't know how. Like, none of us would talk about a device. None of us would talk about, um. You just knew that. Something, Something wasn't, wasn't right. right. The, the pad- I'm stop it here. You can watch the rest of this if you want. It's uh, 43 minutes. You heard about nine minutes of it. It's uh, called uh, Alicia and Veronica talk about the Mike Postle scandal and life since. Somehow I missed this part. Unless and somehow it may have gotten by me. I thought I I thought it was in this segment, but now I I don't remember hearing it when I just played these nine minutes. Uh, Trey Risky, did you hear talk about how he was actually a former pastor? She said about Justin Caritas, not not Postle, but Justin was a former pastor. Oh, I thought she said Poster was a pet. I no, thought no. she said Postal was a pet. No, 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 Justin Caritas was. And uh, 
that's she she was referring to I, I I heard her referring to like this sounds like what a pastor would say, but she she did say he was a former pastor, but somehow I don't remember that being said in these nine minutes, but maybe, maybe I missed it for a second when I was just. Oh, no, it was. It okay. was. It okay. was. I heard somebody was. A okay, I was playing it for all these, like, minutes here because I was waiting for that to come out. I'm like, wait a minute. I think that was already said by this point. Okay, anyway, you guys can watch the rest. It was still interesting what I played, though. So you guys, I, I'm not, I stand by the fact that I played you nine minutes. But you can go watch the other 34 minutes. I started from, like, the eight-minute mark and played you up to, like, the 17-minute mark. But as you can hear, it's interesting banter back and forth. Between two people on the game who experienced all this and experienced Possible, experienced Justin. And uh, Justin has an interesting history of his own. And I- I'm really looking forward to see how this plays out in court. And JSTAT said in chat that he watched all 43 minutes of this and it was very informative. So that is an endorsement for Veronica. Even if she is giving out local phone numbers that are not necessary. I will forgive her for that. So you can check it out. Her channel is called Veronica Angry underscore Polak, P-O-L-A-K. Veronica space Angry underscore Polak. If you type that in on YouTube, you'll find her channel and you can watch this and many other episodes she's done, including one that was tonight. She even has a call-in number nowadays. I, I don't think she did here back on December 9th. By the way, they, they have the same headphones that I'm using, I believe. I think I recognize them. It's not a super clear video, but it had, and there was some kind of editing in this video because they would put up things on the screen when they're talking about something. And yet you don't see Veronica like motioning, like typing on computers to do it. So there was some post editing here, which I actually do with this show now. Some of you don't know this, but I actually will go through this show and it's, it's time consuming. It's actually a lot more time consuming than you'd think especially with a show of this length. But when there's fail in the show, and I don't mean like entertaining fail, I leave the entertaining fail, but anything that's like really frustrating or I'm trying to do something over and over and can't get it done, or uh, there, there's Skype fail, or there's like long pauses while I'm waiting for something, or I go take a break and don't come back for 30 seconds and there's dead air, I'm going to edit all that out. So I go through the show and edit things like that out and clean it up some. And it actually takes some time. And I do that at the same time when I'm noting the timestamps, so I can put that in the description so you can find each topic you want to listen to. So I actually do some post-processing of the show. I do it every week now. I don't know if you guys have noticed, it sounds a little bit better, a little more, more polished, a little less uh, fail-heavy, that's why. But any fail which I think you'll laugh at or find entertaining, I leave. I just I can see the difference between fail that's like just really frustrating to listen to and fail that is funny because what it's like a comedy of errors and i think there's a big difference i try to think of myself like as a listener would i enjoy this and if the answer is no then i will get rid of it though i I don't ever get rid of things that i say unless something goes over the air that's not supposed to like a phone number or a name that's not supposed to or if i say something that i meant not to reveal to the public sometimes i'll just quietly remove it but not usually. That's why you should listen live, though, then you won't miss any of this stuff. Okay, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, even though we've had some trouble with phones tonight. You can also call 702-430-1808 if you would like to call the Mount Charleston line. We'll move on to a non-possible topic. Seals with clubs. 
now known these days as SWC Poker, is in the middle of a controversy, but not related to poker play. Before I begin, I want everyone to recall, or maybe hear for the first time, that I have some history with the founder of Seals with Clubs. Or not the founder, but the face of Seals with Clubs. The founder, I don't know. In 2010, Seals with Clubs was founded as a Bitcoin-only poker site. You deposit with Bitcoin, you withdraw in Bitcoin, you don't have to give them any details. You don't have to give them your name, you don't have to give them your address. You just make an account, send them Bitcoin, play poker, and if you win money, then you you actually end up winning Bitcoin. You're actually playing for Bitcoin on there, and then at any time you can withdraw, and they'll send you Bitcoin. That's how Seals with Club worked. Brian Mikon, who was my friend at the time and also ran Never Win Poker and Donk Down, which are kind of predecessors to Poker Fraud Alert in some ways. Uh, Mikon was never involved with Poker Fraud Alert. But in 2010, or sorry, it was 2011, Mikon found Seals with Clubs, and he was getting very into Bitcoin. Mikon kind of found Bitcoin near the, like the beginning of 2011. And he was getting very into it. And at the time, most people were not. Most people didn't even know what it was. But he found Seals with Clubs and thought it actually had some potential. But it was not marketed well. It was a ghost town. There was like no one playing there. And the owners did not want it known who they were, probably because they were violating gambling laws in various places. And they knew it. So Mikon foolishly said, well, why don't I be the face of the site? People know me. I'm a known poker player. Let me be the face of the site. Let everyone think it's my site. And in return, they gave him some ownership of it. I don't know how much, but they gave him some kind of ownership of seals. But the way Mikon presented it at the time, it was his. Now, I was not friends with him at that time. By sheer coincidence, when I had my falling out with Mikon and when Mikon threw me off Donk Down, he and I were no longer friends and that was the exact same time that he got into SEALs. He was into Bitcoin while we were still friends towards the tail end of it. But right around the same time we stopped being friends is when he got into SEALs. So I didn't have visibility as a friend into his time at SEALs. But I was still watching. And I said to myself, well, Mikon's going to get busted for this one day. I wasn't going to report him. I wasn't going to contribute to him getting busted in any way. But I just thought it was inevitable that if he's running a real money poker site and living in Las Vegas, which he was, that eventually the hammer was going to fall on him. And indeed it did. In early 2015, they literally kicked down his door at five in the morning, seized his stuff, surprisingly didn't arrest him. And then he quickly packed up his wife, his daughter and some essential stuff and flew to Antigua and hid there. Like when I say hit, I mean he was not going to come back to the U.S. till this was resolved. While he was gone, they issued an arrest warrant, but they couldn't physically arrest him because he was in Antigua. But they charged him. Then he hired famed and very effective attorneys Chesnoff and Schoenfeld, who are very, very, very good criminal attorneys in Las Vegas. They just perform miracles somehow. They are very expensive. But Mikon hired them. He had already made a lot of money over those years on both SEALs and on Bitcoin. 
and he was able to afford them, and they got him a sweetheart deal. Before that, and amazingly, I mean, talk about stupid, but Micon did something really foolhardy, it seemed. As soon as he got to Antigua, he made a defiant video telling everyone that he's starting a new Seals with Clubs because the the other ownership of Seals were spooked by this. They were, they were not going to continue any further. They were going to shut it down. So Micon said, I'm starting a brand new one by myself called SWC Poker. SWC, of course, standing for Seals with Clubs. I'm starting that, and the government can't stop me. I'm in Antigua, and stay tuned, it's coming. And sure enough, with new software, SWC Poker started uh, shortly after that. I think it was already in development. I think they were already developing. That's how they put it up so quickly. They were already in the process of upgrading the software. They used to run on the same software that the Poker Fraud Alert Poker Room runs on, which is a commercial package called the Maven software. But they wrote. Their, they were in the process of writing their own custom software, and it was almost ready. So Micon took that over, and they put it up. And it, it was definitely his site at that point. He said it. He said it on a YouTube video that he was he was the one starting the new site, and basically f you to the government. I couldn't believe this. It's like taunting the government to talk about uh, making them want to go after you more. Well, somehow that didn't affect him. Somehow, despite that, he got this sweetheart deal. And it was agreed through his attorneys that he would return to the U.S., pay a $25,000 fine, which is a drop in the bucket. He made way more money from it than that. That he'd surrender the computer and the small amount of Bitcoin they had seized from him, which again, drop in the bucket. And he would be on two years probation. One of the terms was that he would get a steady job, which is kind of weird because what does that have to do with anything? But that was part of the terms. And he got this sham job at a drone store through a friend, where I don't think he ever went to work. I mean, he went to work occasionally, but he, he wasn't going to work a 40-hour-a-week job, for sure. And he did that for two years, and when he satisfied his probation, two years later, he moved back to Antigua, and that's where he still is presently, to my knowledge. But what happened to SWC Poker? Remember, he started that in like defiance to the government when everybody else who was owning, owning uh, the original SEALs abandoned it. He started this new site by himself, basically FU U.S. government, FU Nevada state government. But you'd think after making this deal and getting on probation that he was not going to do this again. In fact, he did say in his probation he can't run anything like this. So what happened to it? Well, he claimed that he sold it. He didn't specify who the new owners were. He just, I think it was said they were European, but that's all we knew. And he just supposedly left and that was that. Not involved anymore. That's it. I sold it. Goodbye. You may wonder what happened to the Bitcoin on the old seals after the bust. Well, something very shady happened. They gave everyone about 30 days to cash out their Bitcoin. And if people didn't log on within 30 days and do it, they just left and kept all the Bitcoin, which I think was a lot. I don't know how much Micon got out of it. I know that Jesse Martin, a known poker player, complained publicly on Twitter that Mycon had stolen his Bitcoin, that he tried to cash out, got some error message, tried to email support, no one helped him, and then the 30 days passed and they just made off with his 4K, and Jesse's like, where's my 4K? And this is a while afterwards. He, he kind of just dealt with it for a while, and then finally he just couldn't contain himself, and he, he wrote something nasty to Mycon on Twitter, and they argued back and forth. 
And in that exchange, Mikon claimed he was just the face of the site, that he had nothing to do with that, he had no control of that process, and it was other people who left with his money, not Mikon, which I thought was kind of a crappy answer. And I don't know how much of that Mikon really got. It's possible he didn't get any of it, but it's also possible he did and just didn't want to answer to Jesse to it. But I thought that was really crappy. And the reason it was really crappy is that they could have designated a trusted third party to let everybody cash out. They could have, they could have given the Bitcoin to someone they really trust and, and said uh, – and, and they could have even told the government, look, this person's not involved. This person's being designated to return the Bitcoin to people, and this person doesn't know who we are, but we've designated them to return the Bitcoin to people who are cashing out, to process the cash outs. Something like that. The government would not have objected because the government never objects to players getting their money off sites like these. But they did this 30-day crap so they could steal the Bitcoin that wasn't claimed. They they can claim, oh, okay, well, we gave everyone a chance to cash out, and then that's it. And like guys like Jesse Martin got error messages and could never get it resolved. And I think that probably wasn't unintentional either. So really shady what happened there. Again, maybe this wasn't MyCon. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. There were other people involved for sure. That's a little side story there. And I've talked about that before. But the new seals with clubs, the new SWC poker... What happened to it? Did he have to shut it down once the the probation was established? No. As I said, he, quote, sold it before that deal was even made. And it's operated ever since. Five years later, it's still operating. So who runs it? Who owns it? Well, we don't know. I know for sure there are other people operating it on a day-to-day basis. But what I don't know is whether Brian Mikon has any current ownership or involvement. He very well might. He very well might. I can't say I'm sure he does. I can't say I know he does. But let me just say I suspect he does. But I do not have any kind of proof. Nor do I have any way to get proof. Nor am I trying to get proof. Nor have I tried to get proof. It's just an opinion that I hold and others hold. But again, I'm not sure. But that's not really what this story is about. It's just... A backstory, because I have history, a lot of history with Brian Mikon. He was once a good friend of mine for several years while I lived in Las Vegas. So let's talk about the current thing going on at SWC Poker. It's not a big site. It's still operating the same way with the proprietary software. It does have mixed games. It has a lot of different games you can play. But the traffic's pretty light. The traffic ranges from like 50 to 100 cash players on per day at any given time, and most of it is at low and micro stakes. So, you know, what's what's that exciting about it? It is Bitcoin only. It's the same thing. You don't need to, you don't need to give them your name or any information. But like right now, as I speak, uh, 67 players on, uh, at the cash tables. Yeah, big deal. So it's, it's not a dead site, but it's not doing all that hot. It's, it's semi-dead. It has games that run, but it's not like you're going to go on uh, Poker Stars or, or Ignition or ACR. It's nothing to that extent by any stretch of the imagination. But it's been plodding along for the last five years with about the same amount of traffic, and it does seem to make money because it has very low operating costs. MyCon is no longer the face of it. MyCon pretends like it doesn't exist. So let me tell you about the current controversy. There's a female poker player named Katie Chandler. I have not heard of her before. She's on Twitter at, at Katie, K-A-T, 
I E J J A Y C C E E. Katie J J A Y C C E E. Katie J C. Her name is Katie Chandler. She has a rainbow flag in her name. I believe she is a lesbian. I'm not sure. She doesn't explicitly say so, but I've seen things she's tweeted that seem to imply that. It doesn't really that matter that much for this story, but it matters a little bit. So Katie Chandler, who again I haven't heard of before, on January 8th tweeted to Seals with Clubs, SWC, at SWC Poker, Is this really what you want new members to see when they open up the chat? I have promoted your software on my stream, but this is ridiculous. You should be censoring hate speech at the very least. What she's talking about with her stream is she's a, a streamer, apparently, and she actually streams herself playing on SWC Poker, which is good publicity for them. I don't know how big her audience is, but she has been streaming her play on there, and she said that she's been promoting them through her stream, and then she posted four screenshots of some pretty offensive, racist, anti-Semitic, and homophobic language, which I, I won't repeat, but uh, had the N-word... It had the uh, F.A. word, uh, which is aimed at, at gay people. It had the K.I. word aimed at uh, Jewish people. So it had stuff like that. Most of the people writing this stuff seemed like they were probably young and immature, but it wasn't just one guy writing it. There was like a lot of this going on. In fact, uh, th- there were people spelling out the N-word one letter at a time where someone would start out with the N, then someone else would write the I, someone else would write the G. So, like, it was pretty pervasive in the chat. She's got a point that the chat was pretty nasty and had a lot of that stuff going on, okay? And she tweeted this on January 8th. Well, they responded, Hello, and thank you for playing SWC Poker. Chat is uncensored. Should you wish to ignore chat from a player, right-click the player name, select Ignore. So she wasn't happy with that answer because they're basically saying this is okay. No, we're not going to suspend anyone's chat here. If you don't like them being racist or homophobic or anti-Semitic or any kind of slur, you don't like it. People can say whatever the hell they want. Block them. But it's kind of hard to block them because like everyone's getting involved in this. It's not like one guy who's causing all the trouble. Uh, They went on to do to post a copy of their chat rules and they wrote part of the SWC brand is uncensored money and uncensored communication chat that does not reveal information during a hand or isn't otherwise too disruptive will be allowed their own chat rules says chat is uncensored and is not necessarily in English that's already bad people could use that to cheat by speaking in foreign languages Players are provided with an ignore option to hide the chat of any player they don't want to see. Chat is a privilege that can be invoked, can be revoked by management at will. Discussing a hand in progress, revealing whole cards, or otherwise affecting gameplay is prohibited. Spamming or flooding the chat is prohibited. Illegal, malicious, or sexually explicit hyperlinks are prohibited. Referral codes, hyperlinks, and advertisements are prohibited. So it sounds like they're, they're, they're prohibiting a lot of things. I, I don't see why they can't also prohibit, like, really obvious hate speech and uh, racial epithets. I mean, it's, I'm not even a believer in, in censoring chats, but even I have to agree this is too far. A begging for chips at the table is prohibited. Gross and repeated violations of prohibited behavior may, be, may result in permanent loss of chat. 
And then it tells you not to try to multi-account to get around that or you'll have further consequences. Okay. And it doesn't say racial slurs okay after that at the bottom? No, it doesn't say okay, but it doesn't say it's not okay. But it, but you see they have a number of rules, so it's kind of weird. Encouraged? Yeah, I guess it's encouraged Encouraged by omission. So so they so that that was the response that it's uncensored money and uncensored communication. And so she wrote back, and this was January tenth, this was today. Hey ACR, here's your chance to capture a new market of mixed game players. Would love to see some on ACR so I have somewhere to play. So Katie got disgusted and said, Screw this. I when I can find somewhere else that offers mixed games, I'm out of here. So ACR, hey, how about you? How about you offer mixed games, and I'll quit seals. Well, today, a Twitter user named Ali Ya, A L E E space Y A H, and this person, I'm not sure if they're male or female. They're on Twitter as L Sriracha. That's E L L E S R I R A C H A. This user has since taken up the cause. And is going hard after SWC, Seals of the Clubs. So Ali Yah said this. Is this real life? SWC is allowing racist chat on their site and is claiming uncensored communication as part of their brand? Players are now bullying Katie as a result of calling this out. There's no place for this kind of shit anymore, let alone poker. Scum. Now, they are right that the that Katie is now being harassed too in the chat. Someone wrote in the chat, fuck Katie and fuck Poker Pastor in the asshole. I'm not sure who Poker Pastor is or Paster, but uh, that person uh, I don't see, but the fuck Katie in the asshole was obviously aimed at her for complaining on Twitter. So someone else named Nathan Manuel wrote, come on, Joe Ingram. Put that clout to work and put these folks on blast. If this company can't automate some simple chat rules to stop hate speech, we sure as fuck shouldn't be trusting them to hold our crypto. So there's already starting to be some people going, no, this is not okay. We're we're not all right with you guys being fine with this type of language, which is really what they said. But it's uncensored. They can say it. If you don't like it, block them. Then this Ali Yah called out a player named James Urbanic. And... Uh, Ali Yah thought that James Urbanic was one of the pros for SWC Poker, but it turned out they were just like an affiliate or something and not an employee there. But James Urbanic said, yeah, of course, I love SEALs. Trolls are going to troll, unfortunately. A new feature to censor the chat is in the works. A majority of us who play on SWC do not condone this racism. As for now, you can block whoever you like. I use the block feature frequently to solve my problems. So Ali Yah says back, the more we just say trolls going to troll and then just ignore this behavior, the more it's going to happen. The fact that players are now going after Katie is very telling. It's a bigger issue than just the block feature. James says back, I don't know what to tell you. It's just the internet. People say fucked up shit. That's why I ignore most of it. They do it for pure shock value to get reactions. What's always worked best for me is not feeding the trolls. Aliyah says back, people are playing poker on this site, a game we all love. What if this happened in real life? Would you tell me to throw some headphones on? This isn't okay, and turning a blind eye, which is what you're suggesting using the block feature is, is condoning both racism and bullying here. Well, I understand this on both sides, okay? Aliyah is right to say that online and live is not the same. Or, sorry, no, online, that's where Aliyah is wrong, is, is that they aren't the same. So you can't just say, well, what if this happened live? Well, no, it's different. Chat and live behavior is totally different. You'd like to say it's the same, but it's not. But where Aliyah is correct is that 
they are turning a blind eye and they are just saying, hey, it's cool. You want to harass Katie there? Fine. You want to you want to use this blatantly racist language uh, just to frustrate people and irritate people and shock people? Yeah, fine. Like, uh, So I can see where Ali uh, thinks that's outrageous and I can see where James is saying, hey, look, just keep using the block feature. Block everyone who does it. That's just the nature of this site. They're working on something better at the moment and uh, just don't say anything about it. It'll just make it worse. They'll just do it more. So I can see both sides. Then Ali uh, said, when I wear poker gear, for example, uh, run it once. It's interesting that Ali uh, has been promoting run it once. I'm essentially telling everyone that I support them and everything they stand for. I encourage you to keep that in mind when supporting any sort of brand in general. James Urbanic said back, for sure, I can agree with you on that, definitely. I also agree that people are abusing the chat feature, but to suggest that I am racist or condoning racism is, co- is completely out of line, in my opinion. You've met me. I would hope you don't think that about me. So it appears at the moment, though, that SWC is standing firm and they're refusing to censor this language or behavior. And there's people retweeting it. And it's not a huge scandal, don't get me wrong, but people are taking notice of this. And some people are getting upset about this. And yet, Steele doesn't seem to care, at least not enough to make any rule change. Maybe they'll make it easier to turn off chat or or block mass people at once, but uh, it doesn't look like they're going to change the rules from what I can see. Now, how do I feel about this? You may think that I'm going to immediately jump on the anti-SEALs bandwagon because of my issues with MyCon. Well, I'm not, but I'm also not going to take his side. I'm going to take the cowardly route of being in the middle because I really can see both sides of it. In fact, if I didn't, I would be a hypocrite. Poker Fraud Alert is a free speech forum. I take a lot of heat about that. I I see people in poker rooms who say to me, why do you allow this? Why do you allow some of the language I see on your site? Why do you allow some of the offensive views that are posted on your site? I have fellow Jews asking me why I allow anti-Semitic content on my site. And the answer I give them is that part of my forum, part of the Poker Fraud Alert forum, is a free speech forum where, provided that this isn't like targeted harassment of someone, of like an individual who's just constantly being trolled, and provided that no threats are made and no personal information is posted, but if it's just ideas, if it's just opinions, no matter how offensive they are, if it's just general ideas and opinions, that that's always allowed on the site, even if I don't agree with them, even if they're aimed at a group I'm part of, like the Jewish people, even if they would get a lot of people offended or insulted to read, that I've decided I'm not going to be the thought police, I'm not going to censor ideas on the site, no matter how offensive. However, I will only allow this in two designated forums, the flying stupidity portion and the bathroom wall, which is the anonymous portion. The rest of the site, like Scam Scandals and Shadiness, Poker Community Discussion, Casinos in Las Vegas, these are forums with specific purposes to discuss serious topics in poker and gambling, and I don't want that sort of stuff messing up these discussions and disrupting these discussions. So in those parts of the forum, I don't allow it. I don't allow trolling. I don't allow any kind of racial epithet. Nothing like that. I... 
allow people to disagree and debate, but once it turns to trolling, I delete it. I even people ban people from threads. I've even banned some people from the more serious forums because they can't handle themselves there. So there's a reason I'm mentioning this. I would be a big hypocrite to say you can't allow such language on SEALs because this is awful, awful, terrible language. And if you allow this, then you're a racist. Well, then I'd have to call myself a racist. I'd have to call myself an anti-Semite even though I'm a Jew because I allow it on a certain portion of my site. I don't encourage it. Well, but Drop, people saying some things, but just hammering somebody through live chat on a stream, I think are way too different well, Right, right. And I'm going to get – right. yes, and that's, that's the point I'm about to make. They're trader risk reading my mind here. Uh, there is a difference though. The, a forum is somewhere that you're coming to post or read, and that's it. There's no other use of a forum other than to post or read. I guess you can send private messages. Aside from that, though, there's nothing else you're doing there. So if someone comes to my forum to look at the content there, and they go into the flying stupidity for, portion, which it says right there is the free speech portion, if this type of stuff offends you, very simple. Don't go. It's just not a forum for you, and I understand that. You can go to the other parts of my forum, which don't have this stuff, or just don't come to my forum at all. You can do that, too. It's fine, too. Poker is a different story, because when you're playing poker online, you're not necessarily there to chat, to socialize, or deal with people. You're there to just play poker. And I can see how it's disruptive and offensive to people to have to read things like this. Some people... I have a thick skin is what I read online. Like nothing. I don't like when someone follows me around and trolls me personally and harasses me personally. But as far as like offensive things written in general that aren't aimed at me personally, I have a very thick skin to where even if things are written about uh, groups I'm part of, I don't get offended. I think it's stupid. I disagree with it. I, I sometimes don't think very highly of people who write this stuff. But uh, – and, and this is also true of, of, of race, racism and uh, other uh, bigotry aimed at groups I'm not part of. So I, I don't agree with, with a lot of the stuff that's written. But it doesn't offend me to where it would upset me to see. But I understand there are those who are upset seeing it. And I don't blame you for being upset if you see it. And if you're there to play poker, you probably don't want to see this stuff if you're one of those type of people. And because poker is not a forum, poker is a game, I, I do believe that people who play poker should have the right to play in peace. And this uh, Katie is bringing up a decent point that she wants to go there and play in peace and stream it and, and just play poker. And, and there's all this stuff on her screen, all this offensive language that she's not wanting to see. And you can't get rid of it without constantly blocking individual people, which is hard to do because so many people are doing it. And all they have to do is change the rule and, and make this disallowed and it'll stop. And, and, and it, it's very frustrating. So I will say that if I were to run a poker site, and I don't mean our little poker room here that we run the free rolls, but I mean if I were to run a real poker site like SEALs, I would not allow such language. I would treat it the same way I treat the uh, more serious forums on Poker Fraud Alert in that this is not allowed. Because I, I would not want the poker games being disrupted. Much like I don't want the poker discussion topics being disrupted, I, don't, I would not want my poker games being disrupted this way. That would be my uh, way of running things if I was in charge of SEALs. But I'm not. I have nothing to do with SEALs. So let's look at what's going on with SEALs. At the same time, they are choosing to be a free speech, or I guess mostly free speech, poker site. 
that's the way they have conceived their site. Whether or not I agree with conceiving it that way doesn't matter. This is the way they have conceived it. And for me to say, oh, they don't have a right to run a site this way with these rules would be very hypocritical because there's people who like to tell me that I shouldn't have a right to run a forum this way. And I explained to them, look, this is this doesn't mean I endorse anything written. I just like to provide a, a, a forum where people can be themselves and express their own ideas and I don't have to constantly evaluate, is this too offensive to be posted? I don't, I, and, and it's very hard to do. It's easy to determine when someone's being trolled. It's easy to determine when someone's being doxxed. It's easy to determine when someone's being threatened. Those things can easily be prohibited. But hate speech is such a broad term that you can be accused of it when you're not even doing it. And it's hard to draw a hard line and say, this is hate speech, but this isn't. It's very hard to do, trust me. I have been accused of hate speech before on Facebook, and I don't engage in any of this stuff. I don't engage in, in racial slurs or, or homophobic slurs and stuff on, on Facebook. When I'm, but I'll be having debates with, with someone of a, a different political persuasion as me, and because I don't agree with them about something, you know, maybe I, I don't think uh, the NFL should be allowing Colin Kaepernick to kneel, well, I'm engaging in hate speech, they say. That's not hate speech, it's a different opinion. But I've been accused of hate speech a lot of times. I've been called a Nazi before, even though I'm a Jew. And I make sure when I have these debates on Facebook, I always do it respectfully. I don't call people names. I don't uh, insult people. I don't use slurs, nothing. But I've still been accused many times of hate speech and of being a Nazi. So it's a very hard thing to draw a line because when you disallow something, you'll have people whining, oh, well, you just allowed this, now you've got to disallow that. And it's a slippery slope. So... I just said, screw it. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I, I like free speech environments. I like everyone being themselves. They can be judged on what they write. And that's that. Now, I do have some rules. Like if someone's just going to come and, and post shock stuff to, for the sake of being shocking over and over or, or trying to turn my forum into a, a forum where every thread has, has racist content, uh, I'm not going to allow that. I don't allow someone to disrupt the forum for the sake of being disruptive of any kind. So I would stop that. But if, if someone on the flying stupidity portion, used a racial epithet or a homophobic or anti-Semitic epithet, I would not delete it. I would not ban them. And I haven't. So for me to say that SWC can't choose to treat their chat room the same way would be hypocritical. I can't say that. But at the same time, I think they're kind of making a mistake. They're driving away customers. And it's not like they're a huge site that can afford to lose customers. They're kind of a ghost town. I mean, they're not dead, but they're not really active either and it's been the same way for five years so to drive away people who are playing actively and even streaming your site on twitch which is doing you a big favor to drive them away just to protect this overly high-minded concept of it's got to be free speech of all kinds i think is foolish and I will say this makes it more likely to me that Micon's still involved. Because Micon and I had a very similar argument. And you know what? I showed this whole thing to my girlfriend who got with me. We got together in 2009. And Micon and I had our falling out in 2011. So she got to see the period where I was friends with Micon. And then we had some disagreements about things. And then, we, and then we had our big fight and stopping friends in 2011. Okay? So she saw the whole thing. And she said, this reminds me a lot of what you and Micon used to argue about. And I said, yes, that's... I, I had posted the same thing on Poker Fraud Alert. She hadn't even seen it. But she remembered. Mike had an idea 
for both Nifru and Poker and Dockdown that they should be completely free speech and that we should not be censoring any content, no matter what, unless it was illegal. Other than that, he didn't want to censor anything. Or, in some cases, personal information. But what happened with Neverwin Poker, and to some extent Dockdown, which came after Neverwin Poker, was that it transitioned, it transformed into something I didn't really like. It started out as kind of a free speech, rebellious, kind of anti-2 plus 2 sort of place where there wasn't censorship, you could bash the owners, you could say what you wanted, you could be offensive, uh, anything goes within reason. And then some trolls started to realize, hey, why don't we just start doing really outrageous stuff and see if how far we can take it. So people started posting really, really disgusting hardcore porn pictures, and people kept posting yeah, pictures of huge black dicks in every thread. Like every single thread, someone would post, it, post that there. You couldn't scroll through one thread without you know, running into a 10-inch black dick picture out there. Not, not because it was relevant at all, just because they, they wanted to do it because it's, quote, uncensored. Or they'd post like super, super racist material just to see uh, if they could get away with it. And again, it would disrupt threads. And I just found it was so hard to read the forum. Even good and funny and interesting threads would get disrupted by this crap. And I said to Mike, I don't like this. I, these people are being shocking for the sake of being shocking. I'm not offended. I just think it's making the forum into crap. We need to get control of this. And he said, no, it's got to be all free speech or nothing. And he was running it. I was just an assistant, so I couldn't overrule him. I gave my opinion, but I didn't like it. We had a lot of arguments about this over time. And we had different interpretations of what free speech was. I thought free speech should just be like freedom of ideas and also not censoring speech because it happens to be offensive. But if someone is trying to post something repeatedly, shocking for the sake of being shocking, offensive for the sake of being offensive, and trying to ruin discussions or disrupt discussions with material that's just offensive to try to shock people, we have to put a stop to it because it makes the forum into crap. That was my opinion. And then when I started Poker Fraud Alert and it was only my site and nobody else had any say, that was the way I decided to run it. And that's the way I still run it eight years later. And I think it's worked very well. On Poker Fraud Alert, you can say what you want. You can be yourself. You can be offensive, but you can't do this to disrupt. You can't ruin threads with this type of stuff. And if I see it, I delete it, and if I see it too much, I ban the person. I haven't had too much, but I'm just saying if, if I see it, and I, I have seen it sometimes, I, I will put a stop to it. Whereas I couldn't do that on, on the site that I ran with Micon. So the fact that I'm still seeing this like pure or I guess semi-pure, ideological commitment to free speech, which on, on the surface sounds good, but it really isn't. I call it free speech without common sense. Free speech doesn't mean just like, let someone show up there and disrupt everything. That's not free speech. That's just allowing disruption. Free speech is more of just, I'm going to let you say what you want, even if I don't agree with it, or if it's offensive, and nothing's going to happen to you. That's what free speech is. Not, you can come here and disrupt everything. And I think these people who are posting this really outrageous stuff, they are disrupting. They're, they're doing this, as this uh, James guy said, just to get attention to be shocking. But I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle on this one. 
if it sounds like I'm wishy-washy, it's because I kind of am on this one. I, I'm in the middle. I see both sides. I see why they should have the right to run the site in this way if that's the way they want their chat. Especially given the type of site I run. And then I also see where this would be bothersome. So I understand why Katie doesn't like this. I'm not saying that Katie is being uh, a snowflake here and can't take it. I, I can understand why this bothers her. I can understand why she doesn't want to play there. She's, she's being reasonable. So it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. But uh, look, if they said, look, they already had a bunch of things you can't do there and their chat rules. A lot of things they listed you can't do. They listed that uh, you can't discuss hands in, pro- in progress. You can't spam the chat. You can't just go period, 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 period over and just scroll the chat off. Uh, you can't uh, post links to porn sites. You can't post referral codes. You can't beg for chips. I mean, is it really more offensive to see someone saying, hey, can you shoot me uh, 100 chips than for someone dropping the N-bomb and calling uh, Jews the K-word and calling uh, gay people the F-word? I mean, that's much worse than someone begging, hey, send me some money. They're both annoying to read, but look, what's going on is worse. So they have some rules. So I don't know why they can't add there that Intentionally posting shock material or racial epithets uh, will can get your chat banned. And if they want to liberally enforce this to where if someone every once in a while types one of those words and they don't enforce it, fine. But if someone the, – what I was seeing there, it looks like everyone's just doing it. And it's kind of starting to define them, especially now that people are bringing attention to it. So I just don't think that's the right business decision here. And I can understand why people don't like playing it, but if, if this is if they really want this, if this is what they want their chat to be, they they can. It's their site. You can always just cash out and stop playing there. That's the counterpoint. And I don't like telling. I never like telling other people who run sites, you must run it the way I say you should run it. No, you don't. You don't. As long as you're not uh, directly harming someone. Which this isn't. This is offensive, but it doesn't harm anyone. If it, anyone who doesn't like reading it, just doesn't have to. You're not going to protect the internet from seeing these words. I mean, it's uh, this type of stuff's all over the internet, and so it's not. It's not like this is causing a problem in society. It's a small site with some idiot saying stuff like this, and so I can understand people don't want to see it. I understand if the owners want to allow it, then that's what they want their site to be, and it's their right to do. That's how I feel about it. But it is an ongoing controversy. When it, We'll see where it goes because it was really today when it really blew up. It, it was brought to their attention by Katie on the 8th, but SWC didn't respond until the 10th, which the 10th just ended 37 minutes ago. So this is just getting started, and it may die down or it may become a big deal. I don't know. Maybe it'll get them some publicity. Maybe more people start playing there when they hear about that SWC poker exists. A lot of people don't even know it exists. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I think I'm very fair with this topic. Look, I, I could have come out blazing against them. How dare he you know, allow this type of stuff on there? Look how offensive. Look how terrible. I could have come out like that. But I didn't. I think I was very fair and neutral there and more positive about how they're handling it than a lot of people on Twitter who don't have any personal acts to grind with Mike on. And, and I'm serious. What I said there is, is really how I feel. And I, I try to separate... When evaluating these stories, my personal feelings of the possible owner and the actual situation. And I feel I can do that. 
Okay, so moving on to our next subject at hand, I want to talk about a Sacramento area card room that is in hot water and has been shut down. No, it's not Stones, unfortunately. I wish it was Stones, but Stones did not get shut down. It was a different card room in the Sacramento area that I have not heard of. This uh, card room is called it's called uh, Magnolia House Casino, and it's in Rancho Cordova, which is in the Sacramento area. It's actually not Sacramento. And it was shut down by California Attorney General Xavier Becerra. The reason it was shut down is because they were intermingling banker money that's supposed to be separate funds from their own funds with their own funds, which basically means the player-banked games that I've described in recent weeks, those California games, I'm not talking about poker, were funded by the House and not by a third party. Now, this is very interesting. This is very interesting. And you can read an article linked to the Sacramento Bee that was linked in the thread in Scam Scandals and Shadiness on Poker Fraud Alert. The thread is called Sacramento Area Card Room Forced Closed Down by Emergency in California. What's very interesting about this is, again, it brings to light the problem with these player-banked games. To quickly review, a player-banked game is where you are not playing against the house. It's in a game that you're playing against what seems to be the house, but the money that is being used to pay you if you win or that you pay them if you lose is actually going to a third party who is not affiliated with the house. So, like in their version of Blackjack, which is different from regular Blackjack, but they have some similarities. If you win, you're paid in by a third party, and if you lose, you're giving your money to a third party, and the card room only benefits by taking a dollar commission in each hand. So to the card room, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. They just collect a dollar per hand per player. That's what player-banked games are called. And the reason they're called player-banked is because every player is supposed to have the opportunity to act as the banker, where everyone's playing against them, and they're kind of like temporarily the house for, for a round. The problem is there's a lot of players who don't want to be the banker. Even though it's positive expectation, they don't want to be because there's a lot of variance and you need a big bankroll to do it. And some players choose not to. So they have on hand, and this is legal, what's known as a corporation, a third-party entity that banks the games when the players don't want to or can't. And as I mentioned on previous shows, there's been a problem for years in these California card rooms where they don't allow the players to bank, even though that's the whole point of this, where any player that tries to bank gets banned in some places. And the reason for this is that in many cases there are kickbacks where these corporations will give back some of their profits to the card room. And that's an agreement they have in place, and in return, the card room has agreed to ban anyone who tries to player bank which is totally against the spirit of the law and perhaps the letter of the law. But the California Gaming Commission is very weak, and therefore this has not been enforced, but it has been in the news recently, especially because Indian casinos who hate these card rooms and are trying to kill them, they've been attacking them in this fashion and have been trying to change the rules 
to where not only can't they stop players from banking, but that players have to bank, and the corporation basically can't exist anymore. Basically, it's going to have to be player banked all the time, and any player who can't or won't bank has to scram. So we've talked about this recently, and I talked about how this is only coming up now. People saying, oh, these terrible Indian casinos, how dare they try to pass this unrealistic law that's going to kill these games? And I said, yeah, they're doing this because they're trying to kill these card rooms, but they see the opening to kill these card rooms because the card rooms have been abusing this for years and years and years, and the Indians go, oh, perfect, we see them abusing it, let's get them in some trouble for it, let's screw them for it now. So the Indians aren't doing this because they're trying to do the right thing, they're doing this for a competitive advantage, they're being assholes too, but they have this opening because the card rooms have been playing fast and loose with the rules for a long time. So now we have this situation where something that has been suspected for a long time has been proven to be true. And that is some of these corporations are a sham in the first place. That There's not just kickbacks in some cases. In some cases, these corporations banking the games are really the card room itself under a fake name. Shell corporations that are created to bank that are really owned secretly by these card rooms. So the player-banked games are not only not player-banked, they're not even third-party banked, they're just house-banked games, which were supposed to be illegal in the first place. So this is really bad. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that's very eye-opening. I don't care about the Magnolia card room. It's a small card room. It looks like it's in a strip mall. I see a picture of it. I've never heard of it before, the Magnolia House Casino. I don't care about them. You probably don't care about them. But they they, they uh, were intermingling their funds with the supposed corporation banking the games. They were also shut down because they were underfunded and were not able to play they were not able to pay people for the cost of cashing out their chips. Which it sounds like another one was shut down for this reason too, according to Veronica in that blog a month ago. This is a different story. This, is, this just happened. The other one happened a month ago. Or more than a month. The other one happened a while back in the, in the past. But, uh, they, but they've also been doing this whole thing with the player-backed games. So it was two reasons. It wasn't just the, the intermingling of funds of the play, of the house and the third-party banking, supposedly. It was the fact that they didn't have enough money to cover all the chips that were out, which is against the law. And they were doing this. Two things together. So this is a big problem. This just needs to stop. And I'm glad there's finally some attention to this. I am glad that I, just a few months ago I was complaining about this before all these stories came out. I go, why does no one do anything about this? It's so unfair. It's, it should be against the law if it's not. Totally against the spirit of what's, doing, what's supposed to be done here. They're faked player bank games. And whether you think that a player banked game is something that is. Uh, good or bad, you may not agree with that concept. And I think it's stupid. I think they shouldn't. I think it should just be house bank games, period. But look, if the rule is that the law is they have to play player banked games, then they have to be player banked games. The players should have the opportunity to bank. And they should not 
be banned for doing so. And if players are banned for doing so, then there should be a severe punishment against the casino. Furthermore, if the casino is secretly banking themselves, they should also be punished because that's also not what's supposed to be happening. So casinos have to follow the rules and regulations. And I'm not a big stickler for rules. Some people believe incorrectly that I am a stickler for rules. I'm not. I, you get to know me personally, you'll know I am not a stickler for rules. I, I, I hate stickler for rules types. I, I say that some rules need to be bent when common sense dictates it. But not in the case of regulations for casinos. They're there for a reason. They're there to protect players. And they need to be followed. The casino should not just be able to bend them or break them whenever they feel like it. So I'm glad there is some action here, even if it looks like this is mainly shut down for the lack of funds they had, but also this. So I'm glad they're starting to care about this. I'm glad they're starting to be attention to this. This will probably give the Indians even more ammo to go after the bigger card rooms they're trying to screw with this, which they, they don't care. The Indian casinos don't care about the Magnolia House Casino. They care about commerce. They care about uh, the bike. They care about uh, Cache Creek there in, in Northern California. They care about Bay 101. That's what they care about. They, they don't care about these tiny card rooms. But they will now have this for ammo. Look what's going on. The player bank games are a sham. There need to be a major change in rules. So that's... I don't feel bad for these rooms that are having this happen to them. They deserve it. They're being just as bad or worse than the Indians who are trying to exploit the situation to get these places uh, shut down or, or have their profits severely curtailed. The, the Indians, they want a super extreme rule that'll kill those games, which isn't, also isn't right. The correct rule would be a middle ground. The correct rule w- would not be force players to bank every time or kick them out, which the Indians want, just to kill the games, or, or the current situation where they can ban these players with no consequence. It should be that the players have the option to bank at any time and the corporation has to set aside or step aside if this happens. And if anyone gets banned for attempting to exercise their right to bank, then the ban should be automatically reversed and the casino should suffer a very stiff fine and multiple instances of this should result in a loss of license. And if that were to happen, this crap would stop. If that were to be the law, that crap would stop permanently. They're doing it now because they can get away with it. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, JSTAT says that the third-party providers are licensed by the California Gambling Control Commission, and uh, this was actually shut down by the California Department of Justice that does the criminal prosecution. Interesting. All right, so moving on here. Trader Risky, are you still with us? <laughs> Sorry, Jeff, I am here. And, and they do. I did realize they do have badges, too. So yes. I guess, right? Because they wear badges, the people running them. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's no confusion about who they are. It's just, Crazy. It's just they are, a, in the case of the Magnolia House, it looks like it was a shell corporation that was really them. And, and with the... It's suspected that some of the other rooms do this, too. Let me just say that. There has not been hard proof presented, but let's just say it has been suspected, as I mentioned 
in other episodes before this even happened with the Magnolia House. Whole thing's so shady. Whole thing is so shady. Okay, here's something else. Unrelated, not shady, hopefully, or we're going to be in a world of hurt, and that is the World Series of Poker is a... uh, They've made more announcements about their schedule. They're, They're releasing their schedule a little bit at a time. Which they've done in previous years, but it seems like this year even more they're releasing it. You know, some here, some there, some here, some there. And eventually we're going to get the whole schedule pieced together. By the way, bad guy right now, his, his bet is tied. It's been very close. Osaka won the first uh, set, and then Pliskova won the second set. They're both 7-6. to six. They're going to the third set. We're going to see who uh, takes that down. That will determine whether... That was a good bet or not. It looks like kind of a wash. Like nobody's crushing it either way. So I guess his bet was kind of like slightly good because it was an underdog bet and they seem very evenly matched so far. But it wasn't like a blowout. Like it wasn't like that Pliskova just killed it and Osaka was terrible and you're like, bad guy's such a genius. But it wasn't a bad pick either. I think it was like, it was positive expectation what he put out there. So even if he loses this, I give him credit. Two very close matches are set so far. Okay, let's get to the World Series of Poker. The World Series of Poker has released the schedule for the 10K and 50K events. There's only one 50K event, and that's the Poker Players Championship, as it is every year. And now there's a lot of different events we know about. They've uh, announced, first they announced on December 12th the high profile events the Big 50 returning, the dates of the main event, the seniors event. And I think like one or two others. Then they announced uh, 12 more events on December 20th. Then they went quiet for a while. And then uh, well, about two weeks they went quiet. And then they just dropped the 10K and 50K event schedule. And that's 17 more events. So now we know about more than 30 events that are taking place, the exact date of them. But we don't know about the rest of them. And... We're probably looking at another 50 events or so, or maybe 45 to 50 events at least. Maybe even more than that. I'm trying to think how many events there are. But whatever. Probably roughly 50 events haven't been announced yet. But you can start inferring when some of these things will be, and I'll, I'll get to that shortly. So these are all what they call the championship events. These are actually the ones that were upsetting Oklahoma Johnny Hale. They're calling them championship events, especially the seniors championship, because he felt that was his term. But we've talked about that before two shows ago. But these are the highest buy-in of every type of event they offer. Or there may be some that don't have 10K, but these are these are all the 10K or higher events, aside from the one drop, that are the highest buy-in of their type. And they call that the championship event. So to be very simple, the limit hold'em. There's three limit hold'em events every year in recent years. There's a 1,500 limit hold'em. There's a 3,006 max limit hold'em. And then there's a $10,000 limit hold'em. The $10,000 version is called the championship. Even though you are considered a World Series of Poker champion if you win a bracelet in any of those events. So, technically, I'm a World Series of Poker champion. I really am. The championship event schedule... Named uh, 16 $10,000 events and one 50K event. Very similar to last year. Not a lot of change. 
June 3rd, 08, limit 08, uh, 10K. These are all 10K except for the Poker Players Championship. June 6th, seven-card stud. June 8th, short deck is returning. I hope they have a, a, a smaller buy-in short deck. That would be kind of a cool event. I would actually play it. I'd learn more about short deck and play it. I really would because I, I like playing events where most people don't know what they're doing, even if I'm kind of one of them. But at 10K, there's no way I'm playing that. 10K is like all the short deck all-stars like get killed. Uh, June 9th is horse. June 12th is a super turbo bounty no limit hold'em. June 13th is the dealer's choice six-handed, and that's not the physical dealer who makes the choice. It's whoever's the dealer button in front of them makes the choice of what game they're going to play. That's six-handed. June 15th, no limit deuce to seven low ball draw. June 18th, limit deuce to seven low ball triple draw. June 20th, PLO. June 22nd is the 50K Poker Players Championship, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. There's a small change to that this year. June 24th, Raz. June 26th, PLO 8. June 28th, uh, Stud 8. June 29th, Six-Handed No Limit. June 30th, Limit Hold'em. And uh, July 2nd is a new event called the WSOP Online No Limit Hold'em. Let's talk about that one for a second. The main event, which is also a 10K buy-in, and definitely a championship event, the first days are July 1st through 3rd. And this 10K WSOP.com event, which does award a bracelet, is starting on July 2nd. Now, I don't think that's an accident. I believe they're aiming that at people who paid 10K to play the main event, busted, and have a deep enough bankroll where they'd like to take another shot at a 10K No Limit Hold'em event, even though they have a very different structure. The structure of the online event is uh, changing levels every 20 minutes. The main event is every 120 minutes. But, still, they are both freeze-out events, meaning no rebuys, and they take place around the same time, and they're actually starting this online event on the same day as day 1B of the main event. So if you busted 1A or even early in 1B, then you can go play this. Now, with that said, I don't know why they didn't make this on July 4th or 5th or something and then get everybody who busted the WSOP main event. I think that would be smarter, and since it's online, they don't really need to worry about logistics, but that's what they're doing. Maybe they're afraid people will leave town too quickly if they bust, and they want people still there for sure. And they figure July 2nd that people are almost surely going to be there. Even if they busted on the 1st, they probably haven't left town yet. That's probably the thinking. So that's a new event. And they have also added to the Poker Players Championship, which had eight games before. They've also now added No Limit Deuce to Seven Single Draw as a game, which wasn't there before. So now there's nine games that will be uh, rotating in the 50K Poker Players Championship. What about rebuys? What's the rebuy policy? Well, it's going to be tough to rebuy if you want to play these because most of them are freeze-outs. There are only two of them that have rebuys. You can do one rebuy on short deck, and there is some criticism about that that uh, I'll get to shortly, and also a rebuy on the no limit, deuce to seven, single draw. The reason they allowed rebuys on 
these two events and none of the others is because these two get very small fields. No Limit, Deuce to Seven, Low Ball is not a very popular game. It just isn't, as you might imagine. So they get a small field of people willing to put up 10k to play that. Short Deck, again, at that level is a small field. I think it would do decently at a a 1500, and I hope they put one up as a 1500 or a 1000. I'd love to see a lower limit one that a lot of people can just kind of take a shot at. The 10k you're only entering if you're good at this game, probably. So it was it was a very small field last year. It was a laughably small field. And then a lot of people came in on day two, either rebuying or uh, coming in new when they saw how small the field was because they wanted a shot at a bracelet. If it's a tiny field, you go, well, hey, look, this is like an easy bracelet. Not easy, but it, it's way easier than navigating a bigger field. So that's why they made rebuys to make the numbers bigger on those two. They felt those two need it. The rest of them... They don't get large fields. A lot of these will still get around 100, 125 players, but they feel that's enough. You can enter day two on these events still. You can enter as, as day two begins. So that's something I don't like. I still don't think that's right for these championship events. The structure is actually faster than it used to be at the beginning. They made a modification to the structure like I think it was last year or the year before, they, they changed the structure because there was some complaint that there wasn't enough play in the middle and late stages of the event to where the structure's faster at the beginning and then actually slows down somewhat in the middle. But what that does is it causes a lot more people to bust before the rebuy period is over. Not the rebuy, the, the late entry period is over. And... I think that's BS because this allows people to reap, to leapfrog, leapfrog those that have already busted. You've already outlasted a fair amount of the field if you enter at that point. I just don't think that's what these tournaments should be about. And I've expressed that before. So that is the situation. I know with the day two entry for the main event, you can actually do it like one level into day two, which is crazy. But at least that one's so slow-moving that you're going to have less than 40% of the field out by that point. But some of these other ones, a lot of people are out by the time the rebuy period ends. So that's not good. Now, let's talk about the dates of these events, because it's important. It's important because I'll tell you how you might be able to deduce when you're going to be in Vegas, if there's certain events you want to play that have not been announced yet. If you look at the schedule of these 10K events, and then you look at some of the other events that have been announced that aren't 10K events, and you compare them to last year, you may be able to figure out when associated events are going to be running. I'll give you a good example. June 3rd, the first 10K event of 2020 at the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas is... The 08 event, the Limit 08 10K event. What is significant about that? In the past several years, the 1500 08 event has been near the beginning of the series, and then like a few days later is the 10K 08 event. So I think it's very likely now 
that the Limit 08, the 1500-08, which, by the way, is a very good event if you like 08. If you like Limit 08, I really suggest you play that event. It's a great event. A lot of players who don't know how to play 08 very well, you have a good edge on the field if you're a presentable player at 08. I'll tell you that. You'll probably find that event a few days before this event on June 3rd. So I'm guessing like May 30th or something is going to be the date of the Limit 08. If not May 31st, maybe June 1st, maybe May 29th, somewhere around there. I think May 31st is the best guess for Limit 08. So that's a hint. You just go back to last year's schedule, look at when those 10K events were, and then look at when the associated lower buy-in tournaments were, and see where they were on the schedule compared to the 10K events, and they'll probably be around the same place. No guarantee, but that's probably what you'll see if you're looking to play the lower version of these. So if you're looking to play the 1500 PL08, it's probably going to be a few days before June 26th, when the 10K is. So that's something you should keep in mind. The, the one exception to this is Limit Hold'em. Uh, at least that's one of the exceptions. Limit Hold'em, I remember the 10K was late in the series, like this is this year. And the other Limit Hold'ems were at a different time. I think one of them is a, a number of days earlier, and then the, uh, the other one was like after the main event began. So, And they may keep that format, but that's, that's also kind of a hint. If they're keeping the 10K Limit Hold'em around the same time of year or the same time of the series, they're probably going to keep the other two limit hold'ems at the same time of the series. Again, this is all inexact, but uh, I think most of it is a pretty good assumption. So you may want to study the two schedules and figure this out. And you can just Google it. You won't be able to find it on the World Series of Poker website uh, on their official schedule, but you can go back and look at results, for example, of the 2018 series and see the results, and you'll see the dates they they took place. Or you can just Google uh, other third-party sites that will still have it listed from last year. So if you're interested in those dates and you want to kind of come up with approximate dates, then that's a good way to do it. And you may want to do this for booking hotel rooms because you might as well book early. I keep suggesting book the Rio early for the World Series of Poker. And then if the price goes up or something changes, you can cancel, you can modify. There never be a penalty for this. So just book it through Caesars.com. Use the promo code either WSOP20 or FlexLV1, F-L-E-X-L-V-1. And you try both codes, see what gets you the cheaper price. Um, if the prices suddenly jump up while you're doing it, then close it and come back about half an hour later, it should go back down. That's called adaptive pricing. It's a trick they use when they think you're interested. And lock something in. And if the price goes down, they'll adjust it down for you when you call back in. And if the price goes up, then you're protected. Then it won't go up on your reservation. So always good to book early, and now you can kind of do it. And you can even modify your reservation. Let's say let's say you want to play the 1500-08, and you say, okay, well, Dandruff said it's going to be probably May 31st. So you, you book a room. So what you should do is, is book a room then from uh, May 29th through uh, June 2nd, or through June 3rd, something like that. And then when the actual date gets published, then just cut off days at the beginning and end. Just call, call up the 800 number, and they'll cut off days. You can wait. They're going to probably announce the whole schedule within two to four weeks. My guess is they announce the whole schedule about two weeks from now. So it's not urgent to do this, but just a little piece of advice. By the way, 
by the way, unrelated, but I just noticed that Rounder Life, remember Rounder Life? We talked about it earlier in the show. They have just followed me on Twitter. Looks like Everett Caldwell has taken note of my discussions of them. They, they actually tweeted to me. Look, Everett Caldwell, if you're listening, you can call in 775-372-8355. You don't have to just tweet to me. He tweeted, hashtag we did our homework at Poker Fraud Alert. And he posted a link to his site. He actually followed Poker Fraud Alert. Well, maybe we'll get him on the show next week. Why not? He must be loving this. I, I bet he's loving that I'm giving him attention like this. I bet he loves that we're talking about rounder life. This is probably his dream that not only is he being mentioned places, but like this show is covering it and that the big post I made about it on the forum. He's getting this publicity. All right. Let's move on to the next subject. Uh, Trader Ruski, are you still there? I am here, Jeff, but that could be ending very shortly. It could be ending. So uh, I know you usually don't play the 10K events. Uh, what events are you going to play this year? You're probably going to play the Seniors event. What, what else do you think you're going to play at the World Series? I ha- I've got a couple things now in June, so i got to kind of wait till the schedule comes out. I wouldn't mind playing the limit. We played together again, yeah, that the, one, yeah, the, the 1500, Seniors. Right, the 1500 limit Hold'em is a good event, too. Yeah, that is a good event. Yeah, and then probably like one of the random uh, 1500s. Me and Vintage One played that team one last year. We might do that again. Oh, the tag team, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you guys that if you're looking for some events to play where the field is is not very talented and you have a shot at cashing, even if you're not a a great player, if you're just a decent player, but you you want things that you're not going to be against all these all-stars just crushing you, uh, these 1500 events at the World Series, especially ones that aren't No Limit Hold'em, not to say there aren't bad players at the 1500 No Limit, there are some, but there are also a lot of good ones, but the, the ones that are 1500 or lower buy-in that are not No Limit Hold'em, if you're capable at any of those variants, then you should have a pretty good time and a pretty good chance to cash and run deep, provided you run okay. This includes, like, the ones I've played. Like, I, I haven't played them all, but I, Limit Hold'em, yes. 08, yes. PL08, yes. Mixed Omaha, yes. So, that's, like, these things that are not No Limit Hold'em, there, there really are a lot of fish in these games. And you're sometimes surprised at how bad some of the play is. That's not to say everybody sucks. It's not to say that you'll be the best one at the table necessarily, but there, there will be, there will definitely be people at the table who are worse than you, even if you're, like, a kind of okay-ish player. I'll say that. And there's a lot of dead money in those events. So those are good ones to try. Those 1500s that are not no limit hold'em, provided that you're not a fish at those games yourself. If you like if you never play limit hold'em, don't don't try to enter the 1500 limit hold'em or you'll be the fish. But provided you're like decent at these games, provided you could sit at like a mid-limit cash game at those variants and at least break even, then you should be positive expectation in those variants, is what I'm going to say. And I'm going to try to play more of them this year. I'm going to try to play the stud. I, I'm going to try to play the horse. I'll see how good I feel I am at those variants before I decide to play. 
I, I have been doing some practicing at stud and, and stud eight, and I am going to try to practice some other things and see what else I can enter. I really like those 1500s, and I wish there were more of them, those 1500s that aren't No Limit Hold'em. I play No Limit Hold'em, too, as you've seen. But that's those are the events I really look forward to. I, I really wake up those days feeling like I'm excited to play them. So I, I don't blame Trader Ruski for wanting to come back and play that. And, or, or the seniors event, which I, I cannot play yet, but uh, the time is coming. The time is coming soon. All right, uh, Trader Risky, this may actually may be a good time for you to uh, take your final swig of tea and, and go to bed. Not that I'm trying to kick you off here, but I am going to take a break here. I, I have to use the bathroom. It's, it's very it's simple. Uh, I'm going to play Eric Benzamokin. Okay, then I... What's that? Play the music. I'll listen. Uh, I'm in L.A. now, but driving back to SLO tomorrow, so I got something to listen to now. Oh, okay. Well, we don't have that much longer. That's the bad side. You don't have that much to listen to, but you, you'll have something. Yes, yeah, I, I still got another hour last week's show, too, so I'm going to catch well, up on okay. everything. All right. Okay, got a lot to listen. All right. Okay, Jeff. Well, have you. a good rest of your weekend, and thank I'll you. talk to you later. You, too. Good night. Okay. So, this week, more than ever, you should listen to this ad. I know you've probably heard it before. But this is Eric Benzamokin's ad I did for him back in 2017. He generously donated $500. I saw him today. We went to lunch. Uh, he made a nice financial sacrifice. Given he, he gave me the $500. He handed it to me. He also uh, paid for lunch, which is very nice. I actually meant to, to, I meant to grab the bill on that. And then just like I wasn't paying attention. And it was paid. I'll actually pay. I'll pay the bill next time we go out. But uh, he paid for that too, which I appreciate. And the only sacrifice I made was a sleep sacrifice. And I'm not. I'm not looking for any pats on the back here because he was the one giving the money. But uh, I stayed up very late playing a fish on ignition, and I, I recognized the fish by certain. Uh, Certain aspects of him. Okay? I, I'm starting to be able to like quickly pinpoint who's who just by little things they do. And this guy was a fish I had remembered playing recently, and it was definitely him. And I said, oh, I'm not leaving this game until this fish leaves. So we played a lot, and we played for many hours, and I did win, which was good. The fish, you know, he was he was also the one who crushed me on Tuesday, and then I crushed him back. That's how I lost and won all that money back. But yesterday, fortunately, there was no losing. Matt lost some hands, but I was not, I was never down in that session. And I stayed up very, very late. And then I had to do some stuff after I was done playing poker. And I really did not get very much sleep. In fact, I'm doing this show on very little sleep. To be honest, the last few days I have gotten a lot less sleep than I should be getting. So I'm doing this show a little bit tired, but I'm still doing it. And I, I forced myself awake after like about three and a half hours of sleep, which I already had a sleep deficit coming into it. I forced myself awake and I said, well, I, I must meet with Eric Benzamokin. And uh, this was the day we said, we're going to do it. I've got to do it. And I don't want to flake out on him. And I showed up, and we had a very nice meal and a very nice conversation. And uh, he handed me the money for today's free roll. 
Which is very nice of him. He's always got inter- he always has interesting stories too. He always got interesting. Oh, you know what? We have another topic. I'm so glad I mentioned that because I, I forgot to cover in, in putting the agenda together tonight. I had a number of topics and I forgot that there is an Eric Benzamokin topic. Okay, that'll be the first thing we do when we come back from the break. Is I'm going to tell you about a Hollywood Park nightmare that Eric Benzamokin experienced involving a jackpot and you won't believe it when you hear this story you say well how could it be a nightmare to win a jackpot did they cheat him out of the jackpot no but it was still a nightmare and when you hear this you're going to get pissed off just listening to the story that's my trigger warning for you how many trigger warnings do i give on this show none and this isn't even a serious trigger warning but it is a trigger warning that you're going to get pissed off hearing this story about our lovely friend Eric Benzamokin and the injustice he and others faced. It wasn't just him, but he and others faced at Hollywood Park. Outrageous is what happened there. And I, I told him today, he didn't ask me to cover it, by the way. He told me the story and go, oh, do you mind if I tell this on the show? And he said, no. I said, do you mind if I say your name? He said, no, go ahead. And then I forgot to put it on the damn agenda because I was hastily stuffing everything in the agenda that I had in front of me on my computer, and I forgot about our discussion. But now that we're mentioning Eric, now I remember I was going to put it in the show. So now I'm going to put it in the show as a bonus topic. Then we have three other topics that were on the schedule, and then we will be done. This ends up a good length show. I never thought we were going to have this length of a show on... uh, a day that's just four and a half days after our last show. But you never know here. I've also had it where I've been gone for like two weeks and I, I'm struggling to put an agenda together. It's very weird. Very weird. I wish I wish it was just all proportionate. I wish like every week I had the same amount of stuff to talk about. I wish this stuff would happen at the same pace, but that's not how life works. Um, before I do the ad here and go utilize the facilities, you may wonder... How do I come up with these topics to talk about? I mean, some of it's obvious. Some of it's just like big stories in poker or gambling at the moment. But what process do I use to come up with these stories? And I will tell you, not a secret. I scan poker news sites to see stories about poker or gambling that I may not have heard about. And anything that's interesting I will cover. I usually do not cover poker results stories like who won a bracelet, who won a ring, who won the WPT. That's not this type of show. So I skip over that stuff. But any story I think you guys would find interesting, I will cover. I also skim over forums, including my own forums, and see what I can find that is interesting that has been posted over the past uh, week. I also... Look at social media. So that's how I found the Seals with Clubs story. So I go over Twitter and I follow a lot of poker players there and I see what is interesting to talk about there. And then the things I decide I'm going to talk about, then I spend time researching. Some of them I research more than others. Some of them I just quickly learn about and just discuss during the show what I learned but don't get very in-depth. Other things I do an in-depth investigation into it, such as who that person was 
who ran Round Her Life and why they're running it and all that. Like, I was very curious about that. I was the only one who uncovered all that. Everybody else had no idea what was going on. So I will do my own little investigations of things I find interesting. But I just, I look all around and then I'm kind of like your filter. I kind of know my audience and I know what you guys are probably going to want to hear about and what you guys are going to find boring. And I filter out the boring stuff. I filter out the useless stuff and I try to bring topics to you that you are going to find interesting. Of course, with 15 topics or whatever I bring you, sometimes some of them will be boring to you because you're not all the same. But I try to think what the majority of audience is going to want to hear. I do not cover topics that I think most people won't like. And if I find something that I think most people will not like to hear about, then I don't cover them. I don't do the show for me. I actually do it for you. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass with this. There's no point to do a show if you guys don't want to hear the topics I'm talking about. These are not vanity topics. These are topics that I think you want to hear about. Even stories about me personally, I only tell the ones that I think you're going to want to hear about, not ones I just want to tell. If it's just ones I want to tell, I'll tell other people in my life. So that's how I come up with the topics. It's... I wouldn't say like a, a full-time job by any means, but it's it's more work than you think. Because think of all the different topics they talk about, and I have to learn about them all. Some of them I've already learned about anyway throughout the week, but some of them I haven't. And I, I have to take a long time going through all these things and not only figuring out what to cover, but I have to learn about the ones I choose to cover. So just letting you know the preparation that goes into this, and that's why this show can be somewhat time-consuming. It's not just the long show I do. It's also the time it takes before and also now the time it takes after when I do some post-production. So that's a little look into the behind-the-scenes activities for this show. And then sometimes we produce a show during the show. That happens, too. I won't deny that. All right, I'm going to play you the ad, and we'll be back shortly. So you can hear an ad about Eric Benzimokin, and then you'll hear a topic about Eric Benzimokin. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. 
This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, so let's talk about what happened to attorney Eric Benzamokin at Hollywood Park Casino in Inglewood, California. Now, I want to explain Bad Beat Jackpot to the few of you who don't know what one is. At many casinos, there's a dollar taken out of each pot to fund what's known as a Bad Beat Jackpot, where if a really, really good hand is beaten by another really good hand, then the Bad Beat Jackpot hits. And it's kind of a misnomer, because it doesn't have to necessarily be a bad beat. It's more of like a cooler jackpot, meaning one really, really good hand over another really, really good hand. It doesn't have to really be a bad beat. Usually the standard is something like aces full of kings or better that loses. And you have to use both whole cards, and it's usually in hold'em. So, for example, let's say somebody has... Uh, Pocket aces, or sometimes just aces full, not just aces full of kings. Like aces full or better losing. So let's say they have pocket aces and uh, they flop a full house. Let's say the board is uh, ace, eight, eight. And their opponent has pocket eights. Well, that's not a terrible beat. It's just unfortunate for the person with aces coming down that way. So that would be quad eights over aces full. And if aces full is the minimum requirement, then the jackpot hits. And I'll explain in a second what that means. Both whole cards have to be used, though. So, like, straight flush over straight flush can do it. Or straight flush over quads could do it. But, again, you have to use both whole cards. Both players do. Otherwise, it doesn't qualify. And there's also some rules that you are not allowed to induce the jackpot by telling people how to play. Like, you can't say to the whole table, let's just keep checking down so the maximum number of us stay in the hand, so maybe someone can back into a, a jackpot hand that otherwise wouldn't have hit. So, for example, ace-jack suited, ace-queen, and pocket nines and a queen-nine-nine board, where the queen is of the suit is the ace-jack. The ace-jack pretty much missed that board, queen-nine-nine. And if there's action between the ace-queen and the pocket nines, then the ace-jack's folding. Well, what if you get king and ten of that suit on the turn in river? They, that person would have made a royal flush, a fluke royal flush. With a, they normally wouldn't be in the hand still at that point. But if everybody agrees to check it down, then that's a way the jackpot can hit. So in order to prevent that, since these jackpots can be very high, uh, if anyone does that, intentionally checks down in a potential jackpot hand, then the jackpot does not count. 
That doesn't happen often, but that's just one of the rules. How does the jackpot work? Well, the jackpot works by giving the biggest share to the person who lost the hand, the second biggest share to the person who won the hand, and then the rest of the jackpot goes to what's called a table share. And that is the remainder of the jackpot gets split among everybody else at the table who wasn't still in or was still in but didn't finish second second place. So if someone either folded or finished third place or worse in the hand, then they get the table share. If someone's sitting out, they don't get anything. You have to have been dealt into the hand to get it. Usually it's a split like 40% goes to the loser of the hand, who was in second place, 20% goes to the winner, the other 40% goes to the table share, where the remainder of people dealt in the hand split that 40%. So in one of these jackpot situations, who's it best to be? It's best to be the guy who has the losing hand. It's second best to be the guy who has the winning hand, and then the table share, that's decent too, but that's not nearly as good as the other people, because let's say it's a nine-handed table, you'll be splitting 40% seven ways, which means you'll be getting about 6% each where the other two people at the table get 20% and 40%. So that's how these work. Have I ever won one? The answer is no. Not once in my life have I won one of these. I call myself the anti-jackpot magnet. I've been dealt in a lot of jackpot hands in my life, but when I say dealt in a jackpot hand, I mean where they're taking a jackpot rake. Because if, they're not, if they're not taking a jackpot rake, then there's no jackpot. But I've paid a lot of jackpot rake in my life, and I've never once even been part of a table share. Nothing. I've seen hands that are close to being a jackpot hand, but it just never gets there. So I, I kind of don't even consider the possibility anymore. How high are these? They can be very high. They can the, the jackpot being given away can be like 100K. And it's often like over 20 or over 40K. So the person winning the 40% is getting some healthy money, especially if it's at a lower game, where that's a lot bigger proportionately to where the pots usually are. But even at games like 4080 Limit Hold'em, it's very nice to win one of those. The jackpots tend to be higher if either there's a lot of games going, and sometimes there's just a, a long time passing in between when they hit, or if there's a stringent requirement, this especially happens, a very stringent requirement, like quads losing or better is a lot harder than aces full losing or better. So it depends on the requirement of how high the jackpot gets. Then they keep increasing it by $1 every time they collect a dollar from the jackpot drop. And then the house takes a little share too. So they may, uh, there's sometimes a little house share taken out, whatever. The house makes money from it. I don't like these because it's just pure gambling. There's no skill in jackpots. So it's just an extra rake that eventually you may get back in a lump sum at various points, but I haven't gotten any at any point. And I'm not even talking about my luck. I'm just talking about, I just don't like it. I see it as an extra rake. I, I want to make money at the poker table for my skill versus the other people's skill. I don't want to make money from just uh, dumb luck where I'm contributing a dollar every time I win a pot towards this jackpot that may or may not hit at any time based upon the card dealt. And the house takes a piece too. Like that's that's negative expectation overall. 
and you can run bad with it like I am, and you're just paying extra rake, which sucks. Anyway, let me get back to the situation that occurred with Eric Benzamokin at Hollywood Park. Hollywood Park is a has-been casino. It was once the most active card room in Southern California. It also had a thriving mid-limit hold'em scene in those days, all the way through the very early 2000s. That was the place you would go to play. You may say, what about Commerce? Commerce was about to be the biggest one, but not quite yet. Commerce took a lot of their action when Commerce built their brand new high-limit room, which is pretty big, in 2002. And then people started shifting over from Hollywood Park to Commerce because Hollywood Park did not address a lot of their issues. The place was kind of run down. There was a lot of crime in the parking lot. There were people being followed home and killed during muggings. A lot of bad stuff was happening. People were getting tired of it. People thought the inside did not look very good anymore. And Commerce built this brand new room, which looked high-end and new, and the area wasn't as bad. So people started going to Commerce, and Hollywood Park did nothing to stop it. So they're kind of a has-been. But they still have games going there, just not like they used to. Eric Benzamokin goes there sometimes. And he was there in a game, I think it was uh, some sort of no-limit game, maybe 2-5, no-limit, I don't know, something like that. 3-5, no-limit, 5, I don't know, something like that. And he was there with a friend, and they were playing, and a jackpot hit. Neither Eric nor his friend were the winner or loser of the hand, but they were both dealt in, which meant they were each getting the table share. Eric told me that the table share was around $1,250. Okay. So what that means is the jackpot was in the 20K range, somewhere like that, maybe a little bit above that. And the second place person in the hand got 40% of that. So that's a lot of money. They got probably over eight grand. The winner of hand got over four grand and everybody else split about uh, around twelve fifty. Okay, so far so good. So far it sounds like okay. Eric got a free twelve fifty. Sweet. Well, no. Would you believe that at Hollywood Park when this jackpot hit? And it's not like this is the first jackpot they've ever paid. They they pay these eventually over time. A lot of them. Would you believe that it took three and a half hours to pay out that jackpot? Three and a half hours. Why? Well, I don't have all the answers to that, but I'll tell you a few reasons they claimed it was happening. First, they said they had to verify. If they're paying out over $20,000, they have to go and make sure that there was nothing funny going on. But okay, it's one hand they have to review. They have the tape. How long can it take to review that? It's one hand that plays out. It doesn't. They're watching a few minutes on tape. They can rewind it a few times if everything seems kosher. Okay, pay it. What else? Well, they had to do paperwork. They have to do tax paperwork for everybody. Now, obviously, you have to provide them with your ID because you are getting a jackpot in excess of $1,200, which is required for them to take your ID. This is not the same as winning in a cash game and cashing out over 1200 That they don't have to, but if you win any jackpot where basically they're paying you all at once of uh, 
$1,200, they, they have to, or more, they have to issue you a form. So they do have to collect your IDs and do some paperwork, and that takes some time. They, they can't pay everybody out in five minutes, I understand that. But, but still, why three and a half hours? They only had to pay nine people. So it shouldn't take more than 10 minutes to review the hand. And doing the paperwork, I mean, it's only nine people. There were nine people at the table. It's, you know, how long can it take? But it took three and a half hours. And they couldn't explain what was taking that long. They just kept saying, we're not finished. We're working on it. Now, here's the infuriating thing. What do you do? What do you do? Who do you go to? How can you speed this up if they're just not doing it, if they're just slow? Do you say, okay, well, if you're not going to pay me, I'm leaving. Okay, well, bye-bye to your money. I mean, you can't leave. They owe you money, and they're holding you captive to get it. They're not physically holding you captive. You can stand up and leave any time, but I don't think you can leave and collect the money. I, I don't know what the rule is in California if you just can't stay anymore. Can you leave and come back and get it later? I don't know, but no one decided to test that, which I understand. So everyone's waiting, waiting, waiting. It took three and a half hours for them to finally decide that they're done with this and to pay everybody. So what if you have to leave? What if you want to leave? What if you're tired? I don't know what time of night this was, but Eric's friend, while waiting the three and a half hours, wasn't going to just twiddle his thumb, nor was Eric. They both wanted to leave long before that, but they were just playing on, as was the rest of the table. The rest of the table just sat and kept playing, because what else are you going to do? Well, Eric's friend, in that three and a half hours, lost back $1,400, which means he actually lost more than the jackpot was. Wow. So he lost 150 in that whole thing, even though he got the table share of the jackpot. Now, yes, it could have gone the other way, but he shouldn't have been required to sit all that time. Like, what else was he going to do besides play? So everyone's playing, 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 and waiting. And people were complaining, people were getting pissed. People are really trying to push for it faster, but they, they just couldn't explain what was taking so long. They just kept saying, we're working on it, be patient. And they never got an answer as to what was happening there. Absolutely dreadful. I don't know if this is standard what happens there at Hollywood Park. Or if this was just that particular day, that particular shift. But I would have actually called up and not that it would have done much probably. I probably would have gotten the card room manager the next day and really raised hell about this. But the problem is what's going to be done for you? Like at worst, they're just going to they're going to go talk to someone who is involved with this and say, hey, next time do it faster. But that doesn't help you. It's not like they're going to give you extra money for it. So that really sucks. And think about it. what would you do? You're at Hollywood Park. They're taking three and a half hours to pay you your jackpot. You want to leave. What do you do? How can you force them to go faster? In Nevada, where there's a stronger gaming commission, you could call up and have a gaming agent come down. And I don't know what the specific, specific law is in Nevada, but I believe the gaming agent would speed them along and come up with some solution. But in California, you don't have that. You can't just have a California gaming agent just come down there and figure out how to handle the situation. In California, the best you could do is complain after the fact, and it's going to fall upon deaf ears. 
So you're really just stuck. You can complain to management, but they're not around. It's probably at night. There's really no one to complain to until after the fact. So you don't know what to do. You're just stuck waiting, waiting, waiting. And if you don't want to wait, you may not get your money. Here's another outrageous thing they required. Everyone had to get a player's card. That was some of the delay. Doesn't explain three and a half hours, but not everybody had a player's card. They said, you must have a player's card to collect this. I believe that's also BS. I don't think that they can require you to get a player's card. They can require you to either present a player's card or give ID. I do not believe they can require you to give a player's card. I know they can't in Nevada. I have a feeling they can't in California, but that's what they did. So they took forever to make each person's player's card that didn't already have one. So that was another problem that delayed it. That contributed to the three and a half hours. Just a complete disastrous mismanagement of the jackpot. And I don't know why. So I feel bad. Even though Eric Benzenbogen hit a $1,250 jackpot, I, I feel bad that he got stuck there these hours he didn't want to be. It's not like he was going to be playing for those hours anyway and didn't really care. They were kind of ready to leave. And it just kept dragging and dragging. It's not even like they said, well, it'll be three and a half hours, just stick around. It was this unending amount of time. They didn't know if it's going to be two hours, three and a half hours, six hours, 12 hours. They don't know. It's just dragging, dragging, dragging. You just don't know. You don't know when the time's going to end. You can't look and say, okay, we only have an hour left. You just don't know. And, and it's getting longer and longer and longer. And, and you just don't know when you're going to finally get your money. And when is a wait too much? You may say, well, three and a half hours is too much. And I agree, but Okay, what if it was five hours? Would you wait? What if it was seven hours? Would you wait? What if it's ten hours? What is the amount of time where for $1,250, you would get up and say forget it and possibly forfeit the jackpot? I don't know if you have to forfeit it, but let's just say it's, it's kind of up in the air what will happen if you leave before they uh, process everything. Let's say that's a rule. If you leave before they process everything, you don't get it. So what's the maximum amount of time you would wait? And the question is, then do you also have the point of no return situation where you're afraid if you leave that five minutes later, they're going to say, okay, we're done. So it's not even like you know it's going to be 10 hours and you decide to leave after three. You don't know. So any minute they can come bring it to you, you just never know what it's going to be. Yeah, every day you see one more card, that's right. One more player's card. Yeah, he's not kidding. Every day see one more card. One more player's card they have to process at a snail's pace. What a freaking disaster. I, I would seriously be raising hell afterwards. I would just be stuck during it, but afterwards I'd be furious. I once had a similar but not as troublesome situation. I mean, this this, this was really terrible when Eric was stuck in there. At LAX, in one of their airport-owned lots in 2001... I got back on Memorial Day, Monday, at night, and I took the bus over to their lot, and on the way out, there was a tremendous line to leave, and the line was to pay. So if you could just drive out without paying, you could just drive right out of there, but the paying was super slow. They only had one booth open. There were a tremendous number of people. They didn't staff it properly. They didn't realize, I don't know why, that there'd be a lot of people coming back on Memorial Day weekend. So somehow they had like one person working there in the booth 
And there's a tremendous line to get out of there, which I estimated at one and a half hours minimum. And I thought to myself, what should be the expectation? Like, how long should I have to wait? When would it be my right to just leave or just drop the money in front of them and drive off, not caring what my position in line is? Now, if the line is 10 minutes long, obviously, no, I couldn't do it. If the line is 10 hours long, yes, they can't hold me hostage there for 10 hours because you literally can't leave with your car. You could walk out yourself, but you can't drive out with your car until you pay. But if the line to pay is 10 hours long, they don't have a right to hold your car there. So where is the point in between there, in between 10 minutes and 10 hours? Where is the point where it becomes unreasonable that they have to just let you out if they can't process your payment in a timely fashion to get out of there? I thought one and a half hours had reached that point. And I was trying to argue with them, but they just gave me the middle finger, basically. And then uh, the only way I got out of there faster than that, I think I may have told this story before, but there were two lines that were feeding in to the eventual main line. And one of the two lines is a little shorter than the other, but both were very valid lines. And in fact, if you follow the exit signs there, one of them pointed one direction, which eventually reaches the exit, and the other one pointed the other. So I went to the exit sign, which is towards the shorter of the two lines. And after sitting in it for a while, I started noticing that there was a guy who worked there who was going to each car and telling them something. I'm going, what the hell is this? So the guy came up to my window and says, this isn't a valid line. You need to get out of this line and go back to the main one. I had already waited like 45 minutes, and I'm being told now that this is not a valid line. i got to go to the back of the line. I said, of course it's valid. And I pointed to the sign that said exit this way. And then he pointed to a different sign which said exit that way. They were actually dueling signs that if you followed one, you'd be going the way we did. If you followed one, you'd be going the other way. So I showed this to him. He says, I don't care. We're going by this sign. This is not a valid line. Now, everybody up till me was accepting this. Some had already left, and some of the other ones were, were just kind of sitting there in shock. But we're going to leave. And I go, oh, shit, I know what they're doing here. Even as a 29-year-old, I knew what they were doing there. They were approaching each vehicle separately and slowly telling them what's happening so they don't get like a mob of people protesting this really angrily. So I said, well, he won't listen to me. He's refusing to listen to logic. He's making us wait a whole new line, even though we spent 45 minutes in this line. I am not going to take this. And there's only one way out of this one, and that is to create my own mob. So I jumped out of my car, and I knocked on every window I could as fast as I could. And I said, guess what they're doing? They're declaring this line is not valid, but look at this exit sign right here. This is showing it is valid. We went, we followed the signs the correct way. And they're trying to tell us that our line doesn't matter, and they're going to close this line and send us to the back. Can you believe this? And so all these people started jumping out of their car. What? And so everyone got pissed because people before me were talked into believing they went the wrong way. So I pointed out to everybody we went the right way. It's just two dueling signs. And I went to every car I could as fast as I could to get everyone to jump out at once. Well, it worked. Everybody jumped out at once. Everybody surrounded this guy, and he was freaking terrified. Nobody was getting physical, but he was terrified that he thought an angry mob was going to beat him up. So I said, come on, 
this is ridiculous. If you don't want to let anyone in this line behind us, fine, but you've got to at least let us stay. So he looked at the angry mob surrounding him and he got nervous. Says, okay, fine, fine. Just come with me. And at that point, he actually shut down the other line temporarily and let us cut in front of them, processed all of us, and then closed the line. So we actually got to get out of line faster, which I wasn't expecting. I just wanted to be fair. I wanted to just alternate one, one and one, which they were doing for a while. But had I not created that mob, this wouldn't have happened. They were slowly breaking it to each person that they made a mistake when they actually hadn't. So I created my own mob. Anyway, but I, I thought of it at the time. I thought, well, what right do they have to do this? I kept thinking, like at one point when I was arguing with a guy, he said he's going to call the police. And I said, do it. I want you to. I want you to call the police so they can sort this out. You don't have a right to hold us here. You, you can put us in a reasonable line to collect our money, but if you can't staff well enough to collect our money, you have to let us out. And, of course, he said no, so... We got let out so that it was ended, but after 45 minutes in there. But they, And then the people on the other line were watching us just get put in front of them, and they were furious, and they were yelling. It was a freaking chaotic scene. I said, I'm never using that lot again, and I haven't in the 19 years since. But boy, was that awful. But it reminds me of, of what Eric Benzamokin's situation was, where you just have someone who's just inexplicably slow in doing something that shouldn't be taking anywhere near that long, and, and yet you're trapped. There's nothing you can do. And your only option is, is literally to walk out without what you're waiting for. In Eric's case, it was the money. In my case, it would have been my car. <laughs> Neither is very palatable. Neither is a reasonable solution. And you're at the mercy of someone else at completing their job in a reasonable amount of time, which they're not doing. So that's a question. I've asked people before, what is that time? In my car situation, what what was the time where you would just say, no, I can't wait any longer? And I have some people go, no, 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 I'll just wait, you know, whatever it is it is. I go, no, no, what if it's 10 hours? What if it's 20 hours? What if it's 100 hours? Like, it, there's, there's some point where you're going to say, no, I'm not waiting anymore. So where is it? Everybody has a point. So where's your point? I think my point was, was probably an hour. And I'd still be pissed. I think an hour is generous. Because they have to staff well. If they don't staff well enough, tough luck. If you're trapped in there until... They can collect your payment, and they misstaff to where they don't have enough people to collect your payment. They can't put this on you if it becomes unreasonable that you should be able to leave. I don't know what the law is on that, but I know that uh, it's got to be something like that. They can't just hold you indefinitely or hold your car indefinitely. Anyway, that's, I feel bad for Eric. just wanted to publicize that. Hollywood Park sucks. Luke Schwartz, who's a brash obnoxious poker player from England has been making a series of inflammatory tweets which resulted in a challenge to Phil Galfond. Let me explain what's going on here. So Phil Galfond, as I've mentioned before, has been doing these Galfond challenges where people get to challenge him heads up and he's been accepting most of them. And they've also been making side bets. And we, we talked about last week about the other challenges that are scheduled to take place. Uh, Big Bill Perkins, Brandon Adams, Chance Carnuth, Daniel Cates, also known as Jungle Man. Two unknown players who are online guys, Action Freak and Vin VD 1993. That's who was scheduled there. These were high stakes matches with a set number of hands that they agreed to. Most of them are going to be online. Galfont's hoping it's going to be on his own site to give his site publicity. 
Brandon Adams is one of the guys he's saying that he wants to play live, and Galphon agreed to that. But here's the most recent development with it. There, Luke Schwartz tweeted this. Solve for Y. And that's solve for W-H-Y. Now, he actually stole the solve for Y from somebody else, from Matt Berkey. Matt Berkey does these training courses called Solve for Y, which is kind of a play on words. Solve for Y is like the letter Y, like an algebraic equation. And so he's saying solve for Y, W-H-Y, like why you're making these moves in poker. That's the premise of Matt Berkey's coaching courses. So Luke Schwartz took this and has been doing these solve for Y tweets for a while, for the last few days where he's been mocking various people in poker saying solve for why and then he mentions something that he doesn't understand why it's happening so this is what he tweeted i'm going to read it in an english accent because luke schwartz is from england solve for why phil galfon trying to promote these pigeon challenges not a single fucker cares whether he can beat some online nobody like ven vidi at this pigeon solved online omaha shit let's get a let's set a challenge any limit or big bet Max or big bet mix game of your choice, me versus you. I'll give you odds. So what he's saying here, it's kind of not very coherent. It's not just because of the accent. This is really like a an incoherent looking tweet. He doesn't write very well. So what he's trying to say, if you didn't understand this, is explain why Phil Galfond is trying to promote all these big challenges that he's uh, doing against people when most of his opponents are fish and it's only a PLO. How about playing something like a limit game or a big big bet mixed game against a real player? Nobody cares if you're going to play someone like Ven VD 1993 who nobody knows. Why don't you play me? And if you agree to play me, I'll actually do a side bet against you where I will give you odds against me where we won't even be playing for even money We'll do a side bet of who will win it, and I'll actually give you a little bit of odds to where you'll get extra money for beating me. That's what he's saying. Well, Phil Galfond responded with, Hi, Luke. Happy New Year. Now, this is such a Phil Galfond type of response. He's never drawn into, like, directly fighting back with people. He, He never fights on Twitter or any social media or any forum he never writes, like, angry, inflammatory stuff. Phil Galfond either hits you with, like, fake politeness or passive aggressiveness. But he, he never directly insults you or comes at you. So this is what he wrote. Hi, Luke. Happy New Year. Thanks for your interest in the Galfond Challenge. What a great idea. We can play some 1K, 2K, 8 game. No pigeon stakes, please. He's got a mock. There's a passive aggression right there. Luke kept talking about the pigeon stakes, and uh, they said, yeah, no, we'll play 1K, 2K, 8 game, no pigeon stakes, please. But I'd feel bad accepting odds from you, so I'll offer uh, 1.1 to 1 on a side bet of 250K for a 15K hand match. So what he's saying there, too, is that uh, he's actually doing the reverse. He's actually offering... The odds to Luke saying, hey, uh, I'm not going to take odds from you. I'll give you the odds of 10%. So 1.1 to 1 on a side bet. So we'll play 15,000 hands of 1K, 2K, 8 game. And whoever ends out ahead after 15,000 hands 
uh, will win the side bet of 250k, but you'll get a bonus uh, 25k. This is 1.1 to one if you're the winner. So it'll be 275k to to, to 250k on the side bet. Well, Luke Schwartz was okay. He said, "Yes, let's do it." DM me. So then Philly Alphonse said, "Have an exciting new Galphon challenge competitor in the coming days. Stay tuned." But don't be too excited yet. They haven't finalized the bet. Nothing's formally been announced. They have not stated a date this will occur. But already, there are people who are uh, discussing which side they want to bet on. Bryn Kenny wrote, How can you turn this down? He's offering odds, and no- and nobody better to watch rant about online pigeons than Lukey Boy. This is before... Galphon had accepted. Bryn was Bryn Kenny was saying that there's no way you can turn this down. He's even offering you odds, even though he didn't accept them. And then Dan Smith said back, "Want to mirror the bet for ten percent of the stakes? I get Galphon, you get Luke." So Dan Smith felt that Galphon was going to be the better player here, and he said, "Hey, let's just take whatever they're playing for, and we'll do the same bet for ten percent." Except I'm getting Galfond and you're getting Lou Schwartz. So then uh, Bryn Kenny agreed. And also uh, Jason Moe, he also wanted in on this. And Bryn Kenny said 100% booked. And Jason Moe said, you got it, boss man. So there's going to be some side bits already on this. And we shall see what happens. Luke Schwartz is a very big trash talker online. So he's really going to go off if he wins this. And uh, we will see what happens from there. Uh, At some point in the discussion back and forth involving Bryn Kenny, again, when Bryn Kenny brought this up, uh, it hadn't been accepted by Galfon yet. And at one point, he and Galfond went back and forth a bit, and then he mocked Galfond, saying that Galfond used to quit him at uh, PLO and No Limit Hold'em. I don't know if that's true. Some people were uh, giving a hard time to Bryn Kenny, not about his own abilities, but Luke's. Some people doubted that Luke was all that good of a player. A guy named James McHugh said, Luke is the pigeon. He beasts what exactly? Meaning, you know, what, what game is he beating regularly? His ego went to his head and his results went in the toilet. And someone pointed out that he won a bracelet. And, and uh, someone said back, Jerry Yang won a bracelet one summer too, bro. Referring to that Jerry Yang was a not very good player that just happened to get lucky. So... uh Others wanted to also jump on the side of Galfond. Jake Abdallah, also known as Jay Lama, said that uh, he also wanted to bet on the side of Galfond. So it seems like more people believe Galfond has the edge here, even though Luke does all the trash talking. They feel that Galfond's actually quietly the much better player. 
those that are backing Luke believe that Luke has an edge because he's been playing more recently. Galfon doesn't spend as much time at the tables as he used to. Something that Galfon was a great player back in the day, but with today's styles and opponents, he's not going to be that great. And that those who are succeeding currently are better players than Galfond, who is succeeding in the past. But others are saying that Luke Schwartz is kind of more of a one-hit wonder, and that he's not nearly as good as he thinks he is. Others were laughing at the fact that Luke Schwartz was claiming that PLO is, quote, pigeon-solved online Omaha shit. Some were saying that the limit games are much easier to solve by computer than PLO, which might be true. But the trash talking worked, I guess. The match has been agreed to, though I don't think Galfon's going to back out, but it's possible Luke Schwartz could back out. And he, he, who knows, he may not have been planning to do this in the first place. Or maybe he has to secure funding for it. Who knows? I don't know what his situation is. But we will see. A lot of matches scheduled. I don't know if Galfon has all of himself or not. He's got these matches, plus he has the side bets, which you'd think would be a lot of money. I mentioned that last week. He's got seven of them going, and the side bets, uh, he's risking millions of dollars in total. Because some of them he's giving odds. Now, it's unlikely he's going to lose all of them, but if he lost all of them... In side bets alone, he'd be out more than $2 million. He'd be out like like at least $2.5 million if he lost the side bets. Probably around $3 million if he lost all of them, plus whatever he lost in the matches. So like, let's say he just ran really bad in all eight matches, which is not likely, but it can happen. I want to now talk about the final topic of the night, and that is about California and the sports betting legalization, something I've been waiting for. And not that I can't bet sports. I can. I have to use offshore sites, but I can do it. And it's not like I'm getting bad lines on these sites. But still, it would be nice to have a legalized online sports betting site where I know they're going to pay me. I know it's regulated. It's easy to get money on and off and not to worry about them stiffing me with cash outs, with, with, with skimming by the payment processors and all that. We're using, having to use Bitcoin. So California has been very slow at getting this done. They kind of want to, but they've been slow with it. So what is going on with California and the potential of legalizing it? Well, California, they had a joint meeting of the state Senate and Assembly on Wednesday, January 8th. And there was a discussion about sports betting. And they actually came to a consensus that they wanted it. So it's not even like these groups are are fighting with each other. Yes, we want it. No, we don't. Yes, we want it. No, we don't. And there's like, there's nothing to solve here as far as that's concerned. In theory, basically everyone wants it. But the problem was here that there, there's still a lot of things that get have to be ironed out before sports betting 
is legalized in, in California. Now, California is the biggest state in the nation population-wise. There's like know, 35 million people in California. Something like that. Maybe more. It's the California population. Let's look that up. It's like about one in nine people in the U.S. live in California. It is if it is 39 million. Yeah, it's almost 40 million. Wow. I was underestimating it. Almost 40 million people. Probably will be 40 million by the time they legalize it, even if it happens fairly quickly. That's a big pool of people who want to bet sports. And they think, hey, we, we can make a lot of tax dollars from this instead of letting all of the money go offshore. So that's why it's really tempting. And it's the same reason online poker and maybe other forms of online gambling legalized could be tempting. But they've been unable to get it done. They actually meant to have this meeting, which was organized by Senator Bill Dodd and Assemblyman Adam Gray. And it was in Sacramento, and it was supposed to be in November, actually in Los Angeles, but it, it got delayed. So this is the makeup meeting two months later. And they basically came to the conclusion, something we've always known, that there's a lot of sports betting going on in California on illegal sites, and that it's going to continue whether or not they want it or not, and that they might as well legalize it and start collecting some tax dollars on it. And they also said that this would make it so they could even induce integrity standards about games not being fixed or rigged, which I don't think would be a problem anyway, because the sports these days, the players get paid so much, the, the key players in these games would never risk their careers and their lucrative contracts on on some kind of small bribe. That, That was more of a problem of the past than the present. But they concluded that they could make as much as uh, $2.5 billion per year from legalized sports betting. I'm talking about the state could make. And they even think that it's possible they could get to $6 billion per year by the end of 2023. Now, I don't believe any of that. That's crap. There's, there's no way it's going to be that much. Because this is not how many sports bets are placed. This is how much the state could make from it. And yet they said they're going to keep the tax rates under the 20% mark. So they're saying here that, let, let's say they, they made a 20% tax on, on the sportsbook operators. They're saying that by taxing the profits of, of 20%, that they'd make $2.5 billion a year, which would mean that the sports betting outlets would be making uh, five times that, which is uh, $12.5 billion per year. And that's what they're making. That's not the total of wagers made. That's the amount in profit they, they collectively make is $12.5 billion per year in wagers. That's how much they're going to win. And then the state would take 20%. And they're actually saying, oh, $6 billion we could make in 2023 if it goes as planned, which means the sports betting operators would actually be making $30 billion. Not million, but billion. They should be making $30 billion that year. They think it's possible. I wouldn't be surprised if they come out with a conclusion that by 2030 that they could be making $100 billion. Oh, gentlemen. 
So these are unrealistic. And I guess it's good to speed up the legalization, but they always find themselves disappointed. That's why poker has been such a fail. They thought, they thought that was going to be big. I'm not, in California, it's not legal, but in the other states that have legalized online poker, it has dramatically underperformed. Even the casino games, the online casino games have been legalized, have been dramatic underperformers, even though they are doing a lot better than poker. The sports betting, even though they're making good money, still they're not making what they thought they would in these other states. And even... Industries that are not gambling industries, such as legalized marijuana, they're making a lot less than they thought they would. So there's always like a tendency to overestimate what the state can make, but they'll still be making money, so I think they're still going to want it. The big problem here is who is going to run these sports books? You may say, well, why not just let the licensed casinos do it? Well, because we have two factions of licensed casinos in California. We have the Indian casinos, and we have the non-Indian casinos like the card rooms, such as Commerce. And they hate each other. The Indian casinos have the sense of entitlement that they think only they should be able to run these type of things. They think the card rooms should pretty much have poker and nothing else, and they should get everything else. That the card rooms should not have the California games, the California rooms should not have sports betting. The California rooms should never have slot machines. They should never have dice. Nothing. Just poker and only poker is the view of the Indian tribes. The card rooms, they want to have as much as possible. So since the sports betting market will be so lucrative in California, being that there's a lot of enthusiasm for sports betting in the state in general, and the population is 40 million people, the, the two sides are fighting with one another, again, over who should be able to do it. And the problem is, both of these groups of casinos have a lot of money and a lot of political influence. So one of, them, one of the groups supports a bill that would allow only the, uh, the racetracks and the Indian tribes to be able to offer sports betting. And then the other group would allow any kind of sports betting uh, or any, any currently licensed uh, card room or gambling entity in the state to allow sports betting in the state. And the problem is both sides have a lot of money, a lot of influence, and nobody can come to a conclusion. And it's hard to compromise because the Indian tribes are saying, no, it's only going to be us and the racetracks. And the card rooms are saying, no, we want to be part of it too. There's no middle ground. What is the middle ground? Like, it's either you have it or you don't. If the card rooms have it, then the Indian tribes lose. If the card rooms don't have it, then the card rooms lose. There's no, we can both be happy because the Indian tribes don't want them to both have it. You think a compromise would be they both have it. No, the Indian tribes are saying, no, we don't want you to both have it. The card rooms are like, hey, let's both have it. And the Indian tribes, no, only us. <laughs> Of course, I think everybody should have it that's a regulated and licensed casino or card room of any sort. They should have the ability to apply for it. And if they can afford the licensing fees and everything else, they should be able to get it. But that's stuck, just like the poker thing is stuck. The poker thing is stuck in a different way. The online poker thing, that is stuck in the poker stars versus non-poker stars factions, where 
the tribes and the card rooms that would have poker stars as their software want poker stars allowed in the market and the tribes and card rooms that would not have poker stars as a software acknowledging that that's the best software do not want poker stars in the market and they've been going back and forth about that for years which is why we don't have legalized online poker in 2020 nor is there any motion at the moment towards making that so I don't know what's going to happen with sports betting, but this is good news that they are attempting this, at least. that Everybody got together and said, yeah, this is a good idea. Yeah, we're going to make a lot of money. Yeah, for some reason, we think we're going to make $6 billion in tax revenue in 2023. They're not, but let them have their delusion, so maybe this will speed up eventual passage of some bill. And hopefully the tribes and the card rooms can finally come together on this in some way. Again, there's no solution, like... One side's going to win, one side's going to lose. The tribes just really, really believe this is just their domain. The, the way they see it is we were granted these like exclusive gambling compacts way back when, and we don't want to give up any of our action, even something we can't currently do. If it's something that would fall under the umbrella of something a casino would offer, we only want it. The card room shouldn't have it. The card rooms, we've only been okay with their existence for poker and anything else is an assault of what on what we should have which is is very entitled on their part i've spoken before what i think of indian gaming i think it's very 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 flawed and it's unfair to everyone else and also unfair to players because there's no regulation and they can do what they want and they can screw people and i found myself in that spot at that one casino that called me over to security, accusing me of multi, multi-carding. And they wanted me to do all these things that normally would be a violation of my rights. They wanted me to pose for a picture and give a fingerprint and show them my license. And I shouldn't have to do any of that, but I was afraid if I didn't, they were going to detain me while my family sat in the car for eight, ten hours. So I did what they asked. And it sucks. It, it sucks you can't just say, no, it's my right not to do this. You don't have those rights in Indian casinos. So that is the current sports betting situation in California. And that is the end of our show. So thank you for listening. When is our next show? Well, we won't have a $500 free roll. I can guarantee you that. But we will have a free roll of some sort. And the next show should be one week from today on January 17th. I have not forgotten about our call at the beginning of the show. It feels like so long ago. But I made a call at the beginning of the show, which was to that girl that had called me as a wrong number. And I want to follow this up. I want to see if there really was a clinic with my phone number, I, I can't see how, but maybe they had a misprint. I doubt the guy that I got the number from was secretly involved with the clinic. He, he would have told me this. I, I know him pretty well. But I want to see my number printed on there. And I want to try to find out what this clinic was, regardless of what the phone number was, and see if I can reach anyone from the clinic and see if there's any way to locate it. Also... I don't think she's 
taken it upon herself to do a 23andMe thing, and I'm going to talk to her about that. It, it seems obvious, but maybe she hasn't tried it yet. But I'll try to help her as much as I can. Not going to make it a full-time job, but... I don't know, I feel a little bit bad for her. She just wants to know who her real dad is, and I guess she had a crappy non-biological dad who she hates. So look, you, you have a crappy parent you don't like, and sit there your whole life thinking, hey, my dad sucks. Hey, I wish he wasn't my dad. And then you find out, lo and behold, he's not your dad. And you wonder, well, who is my real dad? And Even though he was a sperm donor, might he actually be kind of cool? Wouldn't it be nice to meet him? And then you call someone and attempt to find it, and it's a guy who runs a third-rate poker radio show. What kind of luck is that? So I'll try to help her out a bit. I already helped her by not putting bad guy on with her. But bad guy, you won that bet. And if you just told me a moment sooner... Actually, if it wasn't Skype's problem... Skype had problems. I know you tried to tell me sooner. It's not your fault, bad guy. You tried to help. You tried to help. Good game for you. Good win. That's all, everybody. We'll see you next week on the 17th. Thank you, Eric Benzamokin. Shalom. Shalom.